Thursday, September the 1st, 2022. We have a fun episode of That's What G Said coming up for you. Right now, we'll talk a little NBA. Big trade today. Donovan Mitchell headed to the Cavs. We'll get into that in just a minute. Then we dive into a fantasy football preview for you with Eric. We'll go through each positional grouping, quarterback, wide receiver, running back, tight end. We throw a few defenses out there for you. We tell you some of the players we are targeting, some players that we may have different than some of the rankings, and then some players that we may be avoiding and fading this year. Then horse racing. We'll talk a little Friday Saratoga, Friday Del Mar. Del Mar has the big weekend, so Emily Gullickson joins to talk about Saturday Del Mar and the big graded stakes races and the Pacific Classic. We also have Saturday Saratoga best bets. We have Saturday Kentucky Downs best bets. And then we talk about the Saturday Louisiana Downs pick four with Roxanne Tanner, a racing ambassador over at Louisiana. We go through that pick four sequence for Saturday. Then we finish things up wrestling with Chad Cooper. It is a huge weekend. The Clash at the Castle, WWE pay-per-view. Then we have AEW All Out, and we have NXT Worlds Collide, where they are basically combining NXT and NXT UK right now. It's a massive weekend. It's also a college football weekend, and I'm going to be part of a college football preview show on Saturday for Better Than Dot Vegas, the sponsor of this show at BTV Bet. So if you want some help playing uh, college football for this weekend, tune in on Friday. 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time. If you follow me on Twitter, it's me, Gino B. Or if you follow at BTV Bets, you'll get that live stream. It'll be free. It'll be myself, Eric, and Jim. And we're going to go through some of the big games for the weekend. And we're going to give out our best bets for college football this weekend. And that's better than not Vegas at BTV Bets, who now has a big partnership with Betfred, Betfred Sportsbook. If you have the opportunity to go sign up for an account right now for Betfred, the most personalized betting experience on the market. What Betfred gives you is the best of like a small, a mom and pop type shop where personalized care, they know you and they want to have a good time with you all sorts of perks, tailgate experiences meetups, suites at games they're partners of the Bengals and Broncos in the NFL, the Rockies in baseball season tickets to every pro sports team in the state they're in, golf outings um, all sorts of really fun events, they also provide just like what the big big books try to do, but they do it better. More back, more money back in free bets, bonusing on handle. So the more you bet, the more you get back. But the the more you win, the more they're gonna give you. Fair limits, market offering to the players, uh, improving product. They're giving you all sorts of options, in-game markets, live visuals inside the Betfred Sportsbook app. Go back to 1960s Fred Doan, who had made a bet and with that became a bookmaker and started paying out early, and that started bonusing more than anyone and everyone, and that became the bonus king. Fred's opened 1,600 betting shops with market share across the world, the largest privately owned regulated sportsbook, Betfred Sportsbook, and BTV bets at Better Than Dot Vegas come together for football season. We're going to get into football, some fantasy football in just a minute. But before we do, I have to talk about the big trade in the NBA. So the Cavs acquire 
Donovan Mitchell from the Utah Jazz. And Utah is in a complete rebuild. We saw them trade off Rudy Gobert. And they currently have Bodon Bogdanovich, Jordan Clarkson, and Mike Conley, who are all likely to be on their way out. Right now, they have uh, Utah has 13 unprotected or lightly protected first round picks through 2029. And then they and they just brought in two first round picks this year, Abaji and then Walker Kessler, who came with Minnesota when he came over in the four first round draft picks from Minnesota for Gobert. This is a big deal. So the Knicks were initially heavily involved and heavily rumored to be the leader in this race for Donovan Mitchell. But they backed out on Wednesday and Utah, or they backed out on Monday and Utah jumped back in and in about 48 hours, Utah was able to work out a deal with Cleveland. You know, Cleveland was the one that jumped in just a couple days ago when uh, when the Knicks back out. So Cleveland will send Lori Markkinen, rookie, Agbaji, they just drafted from Kansas, Colin Sexton, three unprotected first-round picks, 2025, 27, 29, and then two pick swaps for Mitchell. In the trade, Sexton agrees to a four-year, $72 million sign-and-trade. And now think about Cleveland having Mitchell, Garland, Jared Allen, and Mobley because Donovan Mitchell is a fantastic scorer and a great offensive player. He is not a good defensive player. But when you have the type of defense with a Mobley and an Allen there, well, that could really help maybe fill in for some of the uh, you know the weaknesses of Mitchell on the defensive side. So because he played with a great defender in Gobert, but after Gobert, they had never really had other good defenders on the floor. Yeah, this is a huge deal and so many picks moving around. So apparently, Cleveland GM, I'm reading from the Woj, A.G. and Wojnarowski article from ESPN. Cleveland GM Colby Altman was in discussions with the Jazz through last week, but then they they backed out. They couldn't come to an agreement. Then he reached back out on Tuesday morning, and within 48 hours, they had a deal. One of the big issues for the Knicks was including Quentin Grimes and R.J. Barrett. They wanted to put in Emmanuel quickly instead of R.J. Barrett. And then Utah was countering back. They said, okay, you want to do that? Then we want three unprotected first-round picks. New York, uh, the Knicks would only do a third one with top five protections. So they're doing this negotiation back and forth, and the Knicks wouldn't budge on certain spots. Uh, The Knicks would have moved Evan Fournier in a first-round pick to a third team to spare Utah taking on the remaining part of uh, Fournier's contract. So Mitchell, 25 years old, he's averaged 23.9 points and 4.5 assists a game during his five-year career with Utah. Three-time All-Star. $134 million remaining on the extension. And he's leaving Utah. They had been in the playoffs for six straight years. That was the longest current streak in the Western Conference, but they never got past the second round. Now, they get rid of Quinn Snyder, coach. 
They bring in Will Hardy, trade Gobert, trade Mitchell. Those two guys never really got along, never seemed like they were a great fit. Here's the thing with Mitchell. His playoff numbers are incredible. So Donovan Mitchell playoff averages, 39 games, 37 minutes per game, 28.3 points, 4.7 assists, 4.9 rebounds, 1.2 steals, and a basically 37% uh, shooting percentage from three. There have only been six other players in NBA, or there are six players in NBA history who have a better scoring average than him in the playoffs. Six. You know who they are? Michael Jordan, Luka Doncic, Allen Iverson, Kevin Durant, Jerry West, and LeBron. Those are the only players in NBA playoff basketball history who have a higher per-game scoring average. And he's played 39 games now. Mitchell. He had, he's had a couple monster series. So, big trade. Cleveland now. If they can just fill in some of the gaps around those four major contributors, they could... I mean, for, you feel like for a few years, they're going to be a playoff team and a team that's in the top five or so in the East and a lot of upside with young guys that can leap forward like Mobley. Big move for Cleveland. Utah, complete rebuild time. So that's some of the uh, NBA news right now. We'll continue to monitor if any other dominoes move now. We'll see what happens. Does anything go on with the, the Lakers with Russell Westbrook? Is there a suitor out there for him? Do they have to just sort of keep him? Maybe at the trade deadline they can find someone or figure something else out. <clears throat> Who knows? Does Russ bounce back at all? Did not seem like there would be a possibility of that with uh, the way things were last year. But we'll, we'll always pass along any big-time NBA news. Right now, we're going to move on to some NFL. We're going to talk fantasy football, a fantasy football preview for you. Eric joins me. We spend uh, almost an hour going through each grouping of positions, and we try to give you some uh, outside-the-box, kind of off-the-radar players or maybe some of the uh, the very fancied players that we're not quite as high on. So positives, negatives, who we're looking to target, some draft strategy, everything fantasy football right now with Eric. We are recording this on Wednesday night, August the 31st. That means we are eight days away. From the NFL season opener That means by the time most of you are hearing this Which will be Thursday uh, September the 1st We will be only one week away Eric from the kickoff We've already gone through team previews For every team in the NFL Division by division Now we want to talk fantasy Because I think over this weekend And probably starting a couple days ago And all throughout the next few days That's probably when most people are having their drafts right? Because you want to be you want to be as close to the season as possible because then when you're drafting way too early, a lot of things can change. Yeah, like stuff can change. Injuries can happen. We've seen trades you know, even. Trades, yeah. You know, a lot of stuff can got can happen. So it's kind of it's kind of best to kind of wait and mm-hmm. kind of like this year there really hasn't been that big injury. No, like last year, remember the Ravens kept getting hit. Yeah. So, I mean, like last year, like, yeah, Dobbins got hurt. So. Mm-hmm. I mean, I drafted Dobbins in the second round in one league. I think you were in it with me, and we drafted yep. insanely early. And unfortunately, I was in a short on this stick there. So I, I don't know. I kind of like it when it, when it waits out a little bit more. Me too. I, I think a few days before is probably best 
Um, and this weekend uh, is when a lot of people will be drafting. So we're going to help you out with your drafts. We'll go through each position group. We will, you know, we'll talk about positives, negatives, guys that we want to target, maybe avoid players that we're fine with getting. But we'll sort of go through the tiers because, Eric, you do your own individual rankings. So I think it's always fun to kind of compare your rankings to some other rankings just to see where there are major differences. Maybe some guys that you're a lot higher on or a lot lower on than the general consensus. So if anyone wants to follow along with us, we're actually going to use Fantasy Pro's football draft rankings for 2022 for PPR, which starts with McCaffrey, Taylor, Austin Eckler, and Dalvin Cook as the top four overall ranked players. And we're going to go through each position uh, each position group and we'll talk about, you know, who we'd like to target and, uh, and you know, maybe some sneaky uh, sleepers towards the end. So let's start with the QBs, Eric. Let's, uh, let's talk quarterbacks. Last year, was it was the first time in over a decade when we had a, a number one quarterback come back and have a number one season in back-to-back years. So Josh Allen kind of, uh, he got the monkey off the back for these quarterbacks now. And he is the number one QB in that tier with him up towards the top. Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Mahomes, and Lamar Jackson, who was banged up last year, but possibly a bounce back year. So that's sort of the top tier of quarterbacks. Now, what is your strategy with quarterback overall? Are you someone who tries to target a quarterback early, or do you you sort of wait and you I, just? I like to wait. I like yeah. to wait. I usually don't do it. Like my strategy when drafting is pretty simple. Um, I make a top two hundred list on based on the stuff I look at. My first three rounds, I draft whoever's highest remaining like leftover best player available for you i do best player available because i mean according to my data that's what i'm projecting to have the um the most points Mm -hmm. and then the next couple rounds i draft by need you know like maybe take a kyle pitts if he's lurking around draft a wide receiver and then um by the end of the seventh round i want to have all my starters done then I start looking at, um, you know, filling in bye weeks. And then about round 10, round 11, that's when I start looking for a quarterback. Now, let's say if you're drafting and one of these QBs in the top tier that I mentioned, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, let's say for some reason these guys have dropped maybe a round or two more uh, deeper than you would have thought. Let's say if you were for if you're not maybe if you're not forced, but of this top group, if if they were a good value draft, who would you maybe target of the top grouping if of the quarterbacks? Was, these if, four. If I was in the fifth round and Herbert or Mahomes were on the board still, I would seriously contemplate in taking them just because the offenses are going to be so yep. good in the AFC yep. West. Um, I actually have those guys one two on my board: Herbert one, Mahomes two. Um, so I would contemplate taking one of those two guys at, at round five. Um, I worry with Josh Allen. Um, he ran 30, he had a 35% carry share last year. Uh, I think that's going to decrease insanely amount with the offensive line coach. They hired with them drafting James Cook. I think they'll do a traditional zone running game a lot more. And also with the bills being the cream of the cop crop in the, um, in the AFC, is it like how you know what I mean? Like I think like with them being so good, his they might be beating teams up a lot, yeah. right? Yeah. And he's not going to be running like I think the best way for Josh Allen to do it is 
come playoff time, well then then you let him loose. Yeah. Right? Like then you you say, hey, you can run, you do whatever. But before that, I completely agree with you. I think they're gonna want to hand the ball off more and just get less hits on him yeah, until the I, end of the year. Yep, save him for the playoffs and everything. My worry with Lamar is um they're eight and three. And then he went down and they were they lost five, they lost six games in a row to miss the playoffs. I'm a little worried that they're seeing how valuable he is and how bad their team is when he doesn't play. So I think they're going to kind of limit his running ability. You know what I mean? Like you don't mm-hmm. want to get, get him hurt because like they have probably this year and maybe one more year left in their championship window. So I'm a little bit worried about Lamar. Like, so I really wouldn't draft him, but I really think he's going to, he has the potential to ball out. Cause he's been the video he, I've seen and me too. I've heard he's, he's slinging the ball over, but, I'm he may be, I'm going to, I think I'm going to DFS him the first couple weeks, you know, as to maybe like a little bit of a, like a saver. And I'm probably going to pick him in one or two leagues just in case. Cause you're right. Like I got a feeling he could have a monster year if, if they let him loose, but is it same sort of thing we're talking about with Josh Allen, right? Is it smart for them to let Lamar loose? Now, I don't know if they're going to be as good as Buffalo. So maybe they're in closer games where they kind of need Lamar to do stuff just to win those games or to keep them in games, but they have a pretty nice schedule this year too. Um, but that's that top group of quarterbacks. I usually don't like to go in that top group either. Cause you'll always see people sort of overreach to get a Mahomes or to get a Josh Allen. And they usually end up starting the train of quarterbacks too early. And then two other guys jump on in and all of a sudden the first three or four just go way earlier than they should. So the overall though, you you're a pretty big fan of Herbert and the and the Chargers this year too, just having like a good year, right? Yeah, I mean, kind of like the draft. I've been my draft strategy has kind of been to if I'm if it's between one guy or another guy, I tend to go with the AFC West guy. Yeah, that's a good that's a good. I like that. Now let's move to that next tier. Um, the next five that Fantasy Pros has: Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, Joe Burrow, Tom Brady, Russell Wilson. Do, do your rankings look a lot different than this? Are there anyone in this group that you would be thinking about targeting? I mean, I have Murray way down. I have Murray down. Yeah, me too. I just can't feel high about on him about everything that's been going on this year and their Um, offensive line. Yeah. They got some offensive line issues. Um, him and Kingsbury, uh, I'm, I have Hertz at seven just because you're going to get running back production from him. Um, the running, that's where he gets it from, those RPOs and everything. Yep. My he has a good floor, Hurts yeah. does, because of the running. Yeah, my only worry is, is people are going to, teams are going to start playing a linebacker spying him like they do with uh, Murray. That's my only really worry. I only, I got him at seven. Uh, Burrow, I have, right now, Burrow, I have four. But here's my issue with Burrow. They were um, 20th in pass attempts, 7th in passing yards. I look back, the majority of Burrow and Chase's production came on teams when teams blitz and he would just run a hot route and check it up and throw throw it up to Chase and make Chase make a play. I kind of feel like with Zach Taylor wanting to run the ball, them being so high in early down run rate when tied and when leading and their improvements in the offensive line, I think we're just going to see a drop into production just because they don't throw the ball that much. Mm-hmm. Um so I'm a little bit lower on Burrow um, after, like, doing um, my final rankings are going to come out this weekend. Um, uh, Russ, Brady, Russ and Brady. 
Brady, look, he's got some interior offensive line issues. I'm a little bit worried. About and I just, I don't want to take like, I'm not in the position, I'm not in the camp of like counting Tom Brady out yet. But I don't want to invest on him in full season fantasy right now either. Like he's already been missing camp. There's already one of these years. I want to be ahead of the curve than than like have Brady the year that he completely craters or retires again in the middle of the year or whatever. You know, like yeah. I just. I don't want to invest on him in full season. If you like a Brady and you want to throw him in a league on a weekly matchup in DFS, I'm fine with that. But I I don't want him full year. Yeah, 100%. Um, In terms of Wilson, you know, I'm still kind of a little bit worried about the finger issue, um, you know, changing offenses. I said it um, when we did our AFC West preview. The coordinator, excuse me, the coach Hackett and the coordinator whose name I'm spacing out for the Broncos, neither one of those guys have designed plays or called plays. So I'm a little, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the offense. It may not just be as smooth as people worried. think. They have a lot of pieces that fit, right? They have a couple of good backs. They have a couple of good receivers and a good quarterback. But it's not just magic, right? Yeah. It doesn't all come together. You have to get these guys in their space, in places to succeed. And maybe, you've said this before too, right? Maybe these guys are good play callers. But if they've never done it, it's not easy to go into the NFL and just call plays, right? You, it's not. I mean, you we have see, to like. We need to remember, like everyone is like saying how great Lafleur is and everything. He struggled that first year in Tennessee when he was their offensive coordinator. And Rodgers has even chirped about him too. It's not like their relationship's always been perfect. No, not yeah. So I don't know. Like this, this tier for fantasy pros. I wouldn't draft anyone here. The only one I'd even contemplate would be Hurts. Yeah, I agree. I don't like this tier very much at all. So then the next tier, this is probably where I'm going to end up, I think, with with who I draft in, in most of my drafts. This, like, 10 through 16-ish range. Dak, Trey Lance, Stafford, Aaron Rodgers, Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr, and Tua. They're in the next group for Fantasy Pros. So tell us a little bit about this group. Now, we just did hear... The day before you and I are recording that the 49ers signed Jimmy G to a one-year deal where he cannot be moved or traded. Actions speak louder than words, man. Like, right, right. there. Like, what does that tell you, there. obviously? Yeah. Him being there, that says a lot. Uh, they've lost. They're only returning one offensive lineman. Um, and this kid just hasn't played football. Like, everyone's comparing him to Josh Allen and everything just because he looks good in a pair of shorts and a tank top throwing the football. He didn't look that great those couple games he played. Now teams have film on him. He really hasn't played that much football over the last couple of years. I just think that, you know, him being this high, he's a complete, he's on one of my teams. I'm just not going to draft him at all. Prescott, I think Prescott's got some value. I think he's being a little bit overlooked. Um, Cowboys defense isn't as good as people think it is. It's going to be giving up a lot of points. Um, I think, you know, him, I'd definitely be interested in him. Stafford. Yeah, I, li- I like Dak a little bit too. He's probably one of my top targets just based on where he goes in his draft. And I think the value that you can get back from him. Yeah. I mean, I have him at five. I'm pretty, and high. he's second. So he's second year back from the injury now too, yeah. right? Correct. And so this is usually look- when you can get a little bit like you just get your legs under you a little more. Yeah. And he didn't look to run. I think, I think there's some value with him looking to run and everything. Yeah. Um, Aaron Rodgers really don't know what that passing game is going to be looking like. Nah, I probably want to steer away from him too. Um, um, I'm a little worried about that in terms of Cousins. Cousins, like, I know Minnesota is kind of like the buzz team and everyone's loving Minnesota. But my issue is this. 
everything that that offense does good, this new coach is taking away, like changing Kirk the Cousins, schemes and running game and the way Kirk they do. Cousins is one of the best percentage wise, efficient wise, one of the best play action passers in the NFL. The last couple, last three years, they're taking that away. Like why? You know, um, they're switching zone schemes. They're bringing it. They're going to run three more three wide receiver sets. There's just a lot of stuff going on there, and I think it's going to take a little time for everything to connect and get going the way they want it to go. To be honest, um, so I'm a little bit worried about Minnesota. I really don't want anything to do with anyone on the Vikings team. Um, Derek Carr. My issue with the Raiders is this: um, you need that guy that can stretch the field. So that way the safeties don't bite down and take away the underneath stuff from like Devontae, from Hunter, from Weller. If you don't have that guy that can at least keep the safeties off it, keep the safeties honest, it's really hard for the quarterback to get that underneath stuff. So but it, we've talked about this before. It's exactly like playing a bunch of bigs on a basketball team. Yeah. On the basketball court, when you don't have any three, any like really good three point shooters that just keep the defense honest, that force them to step out, even if those guys aren't High, like, even if they're not 20 point a game scorers, but if there's someone that hits a three pointer at 40%, you've got to step out and defend them. It's the yeah. same thing having the streaker, you know? Yeah, you have to keep it honest, you have to keep it respectful. And, um, I don't know, I think they're gonna, I, I, I think that offense could struggle a little bit. Um, the, the one thing is though, it is in the AFC West because yep. of that, there's gonna be points put up. Yep, um, and they might get some garbage time points too. Right, yeah. he could be a very good garbage time team. Um, so yeah, he. I'm not towards the bottom. You know, I'm not. I'm not too cold on him. I actually like him where he's going better than some others. Our boy Tua. What about Tua Fields, uh, Lawrence, the young kids? There's no way I'm gonna draft Tua. Like, yeah, I'm sorry. No like, there's no way I'm gonna draft Tua. Fields. Fields has the rushing potential. So, so he's got. He's another with a good floor. Right. Yeah. Awful. Awful line. Like awful playmakers around him. But he does seem like he's got at least a nice floor and maybe some garbage time rushing. Yeah. Um, Lawrence, you know, he's looked good in camp. Everyone in my everyone I talked to in the Jakes camp, you know, says he looks good, says he looks a lot better, getting some coaching. This could be a sneaky guy, someone who's like, you know what I mean? Someone yeah. this bottom tier guy. But the next guy, this guy number 19, I'm telling you guys, this is the guy right here. This guy's gonna finish top 12 in fantasy football production, Jameis Winston, if he can stay healthy. The only question with him is if 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 he can stay healthy. If Jameis Winston stays healthy, plays a full season, he's top twelve. He's the guy that you can draft. Because now it looks later. like Kamara won't really have to deal with any of his um, legal issues till after what, the year. What right? I'm hearing is this: it's possible that the Saints realize he's going to get a six game suspension if the Saints are in good contention for the playoffs. Okay, they do so it themselves. They would they would have him miss the last two games of the year, so that means he'd miss. Kamara could miss your fantasy football championship, and then do the net and then play the playoffs, and then do the next first four games to open up next season, thus getting the six games. And how, with how the NFL works, as crazy as it sounds, that's a legit possibility. Um, you mentioned how Drew Brees when we started this, he was the last quarterback to go back to back. His top three productions. Whereas when Carmichael, who's still the offensive coordinator, was calling plays, he has full control of the offense now. He's going to be the one calling plays. Carmichael was the guy that put Michael Thomas and Kamara on the same side. 
Carmichael's the guy that's responsible for the most production out of the Saints offensive franchise history. I think Winston's in line for a stellar season. This fantasy pros only has him at 19. I mean, this guy is an absolute stud. If you can get him this this late, I'm telling you guys, he's going to finish top 12. So some of the quarterbacks that you a little high on or possibilities, um, Hertz, Dak, uh, we talked a little bit about fields, but seems like Winston is someone that towards the bottom you think will uh, will have a better year than most. Anyone else below him? Some of the other starters we've got: Matt Ryan, Tannehill, Daniel Jones, Mac Jones, Goff, Wentz, Zach Wilson, Baker, your boy Davis Mills. Anything to mention about any of them? Marcus Mariota. There we go. Um, you know you're going to get that rushing upside, and when you can get that rushing upside, we've seen it. That that quarterback brings a little bit more to the table than a normal drop back passer. So I definitely like someone like a Marcus Mariota. You can kind of stream. You can kind of stream at the end. And the nice thing about having Jameis Winston is his buy isn't until week fourteen. So, so you you can, you, you so can, you can have another bench him. spot. Yeah. yeah, you can draft him. Most teams have an injured reserve spot, and then just kind of wait and then streamline a quarterback that week. So. And what I did in one league was I drafted Winston last round. Deshaun Watson was sitting there. My roster was stacked as is. I just took a flyer on Watson, you know, because yeah. if, if he busts out, which is possible because he hasn't played a game since January 3rd of 2021, it's possible. But, you know, if he comes and he does well, then I can just sub, sub Winston out and put in Watson. I'm in a great position. Let's move on over to the running backs where uh, you have McCaffrey coming off the back-to-back injury years, and he's still up top. The top tier of running backs on the rankings, Christian McCaffrey, Jonathan Taylor, Austin uh, Eckler, Dalvin Cook. So let's say you have the number one overall pick in a draft. Who are you taking? You have to take Taylor. I mean, what is this? What is this floor? Five? Yeah. His floor is five. And the reality of the situation is, you know, like people like most first round picks like don't hit. So I want the person where I have the least amount of variance and that, well, who's that guy? Jonathan Taylor. So if I had the first round pick, excuse me, I would take him. I agree. I- I'm going to steer a little bit away from McCaffrey that high. Cause you're just not getting like McCaffrey is a-, a guy who you would play as a value play on a bounce back year, not the top, top overall pick. Um, Eckler, Dalvin Cook, I mean, they're in that tier. Are those either guys that you think are going to have good years this year or target or um, mainly just Taylor, the one that sticks out from you sort of towards the top? Um, I like Eckler. Um, I have him at three. My worry is this. He did make a comment how he hopes his workload decreases a little bit. But in PPR, he's such a big part of the offense that, you know, I. The receiving. I, good receive. I, I I would take him. Um, Dalvin Cook, like. This guy misses so much time. He's missed 31% of his games in the NFL. They're switching blocking schemes. You look at his production in the in the league. He's done his best production in the league running in his own concept. Now you're switching to a power concept. They're gonna he's a zero factor in the plat in the pass catching game. Plus, the coach said they're gonna want to run the ball more on first down. They're looking to be a run a pass, excuse me, pass the ball more on first down, use a pass to set up the run. It doesn't make sense to me why everybody's liking Cook 
when the coach even says they're going to throw and run less. It, and he, he's not a pass catcher. So I just, I just don't understand the Delvin Cook love. I actually have Cook as my running back 12. So the next group is a little bit bigger of a group. It's not necessarily your uh, maybe your first overall pick, but you, you're probably going to be it's going to be your RB ones. Najee Harris, Derek Henry off the injury, DeAndre Swift for your Lions, Joe Mixon, and let's go Barkley. Let's take those five uh, first. Talk a little bit about that group. Anyone you like? Anyone you don't like? Anything that's different from your rankings? Someone you're targeting? I absolutely. Love Najee Harris. Um, nice. I like Najee Harris a lot. Um, he, there's nobody there. There's like honestly like nobody there to um, to spell him. There's no backup. Him. You know he led all running backs in snap percentage last year, eighty four percent. Um, you know I mean there's honestly just nobody there. I like I understand his production in the receiving game is going to go down with Big Ben not chucking him down, but there's nobody to like really compete with carries with him so I definitely like him a lot um I like Joe Mixon a lot I got Joe Mixon at number two I think with how much they like to run the ball um they're gonna run the ball a lot more I know he's I know he doesn't really play third down but you look at the Bengals last year they really they had the least amount of third down plays in the league last year which was kind of surprising um so I'm definitely going to um target him DeAndre Swift I love the kid I'm just worried about his injury history. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, and, um, you know, great offensive line, just a little worried about his injury history. Um, Kamara, I'm not worried about the suspension with Kamara. I'm worried about how his production keeps on dropping. Just and he's dipping. Never, and and dipping. He's, never, he's never had a thousand yard, a, a thousand yard um, season. I mean, I have him at running. I have him one below Delvin Cook. I have him at running back 13. I'm kind of a little bit lower on Kamara just because of the dip in production. Saquon Barkley, look, you know, you've had two season ending injuries. <sighs> you know, new coach, new scheme. I don't know. I'm just a, I'm just a little worried I'm about gun shy Sa- too. Me too with him. I'm, I'm just a little worried about Saquon Barkley. I mean, you know, I I do, you know, respect factor. I put him at eleven just with my product my model and everything. But do but, but think about it. Do you want to invest like a would, second, you know, like a really high pick, your RB. No, I wouldn't invest. Uh, you know? I wouldn't invest any pick on him at all. Me neither. Um, That's the problem. Below him. So what do we got? Yeah, we got Jones, Fournette, Javante Williams, Nick like, Chubb. I like Aaron Jones a lot just because the Packers have some issues in the interior of their offensive line. I think this is going to be a little bit more of an offensive line that runs outside zone because their tackles are so good. With that being said, I like Aaron Jones. If I can get Jones in the end of the second third round i definitely take him i kind of um, like both the the backs from green bay this year i don't even think dylan is is a bad late flyer because i feel like they may need to get both of these guys more involved in some receiving yeah. too so that way maybe dylan's got the the ball a little bit more back there maybe jones runs some routes a little bit i just think they may be the guys they lean on in green bay a little bit this year yeah i i agree a hundred percent um Leonard Fournette want nothing to do with him. Interior of the offensive line, a lot of yep. questions. Um, this is see, there's certain sites I just don't get, and I'm gonna read some stuff about our next two guys, Javante Williams and Nick Chubb. Um, despite splitting time with Melvin Gordon, Williams led all running backs in broken tackles, 31 rushing attempts per broken tackles, 6.5. He was also second on running backs in missed tackles, 463. 
Fourth in yards after contact per attempt, 3.42. Ninth in total yards after contact, 460. And sixth in yards after contact per attempt, 2.4. So you bring in, and the, and the Broncos face the fifth most stacked boxes. Now you bring in Russell Wilson, a veteran quarterback who's going to realize those stack boxes and going to be able to audible out of those stack boxes. So you have to keep the safeties, safeties, um, you know, the safeties can't Honest. sit down. Yeah. I like I have Javante Williams, number five. Like I, I, I have him. I kept him in a keeper league where yeah. you're allowed to keep one. I kept him over. Well, I could sort of see what's going to happen too with some of the way the guys are keeping. I kept him over Justin Jefferson. Um, just because I wanted the running back and I knew I'd be able to get either Jefferson or cup back as a receiver. So I kept Javante. He's yeah. one of my, one of my targets. And you and I talked about this too. Melvin Gordon sort of made a comment that seems like it's going to be a lot more Javante this year also. And then he kind of was like, Oh, well, he sort of walked it back a little bit, but I, I, I think he is primed and ready for a big year. I, I'm very high on him. Yeah. I like him a lot. Um, this next guy coming up, you know my love affair with this guy. I think he's the best running back in the NFL. And you know what? The stats I'm going to read are going to back it up. Um, 1,200-plus total yards, 8-plus TDs, averaged over 5.1 yards per carry in each of his first four seasons. Last season, rushed for the second-most yards, third-most breakaway runs, the second-highest breakaway run rate, forced the fifth-most missed tackles, gained the second-most yards after contact had the most yards after contact per attempt was third in the NFL in evaded tackles was second in evaded tackles per game and was third in broken tackles per carry. And PFF has this elusive, elusive rate, elusive. I, I think it's like a loose, it's called a elusive something. He was the second best runner in elusive. That means like you're a good running back with no blocking. I how the hell do they have Nick Chubb this low? Like it makes and the Browns have a great offensive line. So I is it mainly know. just because of the hunt and like what we said is that Chubb they don't some the one the only frustration that you've ever had with Chubb is nothing that is in control is that he doesn't get the ball thirty times a game. He should be. I mean, like I know he, he really should get the balls the ball as much as he does. That is a little worrisome, but I mean with but even like you know look you just look at him he's just. He's just consistent. You know what I mean? At the end when of the, the first day, part of their year, they're not going to have Watson. So they're going to need to lean on the running game more. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to, they're going to have to lean on a little bit more. I think he's being, and I'm like, look, if you're getting Chubb in the, if you're getting Nick Chubb in the third round, you're an, you're an absolute buffoon. If you don't draft him. That's not a bad spot. I know that really is. And he's low right now. Um, let's talk about the guys below Chubb. So the next group, give me one of these guys that you like, or maybe one that you don't Connor, Ezekiel Elliott, Travis Etienne, David Montgomery, Brees Hall. Well, uh, last night in my, um, my little live stream, I do recording this on Friday. No, on Friday. Jesus. On Wednesday. I know you're already ahead of yourself, huh? I know. <laughs> I know that just tells you how much I need the weekend. Um, I really like David Montgomery, you know, um, Fifth most touches, ninth most total yards, 11th most fantasy points among running backs. Finishes the 15th highest scoring running back in fantasy points per game. You have to figure with Damon Williams leaving via free agency and Tariq Cohen out for the season. He's going to play a bigger role in the passing game. Also, he averaged a whole yard more per zone runs. They're switching to a strictly zone-based running scheme. And you're going to have RPOs with uh, Justin Fields. 
excuse me, where they're going to hold the linebackers. Montgomery's that other guy in the third round that you can get that I absolutely love. Um, in this tier right here, I mean, look, James Conner was a red zone god. 15 touchdowns, most touchdowns in the red zone last year. Um, that he's just due for some regression. I know, you with know? their line and even with Kyler maybe stealing a few of those too, right? Yeah, I just... He's just do he's just due for some regression. I would I would definitely avoid him and I you know you have to avoid Brees Hall too. Yep. That next group of running backs, Cam Akers, AJ Dillon, Josh, <clears throat> Josh Jacobs, Elijah Mitchell, JK Dobbins, uh Chase Edmonds. Let's talk about them. I'll be honest, like um Akers offensive line issues with the Rams, the Achilles injury, there's no way I'm touching him. Scares me. Me too. Yeah. Dylan, you mentioned him. I would I would definitely look to go to Dylan. I would I would take him. Josh Jacobs, uh, I think McDaniel's gonna follow follow the steps of um Belichick run uh running backs final year of the contract, run him into the ground, twenty four year old playing for his next contract. No nothing motivates people more than money. I definitely look to invest in him. Elijah Mitchell and J.J. Dobbins, huge injury concerns. We didn't draft either one of those. Chase Edmonds, you know, look, changing over, changing, you know, he's either going to be a how His floor is very low and his ceiling is pretty high. I agree. Like a has, wide range, yeah, right? So too many variables. You know, I want to, with that many, if he's around in the fifth round, would I take a flyer on him? Yeah. But I wouldn't take him anything higher than Don't that. reach. Don't reach yeah. for him. If he's dropped to you and he's there and you've already got like a starting RB or you've got your starting two running backs at this point, then okay, maybe he's a nice flex or flyer or he can end up being a starting running back. But I agree that that backfield in Miami could be weird because it's really yeah. congested. There's a, a lot of depth There's there. There's a lot going on there. Um, yeah. Antonio Gibson. Now, look, I, I don't mean to be mean with this comment. But if Brian Robinson doesn't get carjacked, he's not running back one. They're no, he's not. For every reason to bench him. Yes. I would not draft him. Me neither. All. Great to hear Robinson's out of the hospital. He was in the facility yesterday. I wish the kid nothing but well. Um, Clyde Rousselaire, look, same thing. Too small, can't run in between the tackles. The Kansas City's just looking for a reason for him not to play. Uh, Kareem Hunt wants to be traded. Six right injury. Six Injuries to the same right leg since he's getting in the leg. No way. Uh, Tony Pollard, you know, maybe. Yeah, you know. he's he, he's fine. And at, at you that, know, if like, you draft Elliott, you have to draft Pollard. I agree. 100%. I agree. Let's hit our next tier. Um, we got Miles Sanders, Damian Pierce, Damian Harris, Rashad Penny, Ramonde Street, Stevenson. So we've got both of the New England running backs in here. We've got Cordell Patterson, Devin Singletary, Melvin Gordon. And so now we're getting into a lot of the the, the backups more so than anything. This is now like timeshares I mean, like and, and backups. Philly's got a good running scheme. For whatever reason, he just doesn't get touchdowns. Um, that's the worry right there with drafting him. My issue, like, I know with Marlon Mack being released, Damian Pierce is like the it guy now. You have all these little people coming out on Instagram and Twitter saying, oh, you have to draft him. Nothing has changed since the time when he was being drafted in the 12th round. He's still going to split time. If you're drafting him anything in the third round or higher, bad pick in my guys. Uh, Damian Harris, Rashawn Stevenson, Belichick just runs with a hot hand. It's a gamble either way. Um, I think Harris, with Belichick's history of running running backs in the ground, I think he does have some value. Uh, Penny, his running style doesn't match the zone concept that the Seattle is going to be running. 
I'd much rather have Kenneth Walker. Cordell Patterson strides are too big. Gadget player. Um, Arthur Smith was just doing what he had to do last year. The fact they do have Williams, they drafted the kid Aguilar. I think Patterson is out. I don't think we're going to see him play that much. Um, the-, the two guys that I'm right below them that I'm fine with taking, especially if if you at this point you filled up your starting running back position. I think really good flyers are Alexander Madison and James Robinson. Guys that if they were your RB1, like if they, with an injury, they all of a sudden become a, a very important player and someone who could win you league, like win you leagues, win you week to week. But they may not be able to have value right away or unless they, you need a little luck with them. See, my I, I don't like Madison this year just because I look back, like I have a lot of free time on my hands. I look back. He has never run in any own Scott's concept. So that's my one worry with him. Um, I'm telling you, the 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 person is number 39, James Cook. Zone runner. Um, you look at the Bills, they're switching to his zone concept. Singletary's never ran in a zone concept before. James Cook was legit zone runner, used a second round pick on him. They brought in the two linemen from um from Tennessee. I think Cook by the end of end of the year he's going to be that guy that you get in the eighth round like a lot like you know how like elijah mitchell before he got hurt or Debo mm-hmm. last year for you like that guy you pick that in the eighth round that's just at the back half of the season is just having a tremendous stud. production i like him um same thing with kenneth walker with the way seattle's gonna block kenneth walker is a better runner um so i mean in that tier those would be i love james robinson to death um i'm just a little worried about his injury now give us uh, so that's about the top fifty or so. Give us two or three below this that are a little deeper in the draft flyers that you want to take a shot on. Um, Gus Edwards. Um, oh no, I, I let me retract that. Um, Kenyon Drake. Um, he did get released, but he just did get signed yesterday by the Baltimore Ravens. The fact the Ravens signed him kind of tends me to leave that, like uh, that JT Dobbins isn't going to be active for the beginning of the season. Um, so you could get some value with uh, Drake there. And we, he has this history of just coming up and just kind of producing out of nowhere. Uh, Gus Edwards isn't going to be ready till about week eight. So um, I think Kenyon Drake's going to be that guy you can get a little bit of a flyer on. Um, and then I mentioned him, the kid in Atlanta, Tyler Agrier. I think he's going to be the RB one. I think he's got great value. Ala, yeah, ty, uh, the the rook there. So yeah, um, yeah, a couple uh, deeper running backs to target from Eric. He'll always have the uh, the rankings and stuff up each and every week, and we'll talk with Eric all throughout the year. So we'll be able to target guys, you know, e- each and every week and continue on. Let's continue on to the wide receivers, my friend, as uh, we have a top tier of wide receivers: Justin Jefferson and Cooper Cup. They're kind of the one, the the top tier, and then Jamar Chase and Stephon Diggs. Are really like the top four receivers that are going in most drafts. Talk to us about that top group of wide receivers. If Cooper Cup is a thirty percentage in drop of production, he's still your wide receiver one. I'm sorry, <laughs> I don't understand how he can't be your number one. I understand you got Allen Robinson, you brought him in, but with um, what you call its history of Stafford's history of throwing to the number one wideout, look, it's, I I'm gonna be if if I have a chance to get Cooper Cup, I'll take Cooper Cup. Uh, Justin Jefferson, I'm worried in doing more three wide receiver sets. Whose targets is that going to cut in? Is that going to cut into a combination of Thielen, Jefferson, or both? 
I, you know, I'm just worried a little bit about Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase. I spoke about that earlier. Uh, he had so much of his production off of hot routes during blitzes. Is that going to go down? A little concerned about that. Um, Stefan Diggs, you know, look, I think the Bills are going to be the best team in the league right now. Um, are they really going to have to throw the ball that much? Yeah, is he going to need monster games? Or is he's good on? He's a great football player, but is he going to be one of the best fantasy wide receivers this year? I'm not sure. So I just, I, you know, I, I just want to do anything with that. So I mean, like in that top tier, the only guy like I really want is Cooper Cup. And then the next group we have Devonte Adams, C.D. Lamb, Tyreek Hill, Mike Evans, and let's include the next few: uh, Keenan Allen, Pittman, and then Debo. Um, Devante, look, they, did he go to college with Carr? But that was 12 years ago. Uh, I mentioned this thing about no deep threat. You can say all you want about Aaron Rodgers and everything. Look, he had a deep threat there. They had Valdez Scanlon who just constantly ran flies, you know, so they, they, at least they had that guy that kept the safeties, safeties honest. So I'm a little worried about Adams, um, CD lamb. Look, you know, when you and I did, the uh, draft breakdown. I was adamant. I wasn't high on CD. I think he's going to struggle this year. I don't think he's a number one wide receiver. I don't want anything to do with him. Tyreek Hill, Tua has Tua. Enough said. That's just someone I just don't want. Um, yeah, because I don't really like this tier very much either. Like the Devonte, CD, Tyreek, Mike Evans. Th- this well, my group. Thing with, my thing with Mike Evans: eight straight th- seasons, a thousand yards plus receiving, double digit touchdowns in both years with Brady, and Godwin's going to miss the start of the season. I think Evans is this dude who's just kind of there just by, you know, just by like, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Availability. Yeah. Yeah, Process of elimination. He's he's, he's the one that he's going to be the guy that produces. So I definitely, I definitely like him. Look, I said it before. Any, anytime you can get anyone in the AFC West, you just, you just should do it. You know, Um, if you're, if you're close, right. If you're picking between a couple people and you're like, I'm not sure. Do I go this guy or that guy? If you have a chance, like we said, maybe you lean AFC West when yeah. it's that when it's the determining factor. And like Keenan Allen, yeah, uh, Keenan Allen would be last great. year. He was he scored as a wide receiver too. He played 16 games last year in 10 out of 16 games. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's that's just someone not flashy. Just but uh, that's a nice floor. That's consistency. Yeah. Like week yeah. in, week out, you sort of know what you're gonna get. That's a nice way to start your team, having yeah. one of those things just kind of kind of like slotted in. Um, Pittman, I know he's getting a lot of hype, but there's a lot of question marks. You know what I mean? Well, cause he's um, going to be the one he's like number one, right? He's yeah. wide receiver one. Now you're the guy. Let's see. Can you Let's take see. the next step? But I know you're pretty high on Debo, right? And some of the stuff written into his contract. <laughs> yeah. Because he has a, he has a r- rushing prop rushing thing written in the fact yeah. is that it means he's going to run the ball. Um, you know, I just, I, like AJ Brown, we've said it's there. Um, AJ Brown want nothing to do with. I think it, the Eagles are going to struggle a little bit. When AJ Brown is another one of those instances where, at the end of the year, he's going to make their football team a better football team. And in in playoff games, or having a guy like AJ Brown is great on third down and six when you need to go get a big play. But are they going to force him the ball? Right? Is he going to be that producer like he's been in years past? I'm not and sure. You just look, his drops were up. Yards after the catch were up. He's they run know, the ball so much. Fine. Yeah. Um, T Higgins to me is just a DFS dude. Anytime you play a team that plays zone, it's it's T Higgins, man to man team. It's Jamar Chase. It's you upgrade the it. Carolina guys with uh with Baker now, like DJ Moore. I like DJ Moore a lot. I think he's one of those guys. He's just consistent. Everything he's he, done the last. He's very year. much like Baker. you said with Mike Evans. Like you kind of 
you don't really realize how consistent he is until you look back and you're like, wow, this guy just like really produces under the radar. Yeah, I definitely like him a lot. Uh, Deontay Johnson, big, these quarterbacks always throw to the same person. No, excuse me, the same position. Have it be Stafford with Cooper Cup and Calvin Johnson, Big Ben with uh, Antonio Brown, Deontay Johnson. Um, I am going to be avoiding Deontay Johnson. I have players I won't be drafting on my website. Deontay Johnson is one of the players I will not be drafting on my uh, that's on my list. There's just I think his production is going to go down. Um, Jalen Waddle, I just don't I don't get it. You know what I mean? Like with what Miami wants to do, they can't their offense isn't built to have two high profiled wide receivers scoring a lot in fantasy football. Um, uh, Brandon Cooks, insanely undervalued. I agree. He's another one that just yeah. you look down and it's like, oh, Cooks scored 13, 15, 16, 16 each week, right? Yeah. Just consistently there for you. Insanely, insanely undervalued. You just look at his production when he's done the last couple of years, two back to back thousand yards season, and he gets such a high percentage of the targets. He's just the dude for the Texans. Now, uh, what about the Denver receivers? Do you have any preference or of them? Do you are you even going to target any of the Denver receivers? I have Cortland Sutton in a couple drafts. I think he's going to be their number one. Um, I just just what Wilson likes to do, kind of throw it up, throw it downfield. That's what Sutton is. Um, I think that Sutton's going to be the quote unquote guy there. I think he's going to be the number one wide receiver. Um, DK, I think DK is kind of a little bit undervalued. Uh, what Seattle's going to want to do is look, you know, two, three step drops, get the ball to Geno Smith's hands, get it to a wide receiver, make him play, make a play. I think DK and PPR is being a little bit overlooked. Hollywood Brown, Mooney, want nothing to do with Michael Thomas. I think he's kind of worth a flyer. You know, I'm a little yeah. bit worried, but if you can get him in like the seventh, eighth round, I mean, I think you should totally take a chance on him just because look, he had it's a league production winner with, yeah, he had a production with Carmichael as the offensive coordinator. Um, he didn't get along with Drew. Drew's gone. I think he's definitely worth a shot. Uh, St. Brown, no chance. Um, I know he's getting a lot of hype, but if you just kind of look at his, all his production came when, when there was Hawk no one was, else around. Yeah. When Hawk was out, when you, you know, they only had 38 abandoned top abandoned targets from last year's team. Hawk is back fully healthy. They trade it. They signed DJ shark. Um, after four weeks, Williamson, the kid from Alabama is coming in. I just don't think there's going to be that many ball. There's only one football at the yeah. end of the day. Uh, a little worried about him. What about, um, okay, Rashad, I'm going to ask about a few guys that I'm a little high on, uh, Rashad Bateman. What do you think about his chances this year? I like the other guy. I think it's going to be DuVernay. That's going to be the number one guy. I'm not high on Bateman. I think it's going to be DuVernay, the kid from Texas. Let's talk uh, Brandon Ayuk. There's been a lot of buzz about him um, kind of stepping forward. What do you, what did you think about his You chances? look at his production last year. His production last year was in games when Debo was pri- was used as a running back. It's a good note. It's a good note. You know what I mean? So if he, it, so he, when he was getting his catches, that's when Debo was in the running back was playing the, the RB. When he, when Debo wasn't playing the RB, Debo was in that position in the field and those passes were going to him. So that's why I'm a little bit off of the Brandon Ayuk train. Okay. Um, two or three more receivers I want to ask about. And then you give me a couple, uh, Alan Lazard with, for green Bay. I have from two very reliable sources that I trust that he's the, he's going to be the wide receiver one. 
I think he's someone that you should target too late in your drafts. He could be that guy. So like I said, somebody has to step up for Green Bay. Maybe it's the running backs that they get involved more, but I feel like Lazard is a, a good flyer later here. How about Robert Woods going over to Tennessee? I just don't know, man. I mean, that's just he's coming back. I I, I don't like backing guys right after a season of eight. What about, um, so Kansas City, someone like Marquez Valdez-Scantling going over there to KC. Is he someone that you would target? Juju Below Smith. him, you have Devontae. Juju, Juju Smith Juju? is the guy, the guy in KC. Going to go back to playing the slot, getting a little get a little bit over um, overlooked. Mahomes has never had a true slot wide receiver. Juju's going around wide receiver 30. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's not a bad look. Give us a couple more uh, wide receivers, Eric. A uh, couple guys that are getting a little bit overlooked. Um, Chris Overlay, wide receiver, forty-five. The rook. Um, the rook. He's gonna constantly get beginning the third DB. I think there's insane value there. Uh, wouldn't surprise me if Rondell Moore, the guy from remember last year when he was being drafted in the fourth round. He's wide receiver, fifty-four now. I think he's gonna be the Debo role for the um, for the Cardinals. I think he's being a little bit. Overlooked um, wide receivers and the last one wide receiver 68 Corey Davis when he played and Zach Wilson was in there 21% target share. He was the guy that um, Zach Wilson was targeting not Elijah Moore all Elijah Moore's production came when Mike White was the quarterback or when Corey Davis was out when both of them played Corey Davis significant advantage in targets. So yeah, Corey Davis I think is insanely being overlooked here. So we go to tight end and strategy for drafting tight end is much different. It's you you only need your one tight end. Um, so do you, same sort of thing. I think with quarterback, do you have a strategy going in? Is there, you know, my strategy else? this year is a little different. My strategy okay, tell this us year about is it. just tell us about it. Yeah, go ahead. If I can get Kyle Pitts in the fourth round, I'm going to take Kyle Pitts. So that's if, where you're going into your drafts thinking fourth round Kyle Pitts. And then if that doesn't happen, then I call audibles. If I, if but you're I not you're get, not looking for Kelsey or Andrews at all. No, no, I'm not looking for Kelsey or Andrews. No, me Andrews. neither. They're too high. They're that, too high. That was his ceiling last year. He's going to go down. And now in you're paying for last Kelsey, year with Andrews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms of Travis Kelsey, turning 30, he's when this is when production tends to go down. That's an avoid. I would definitely look at at Pitts. Pitts in the fourth round. If I don't get Pitts, and this is going to sound crazy, I am waiting. All the way until probably round 14, around 15, and I'm drafting Evan Ingram. Um, there's been a significant connection with him and Trevor Lawrence in camp. You look at the production of the um, tight end under the Peterson offense. There was only, I think, three tight ends that averaged 10 points per game last year in terms of fantasy. Every year in a Peterson offense, the tight end has averaged 10 points per game. So I would draft. I'm gonna draft Henry Aaron in the 14th round, and then so he's with the Jags him. now. Yeah, and then to back him up, I'm going Austin Hooper. I mean, the tight end is such a big part of the Tennessee offense. Um, you look at the production that you know Jonu Smith. Jonu Smith was there. Jonu Smith a couple of years ago routinely getting seven points per game. Yeah. Um, you know, I just feel that I'll take a flyer on Austin Hooper late. Um, I mean, that's there's just so many people like. I don't want Kittle because of his injury history. You know, Hawkinson, you know, so many balls. Like, you know what I mean? There's like. There's a lot more playmakers yeah. around now there than it, were, it was um, a couple years ago. So what about Schultz. that Then that next tier? You've got Schultz is another one who 
he might be okay, but you you're paying for him off of his good last year. Yeah, you're buying him at a high because of that. There's no way I would do that. Um, Fryermuth, yeah, was... Knox, Hunter Henry, Gasecki, anyone in that group that you'd be okay with having? I don't mind Fryermuth as much, like his. At least a tight end, a big target, and I could see that you know young quarterbacks having to go to him again, or you know not experienced quarterbacks. I don't, I don't hate him. Uh, is there anyone in that group who, if you you kind of got stuck with, I mean, like an Albert O, a Njoku, anyone there at all? Because I agree, I'm not, I like, I'm not really I, high on this position like this year at all. Njoku, Njoku, I think be worth a flyer. Um, with yeah, because he's another one with with no Watson. Now you need you know an easy kind of big target for Jacoby. Yeah, um, a guy next here, Gerald Everett. You know, he's just kind of like a quiet guy. You know, nineteen. You're right. You know, he's in the um, Chargers offense. Those AFC West teams are going to have to put up points. That could be a guy definitely worth a flyer. Um, if you're going two tight ends, too, I don't mind taking a flyer on Tanyan as one of them. Just for yeah. what we've been saying about Green Bay is going to have to find someone. Right, and maybe it's Tanyan that gets some touchdowns or has a nice connection. So I wouldn't mind if you're going to go two tight ends and you're going to draft like two kind of flyers. I don't mind taking him as one of them. Any other tight end you want to mention? Um, I got a couple actually. Um, I am Logan Thomas from the Commanders. Yeah, has a history of targeting the tight end position. And when he's ta- when he's healthy, he's really talented and really good. His his concern or the issues with him has just been health. Right, yep. If you don't have to spend up for him, then you could take a flyer on him and maybe use him some weeks. Um, and then my last two, you know, like Isaiah Likely, you know, he's but lights out in um, preseason games. It wouldn't surprise me because they do run so many 13 sets. That's three tight ends with Baltimore that he is a part of that passing game. Um, as crazy as it sounds, taking him over Andrews. And um, the last one is, oh, my God, I totally had him right here. I'm sorry. Where the heck did he go? Cameron Bray. Yeah. Um. You know, look, Brady likes to target the tight end. No Gronk, no Godwin. God only knows we're getting it from Julio. They released Tyler Johnson later earlier today. I think he's there. I would definitely avoid Tyler Conklin, though. Minnesota is going to be running a lot more. Uh, oh, no, from, he's from the Jets. Who's the guy from Minnesota's tight end? Irv. Is it Irv Smith? Irv Smith, yeah. I would definitely avoid him just because they're going to be running a lot more um, three wide receiver sets. And – Two minutes, Eric. Give me a a defense or two that you might be looking at. Um, for me, I do like the way that the 49ers open up the year just from a, a schedule standpoint. So they may be one that's okay. Talk to us about a couple defenses you may be taking a look at. All right. Uh, I'm not going to state the obvious. I'm going to say the commanders. Um, you look at what they did the second half of the season. If that and they're getting um, Chase Young back. With how well they played the second half of the season, I think this defense is going to be a top-tier defense. I really like them. Um, another defense that I like that I think is getting a little bit, like, just kind of overlooked is the Panthers. Um, very legit up front with their front seven. little bit of their worry with the back four, but when you think about it, you know, that you play the Falcons twice, a lot of question marks. You know, you play the Browns early on. Just, the, just how their schedule is. Like it plays very favorable for them to have a good a good defense that could win you a uh, fantasy football championship. Eric, my friend, uh, we'll be touching base with you each and every week, and we'll talk about how these rankings uh, have adjusted, or uh, or you know maybe players that are, have, weren't even on our radar now that have just jumped up because of injury or um, coaching changes or um, you know any sort of uh, player movement. 
Tell everybody again where can they find all of your rankings and uh, and if they need any help putting together fantasy drafts and uh, and lineups. Um, all my stuff is on my website etalk21sports.com. Um, I'll be doing a little fantasy football segment on my podcast, which will be coming out Fridays during the football season, and I will be having kind of a um like a recap on my little live stream that I do every Tuesday night, 10 p.m. Eastern on you on YouTube and Twitch. Eric, buddy, thank you so much, my friend. We got through all of the teams individually. We got through a fantasy preview positions and we've got it all. So whatever anybody needs, we've got you taken care of. And now we're just a week away, my friend. I look forward to talking with you uh, each and every week about each and every game. Should be fun. Looking forward to it, my friend. Let's do it. Thanks so much to Eric. Make sure to go give him a follow. You'll hear him every single week here talking NFL coming up. Don't go anywhere, folks. Still a lot more to discuss on this episode. Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF Mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to drf.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version, and even on the classic past performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view, and any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances. You get an interactive format, which is very similar to the DRF classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering, multiple formats to view. You got the overview page with recent speed figures, current day's odds, easy access to expert selections and analysis. You got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse. And you got those traditional DRF pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones. They are constantly upgrading, improving, and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at DRF.com.
Stable Duel app and play today. Join us on Friday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time for the uh, Summer Stream, our Stable Duel live stream where we give out best bets for the weekend. Barry Spears and Matt DeSantis join me every week, 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific Time. We'll get you all the details for the Stable Duel weekend schedule, and we give out best bets. And the only horses we give out at that show are 5 to 1 over. We don't give out any chalk at all. It's the no chalk zone. So these are all horses that could really help you out in your stable dual lineups. Get those entries in and play, race, win. Let's talk some racing for Friday. Let's head on over to Saratoga. Three horses I'm looking at for Saratoga Friday. We're looking at September the 2nd. And I'm going to look at race number one. I'm going to go to the outside with the, the number 10, Nice and Spicy. The debut, this horse was just slow, honestly, and got crossed over on and was back to last five or six lengths off, and that was it. Just never had a shot that day. I'm just expecting a lot better of a trip this time. The experience goes a long way. Nobody in this race really scares the heck out of me, so I think that race of experience will really help. Nice and spicy, 6-1 to one on the morning line. Throw him into your early pick five. Throw her into your early pick five and make sure to use her in... Uh, uh, any early exotics that you're playing She's a good, She's got to be about 4-1 to one or so If I'm going to make a win wager there In race number 4 The number 3 No Chalk Is 8-1 to one on the morning line She had a slow start from the rail She moved up nicely Just behind the leaders She was third <clears throat> She was waiting for room And she angled 3 wide I thought her effort was pretty good She Ends up you know, winning really impressively. That's at Finger Lakes. Now, look at her races. At Aqueduct, she won. She won at Belmont. She's able to go a mile. She has some speed. She can sit just off. She's beat open company, and she's won at a mile, and she's going to get Lasix for the first time. I think it's a good spot for her, but she'll probably be overlooked because she has some form at Finger Lakes. She's 8-1 to one on the morning line. If we can get anything over 5, I'd be willing to make a win wager there. Let's move to race number 9. It is the Prioress, the grade 2, for 3-year-old Philly sprinting. I'm going to go to the outside with the number 10, Union Lake, who is 8-1 on the morning line. Union Lake comes off of back-to-back victories and beat a Philly named Repealing, who came back to win next time out with an 87 buyer. She sat a really nice trip, Union Lake did in her last start. And with the outside draw, again, she should be able to Kind of carve out a, a nice trip wherever she wants to, to kind of plot herself out. Union Lake is 8-1. to one. If she's anything over 4, I'd be willing to make a win wager there. So a couple plays for Friday over at Saratoga. Let's move to Friday for Del Mar. Just two that I really uh, <clears throat> like on Friday over at Del Mar. So let's look at races 3 and 7. The third race, I'm going to go to the number 3, win the day for Dougie O'Neill. Win the day's most recent race was going a mile and three-eighths on the turf, and he settled inside. He was about fourth or fifth early, three lengths off or so, and then the top few quickened up a little bit, and he dropped back, then moved up right into contention but got stopped and had to back up a little bit, uh, again moved in between, and in that time it was also a bit tight. 
He finished third in a race where B catcher was second And he easily could have been second in that race With a smoother trip Now Rispoli jumps aboard He's been riding really well this meet Having a fantastic meet Hitting at a 20% clip I like the three win the day for Doug O'Neill At anything over 3-1 to one there In race number 3 And then we move to race number 7 And I'm looking at the, uh, the 10 in here The Little H-Man Comes out of a, a race at Del Mar on August the 12th Where he was in a, a pretty similar spot And he had a fine start but Then he got crossed over on And he ended up 10th in a field of 10 Wasn't Only about 5 lengths off though And he was moving around traffic He angled 5 wide and he really get, got going late He was chasing a wire-to-wire winner that day too The little H-man, 6-1 to one on the morning line Could get a better... Trip in here, just a little more speed for him to chase in a race that shapes up a little better for him, and he doesn't have to be as far back. Six to one on the morning line, anything around four, I'd be willing to make a win wager there on the little H man. That's Friday for Del Mar. Let's turn the page and talk Saturday. We'll get to Saratoga, Kentucky, Louisiana with Roxanne, and then Del Mar with Emily. First up, a couple plays for Saratoga Saturday. Jockey Club Gold Cup Day on Saturday at Saratoga. My focus is going to be towards the uh, the back portion of the card, starting in race number seven. Bit of a long shot in here that I think sneaky and maybe a bit better than some of the speed figures would suggest. Hoist the gold. He was in the Amsterdam last time out, and he just had a, a bad start, and then he was in traffic. He can't overcome that against really, really classy horses. If you'll notice, on July the 3rd, he was in the max field, and he wasn't far behind Gunite, who came back to run well against Grade One Company, and Great Gunite beat him in the Amsterdam. So if we're using what a really good effort could could you know could position where that could position hoist the gold, I think a top effort would have him right there, and he's a great price because he's coming off a, a poor recent race. You look back at the race in April at Turfway, yeah, maybe he just didn't like the synthetic. Put a line through that one. And you can go through his career You can find a couple races where he had some trouble And he didn't fire Other than that he's pretty consistent And I think he's going to give a good account of himself here Third start of the form cycle Hoist the gold is 15 to 1 If you're playing some late exotics there at Saratoga Maybe throw him in I would need I would need 10 to bet him to win 10 is my value line for him If he gets played and he's 6 to 1 or so No, because he It's a tough race He's not the most likely winner of the race, but if he's a horse that's 15 to 1, I'm absolutely going in. Let's move to race number 9. Mile and a 16th on the turf. I think there's a lot of speed in here with clear vision, analyze it. I'd imagine Munition and Mad Money's eyes on targets going to be close up. I could see combinations of all of them flashing some speed. Could set up nicely for a deep closer like Sanctuary City, who has some pace to chase in here. He came flying in the July 31st race right here at Saratoga going a mile and three sixteenths. Now he's going to cut back to a mile and a sixteenth, but he has won here. In fact, his best career effort came at this trip, and he's really capable of launching a late rally, and it looks like there's a lot of pace. He was ninth out of 10 in his last start. He was about nine lengths off, and he came from well off of it and closed pretty well in a race that's come back strong. The winner... Ran on in the Sword Dancer and finished third, Soldier Rising. 
I think Sanctuary City is very well spotted in here. He's six to one. And if he's anything around four, I'd make a win wager on him. In the tenth race, if you're trying to beat the big favorite warlike goddess, I would look to the horse who might be able to just steal it on the front end, and that's Virginia Joy, the number three who's seven to two. So if war god if warlike goddess gets beat, it's because she was in a race where there was no other early speed. She even wins races where there isn't early speed all the time, but Virginia Joy might be able to get aggressive in here, and I hope those are the tactics they choose instead of trying to go really, really slow. Let's see if Virginia can get aggressive. Seven to two on her morning line. I'd need at least three to one. And then we get to the Jockey Club Gold Cup. Tax. Second off the long layoff. Olympiad. Does he want to go a mile and a quarter? I'm not sure. Untreated. Chess Chief. Kind of an under. American Revolution's a major player off of his, you know, his foster. First Captain's in very nice form right now. Keep me in mind. Bounce back with a, a very good win first time for Pletcher in his first start of the year. But I think Dynamic One's just the most consistent, is in good form right now. Seems like his level <clears throat> is about what it would take to win this. And I have no issues or concerns with him as far as getting distances. So... Dynamic 1's poor races came in the Derby and in the Travers, and both of those races were followed by layoffs. We can probably make excuses for those, and everything else has been pretty good from him. Dynamic 1. You know, his races are starting to look even better now. He's behind Cody's Wish, and then Cody's Wish comes back and beats Jackie's Warrior. Dynamic 1 in the Jockey Club. 7-2 to on the morning line there. So those are some Saturday plays for me. Over at Saratoga Let's dish out a few at Kentucky Downs Oh I love playing Kentucky Downs Love Kentucky Downs All turf, huge fields, big undulating Turf course and I like playing the grass Races because a lot of it comes down to the trip And horses that may have had trouble trips In prior races that Will be a little bit better price and you can get Better value on them Let's talk about Kentucky and let's talk about race Number 2 I'm going to go to the outside With the number 10 in here Derivative who has raced twice but the races were separated by a long layoff. He debuted back in June of 2021 and then was off for a full year. Showed back up in 13 months later, July of 2022 at Ellis Park last month. He was bumped, I guess, September now, right? So already a month and a, a week or so ago. Bumped hard at the start, took a bit to get going, but got into a very nice stride late and was second. That was the first start in a long layoff. And now he's going to go second start off the bench. That race came back very, very live as we saw the first and second place finisher, uh, finisher both came back to win. And one other horse come back to win three next out winners. And the stretch out, a little bit more distance here to six and a half should really help him. He doesn't have to be coming from quite as far back, but he's got some options. And this distance feels like it should be nice second off the bench. Derivative 6-1 to one on the morning line Anything over 4 will make a win wager there Let's move to race number 7 And that is The number 3 CC Cruise Control Who's 5-1 to one on the morning line Settled pretty nicely Inside was 4th, was 2 lengths off Was traveling well Then angled out 3 wide And just crushed Now that was in her only turf race Last time out, 
She took a shot in the debutante over at Ellis Park on the dirt, but her two races on the dirt just haven't been nearly as good. She's a turfer. CC Cruise Control. Five to one on the morning line. I would need around four to make a win wager there. Throw her into your exotics. And then we go to race number 10, which is the Windstar Mint Million. I like the two Calvary Charge cutting back here to a mile. He's been going a little farther as of late, mile and an eighth, mile and a sixteenth, mile and a half, mile and an eighth races, and getting back to a mile just should help him have a little more late fitness. He's been in races where some of the horses might just have been a little bit better than him, honestly. A couple races behind Santin, Mira Mission just came back and ran really well over the weekend. Uh, We had, you know, Ivar is a very classy individual, some like it hot brown came back again and ran well. So you just look at his races and it feels like a lot better spot for him from a class standpoint and a cutback standpoint. Should be able to sit close just off the lead, maybe third or fourth. Calvary charge. Six to one on the morning line. Anything over seven to two, willing to make a win wager there on Calvary Charge. So that's Saturday, Kentucky Downs. Let's head on over and talk some Saturday, Louisiana. I'll go through the first couple races for Louisiana, and then Roxanne Tanner is going to join me to talk about the pick four. Let's look at Louisiana Downs for September the 3rd and race number one. We kick things off going a mile on the turf, Maiden Claimers. I like the four, Devutante. Her immediate, you look at like her direct siblings, and there's not turf there, but when you just look at her turf pedigree overall, she's a three-year-old daughter of English Channel, and on the damn side, more than ready, so... She's actually half to a classy horse named Bisping, who is a Louisiana Cup juvenile winner and has won a couple races already uh, as a two-year-old. So I wouldn't be shocked to see this horse precocious. She's three, but to see her win early on. And I like the drop in class. The race that she comes out of is strong for the Louisiana Red level, the maiden special weight level. The runner-up, Mo Bling, came back to win against better recently. I think they get aggressive in this spot. And she had a bad start against better. Now she drops and she turfs. Lozada is aboard. I like the four in here. I'll use the nine also in all exotics. Miss Tonalist and the seven gather in Bali. Both of them uh, make a lot of sense. The nine's logical. And then you've got the, uh, the seven gather in Bali who's taken a big drop down in class. It is interesting that Lozada who rode you know, Miss Tonalist multiple times ends up on Derutante. Let's move to race number two. I'm looking at the uh, the eight horse in here towards the outside. They these are five thousand dollar non winners of three claimers, five and a half furlongs the distance. Cowboy Hey Hey gets back to the dirt for the barn that's been rolling all throughout the meet, and both of the last two dirt races were really nice victories, sitting off the pace. The two horse Vegas Sky is the horse to beat. And the three, Speedy G, is another major player. He's won two of his last three, and he fits very well in here. No real knocks on African Warrior. I just have him a little below the others, even though he did beat Speedy G. I kind of like overall like Speedy G's body of work a bit more. 8-2-3 there. Let's move to race number three. This one kicks off your pick five. I like the nine in here as a 
a horse that can steal it on the front end, there just is not much speed. And I have tried to beat this horse. I played against him a lot of times when he's taken money. This is going to be the time with Jose Guerrero where I think they look around and there's just nobody else up front pushing him. Heliochrome on top for me of the three, Watson's Bay, who comes off of back-to-back races that are a little bit better than they look on paper. He was wide, he settled, fit, but he was almost like 10 back. He closed well. He was about two strides from second that day and now goes third start off the long layoff. Watson's Bay is going to be very tough in here. Plenty of sense from the rail. Makes sense at this level. And then the seven. Exclaim, maybe an under type who actually has a victory on the turf and the other couple turf races are in spots against better. So maybe you give him another shot on the grass in here. 9-3, 1, and 7. Well, that's the first three races on the card. We're going to now dive into races 4, 5, 6, and 7 at Louisiana Downs with racing ambassador Roxanne Tanner. Roxanne is awesome. I've uh, had the privilege of talking with her all throughout the meet. She helps me out. I deal with her whenever I have to you know, ask questions since I don't get to be at Louisiana Downs. So she helps. She's always posting scratches and changes, giving us information, telling me cool stuff about trainers or jockeys and connections. And I wanted to just get her on to, to talk more racing with us. She came on at the very beginning of the meet to talk a little bit about Louisiana. But this time we got to really have some fun and handicap the pick four. So kick back and enjoy. We talk a, a little about Louisiana and then we get into races four, five, six, and seven for Louisiana Saturday. Very excited to talk some Louisiana Downs racing with racing ambassador Roxanne Tanner. Uh, for those of you who know, I've been covering Louisiana this year. Roxanne is my eyes, my ears, and like all of my help on track because I'm <laughs> I'm in California talking about the races at Louisiana. So anytime that there's important info, Roxanne will text me, will help me out, will always keep me updated. You're so great at posting scratches and changes every day. I said, we got to get you on to handicap. Let's just get you on here to talk some races. So how are you doing? I'm good. And we got to get you over to Louisiana Downs next year, Gina. That's, that's 2023 goal. Absolutely. That's that's the plan. And I've even got stuff think, like formulating in my head like next year. I'd love to do some like daily kind of preview shows that we could do maybe on YouTube where you could help me out and we could like preview the cards at like at night before the next day or like early in the morning and those are things that we can even record a day or two ahead if we need. So the the, the wheels are moving and they're spinning. We're gonna we're gonna get yeah we're gonna get uh, in the next couple of years uh, Louisiana Downs and this racing product really really good again because this is a track that's had a lot of great history and unfortunately there were just a few years where racing wasn't given the uh, the type of of maybe attention that it was needed. And now it feels like with Kevin and the new ownership in, there's all this excitement. And I, I really feel it myself from half the country away. For sure. You know, we've been very fortunate to have a lot of loyal horsemen that have stuck with us. And uh, we've had a couple of new ones join us. Good knocking Greg Tracy's yeah. breakout meet. 
Um, and then Alan Milligan, although he's a little slow, <laughs> he, he told me, he's like, I didn't bring the best stock, but I'm here trying to get, get my foot in the door. And so we have a lot of great horsemen. Uh, Renee Burrell came in with her husband, Calvin Burrell. Yeah. And, uh, I can only anticipate the next year is going to be even bigger and even better. And as uh, our track announcer, John McGarry has been mentioning over the last couple of weeks, this is actually a really good time the last month or so at Louisiana <laughs> Because Evangeline just closed down their meet and Lo- and Lone Star just recently closed up. So in the area, a lot of horses that may have been in those places will probably come over here and get a run or two in the next few weeks. For sure. And uh, we're very fortunate in that aspect. And we've got some of these guys. They'll probably be looking at Delta Downs mm-hmm. uh, as the weeks progress. That being said, we still have our loyal and faithful and they'll be the ones that probably progress down to fairgrounds. And so they know that they can get, you know, if they got a baby or two year old or some of these people that know that they uh, will wait for Sam Houston, they'll stick around and uh, stick it with us. So uh, lots of fulfilled. So, I mean, yeah. yeah. And I mean, the, the big day of the meet to talk about, I could not have been any better like Louisiana cup day, as far as the huge fields. And we've had horses that ran well that day and that have come back and have gone to other tracks and continue to run well. So it's got to make everybody feel pretty good for kind of like the first big day with the new management that it was a really good day on paper, weather cooperated, just a lot of positives. I know. Thank goodness. Finally, weather cooperating. Who would have ever thought? <laughs> And all the rain we've been getting, but yeah, it was a great day, a great turnout. Um, you know, we, we had a lot of promising courses, uh, you know, found the winter circle and they've already gone on and, uh, kind of done very well, uh, within the state and also out of the state. So that's, we're very fortunate in that regard. Well, we have some handicapping to discuss. We're going to talk about Saturday and, one of the really nice changes, uh, right away when the new ownership came in this meet. They said, hey, we want to be good to the betters. We're going to lower the takeout. And they lowered the takeout in the pick four and the pick five. They made those more traditional wagers, which is something that we were talking about too. And so now we have pick fours that pay really, really well day in, day out. And I I mentioned this whenever I post on social media, you and I were talking about, you know, Saratoga and we like to play Saratoga. If you're a handicapper and a gambler and you are looking to play any races, the things that I'm looking for are multi-surfaces. I love turf and dirt being able to go back and forth. I'm looking for low takeout and for big fields. And we have all of those here at Louisiana. We really have good pick fours and pick fives. So I think for some of the people out there that may not have been paying attention, you can make your money here uh, in these pick fours and pick fives. They check a lot of the boxes that gamblers are looking for. Isn't that the truth? And we've got a lot of vulnerable favorites. Yes. There's no guarantees. And I, you know, I had learned that lesson the hard way a couple of times, but that's the one thing about Louisiana Downs always expect the unexpected as far as people popping up and winning. So yep. that's always fun. So let's talk about the, uh, the racing this weekend. We are recording on Thursday. What's the weather like today as we're recording? Uh, looks like we might actually have some rain Saturday. Okay. 
Okay, so we may cost though, you know, we have that Barksdale bubble where the Air Force Base is. Um, it's been very uh, diligent in helping us out in a couple on a couple race cards, but uh, we'll see how things play out Saturday. So as we talk now, we are going to talk like everything's normal. We'll talk about stuff like they are on the grass. We'll talk about stuff like it's on the dirt. And I'm going to pull up some of the past performances from my friends over at Daily Racing Forum so we can kind of look at the races a little bit as we talk about them. So Roxanne, the first race that we're going to talk about on Saturday is race number four. That's where the pick four starts. And that's another thing that I really like about our racing menu and the schedule. It's very consistent. We have seven races every day. So, you know, pick six in race two, pick five in race three, pick four in race four, always never changes. Boom. Nice and easy. (laughs) And that's consistent. So we can always start if you're a pick four and pick five player, you know that races three and four are where you really want to start for your big exotic wagers. Let's talk about this fourth race that kicks off the pick four. And we have a 15% low takeout in the pick four, which is really nice. So what are some of the things overall that are important to you when you're handicapping? What are things that you're kind of looking for or that you, um, that, you know, that you weigh heavily when you're handicapping races? Well, I'm one of those. I'm a firm believer in looking at horses. I mean, I like to watch prior races. Um, You know, I am also a big believer that once a horse turns a certain age, like just throw out their pedigree a little bit because they've already got their running form in place. Like they know how they want to run. Like there's no change needed at this point in time uh, as much as some trainers do try to try to do so. But it's one of those scenarios where um, it's just – I like certain angles, you know, I'm a a big believer in first time Lasix. I like seeing first time geldings on certain horses that I know have just been naughty, naughty. Um, And And you've done a good job of, of just sort of, Hey, I saw this horse in the paddock. They kind of caught my eye. Like this horse has a little bounce in their step, or maybe they just like a big appearance compared to everyone else. I love getting those little tidbits from you. For sure. And that's, I was raised, my dad was a horseman. And so that was one aspect he always taught me handicapping races is he's a big, and you'll see him at Oaklawn. If you ever get to go to Oaklawn and you meet my dad, Pat Tanner, he is always down on the rail watching horses walk up. He's also down at the paddock looking at horses. And he's one of those that he's only, he doesn't do a multi-race wager. Very rarely will you see him maybe a double here and there, but he's a firm believer in going and looking at horses before he plays them. This pick four that we have today to talk about is tough too. The two turf races are really deep and competitive. And right off the bat, we kick things off with a field of nine. So a big field right away to get things started. Who were a couple of the horses that you looked at in here or that you maybe would want to have on your pick four? Well, already, I mean, the one horse to see. Can anybody push him? Her, right? (laughs) She she looks like she's on paper at least going to be on the lead early and maybe able to clear, right? For sure. I mean, you've got a couple of the horses in the race that, you know, obviously have shown their best running style. The two right out to the outside of uh, 2C, right next Mm -hmm. to uh, She's obviously a closer. I mean, we've got a couple others in the race that also appreciate, you know, a hot pace up front. So I think uh, it'll be, you know, 2C's kind of as long as good old Vincent Daydell Sid, Bug Boy, who's having a really – really good uh summer actually was top jock down at evangeline and has had a really uh good connection with broberg here at louisiana yep. it'll be his race to lose i think yeah i think the inside speed here from tuesday is also going to be really tough uh one horse that i is kind of a fun horse to mention that i did a little a uh, little digging with 
Um, and if we're looking at, uh, we're looking at the DRF past performances. If you ever need help handicapping the races, you can head to DRF and pull these up. I like to look at the formulator ones. Cause then you can click on the race. You can click on the chart. You can click on the trainer and get their stats. The nine tis my plan is just a little interesting because his last race, her, I keep saying he, her last race, she was just in a little bit too tough. And if you can put a line through that one and say that maybe that level was just a little too much for her. Her race on July the 11th, where she was beaten only two lengths and she was right behind Backgate Bell, that wasn't that bad. When she broke her maiden here, she sat a really nice trip. She wasn't too far off the pace. I'm kind of looking at the June and July races and hoping if she can get back to something like that, maybe she can give a little value in here. So I'm going to try to use her with the one, two Z. Those will be the two I think I build most around uh, in here, Roxanne. The eight is kind of fun, but she's like a stone cold closer. Yeah, she, she just drops back and makes a big run, but she lost to a horse named Palmas Amos, who came back again <laughs> and uh, and run just the other day. Um, so, so that's a positive there. And then I think at least worth mentioning the four beyond the hype, another one who's dropping in class. Mm-hmm. Uh, Milan Son trains this one, and Jose Guerrero. He's always going to be one of the top riders. He's so so good. Very aggressive rider uh, when he wants to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but. No, I think this Donald Melanson horse, uh, Philly, I should say, not this time. We all know what a, a breakout, he, a lot of promise as two-year-olds. I think his second, well, this is his, uh, I guess, second season here, um, first season crop. Anyways, I just think um hasn't really displayed all that fancy-fancy, but um. You know, they claim this horse for 5000 They bumped it up to seventeen five, trying to give it, see what kind of horse they uh, are had built with it, you know, or see what this horse could do. It was race taken off the turf, and now they're back, back uh, going a mile on the 16th and back at a, a tag where uh, she's shown some competitiveness. So we'll see yeah. how that I think we kind of, I kind of feel the same way that I can sense that you are with her, like, She's fine. Like she wouldn't shock me. She's fine. I just kind of like the others a little bit more. They're maybe a little bit more intriguing at maybe a little better of a price. For sure. Uh, completely agreed. And one thing about the races that are uh, on this card, especially in the late pick four, they're all wide open. Yeah, they they really are. So you're going to need at least one or two of these races where you're going to feel like you have to spread out a bit and use maybe four or five. Um, like the fifth race that we turn the page to next. I love the two-year-old races. They're so fun. And we have had some awesome two-year-old races at the meet so far. And this one's even cooler because it's on the turf. But in any of these two-year-old races, if there's a Jean-San horse running, you got to have to start there because they have had, so far this meet, 10 first-time starters. They've won with four. They finished second in another, and they've had three-thirds. And in one of the races, they ran against each other. So they could only (laughs) possibly won nine. You know, Jade, uh, which is just Justin's uh, significant other, and also I say the head commander of the barn, she's done a, a really tremendous job helping pick out horses at the sale and uh, has a great eye. And I appreciate that about Jade. And uh, Justin's kind of, you know, he's he's the man behind the barn himself too, but I don't think he could do it without Jade because I think she's, she's definitely pretty legit. And so she's I, awesome. She's yeah. another, like, she sends me little clips of horses or like little tidbits of their babies. And like, uh, this is what we expect from this one and this, and she's just sharp and she cares. Like I, I was lucky enough to have her on for an interview a few weeks ago. She cares so much about horses at every level. 
at top to bottom. Just she is a lover of animals and she just wants the best for all horses. And she's got a great eye too. I'm glad you mentioned her. And uh, I mean, they, they've got two runners in here, Prince Cosmo who has experience and he had like, he had a tough start in his debut. He missed a break and, but he moved into contention. He still finished third. Um, but he, yeah, it was, it was not a great start. He got pushed in and bumped around. And they also have another one in here, Runaway Candy, who's a first time starter. Would you be thinking about using them? Oh, for sure. I mean, everybody's going to look at Prince Cosmo, especially with the stats. Justin's popping up on baby races. Yep. And you can't knock. I mean, the horse has done well since exiting that race. It's a little five-eighths breeze on a sloppy track. Doesn't say much, but they put it, it's a gate breeze, which is always good to say, you know, that Justin saw what happened in the last race and said, hey, why don't we, why don't we go to the gate one more time? Give them, you know, a little more experience there. And I think that's only going to help. And then the other one, I mean, definitely some okay works in the morning. Nothing like standing out on paper. Um, so that one's kind of a, a question mark, but we'll see, you know, and, that's and what, what about. And what's kind of a little sneaky about the bigger price is that, uh, that's the one that Lozada is on our leading rider. So, you know, he's the one that's on like a double digit price horse for them, which is always a little sneaky because wow, he's so good. He's such a good rider at just always putting horses in the right spot. I'm and so just, impressed with him. I, I mean, you'll see him in the paddock. He's always the last one to walk over to, you know, his horse's stall, which is so funny, but he's always smiling. You know, you could be like, Carlos, oh my goodness, it's raining. He just smile and say, oh, well, you know, cool, pretty chill. Well, he's made the best out of a lot of situations there. Um, The Johnson horses will definitely be very tough. The one that is, uh, that has a turf pedigree that I'm going to use because of that is the nine, Henny's turn. And Joe Foster's like, He's always going to be one of the top trainers at this meet, but he's had like a quiet under the radar last two months. He's been winning at 25% for two straight months now. He's won with 13 of his last 52 runners at Louisiana. And it's just kind of been quiet because Shane Wilson was so hot to start. that uh, Joe was a little more under the radar, but wow, he's been consistent. And this gelding is a two-year-old. His dam was named Carolina Sky. Mm-hmm. She won five times on the turf. She was a three-time stakes winner. And I know sometimes this kind of thing doesn't matter, but I kind of like it. She actually won four times on the Louisiana turf. She was four for four at Louisiana Downs on the turf. Um, she's actually produced two siblings that have won on the turf and another one that didn't win, but was 0 for 6, and five of those races were in the top three on the turf. So I have a feeling that this guy might be just ready to take a step forward on the grass. And Joe is someone that we've talked about. Like he is so great. He is so nice and just like fun personality and such an old school horseman. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Mr. Joey's one of the best him and his wife, Cheryl. Uh, actually, Joey used to gallop for my dad back in the day. Oh, nice. Yeah. So he always has some fun stories and I'll have to ask my dad and he's like, you're not supposed to know that. <laughs> uh, you know how that goes. But the one thing, I mean, if you watch this horse's last race, he gallops out very nicely. And that's mm-hmm. one thing I like to see when a horse gallops out past the field. Um, you know that the jock might have kind of left something in the tank, wanted to get something out of it. And he didn't I, have the, t- the easiest of trips in that race. Um, yeah. He was so. kind of wide and the winner just got the lead and went on. So there wasn't a whole lot of passing. I, 
think there's a little upside uh, with the grass there too. And just how good Joe's been with the young horses at the meet. Um, uh, let's see. When here actually all like, since I want to say like February or March. So this horse is no stranger to Louisiana downs and just getting prepped and ready. Um, that's the one thing about Mr. Joey is he does try to get a good, uh, bearing underneath them before he you know gets them to the races but respectfully so knows when they're ready to go yeah look, nice foundation there just a tough field of 11 two-year-olds on the turf the um the five i guess might be another one where what's nice about clint boy eastwood he has some experience and he's actually been on um he's not been on the turf but we can pull up here as I uh, show on the DRF past performances. What's nice is when you go to click on Clint Boy Eastwood's dam, you can see that the dam was a three-time winner on the turf. So I always look as a positive when, you know, there's been turf success for some of the family. So I wouldn't be a surprise to see maybe Clint Boy Eastwood enjoy the grass. I don't think there, I think he was, uh, there weren't any other turf siblings that were, uh, that were direct winners, but at least the dam was a winner. So was there anyone else in here that you thought uh, worth mentioning or worth using? I am going to point out number four, G's Law. Yep. I saw schooling in the paddock here a couple weeks ago, and he caught my eye. He's adding blinkers to start. Um, a nice little pedigree, too. Yeah. And so I don't want to, like, throw him out completely. Um, another one of those that has a breeze going yep. into the gate from, from the gate, which, like I said, I always think – uh that's a good a good uh thing to, when you're going into a race especially with a baby i like the gate works mm -hmm. a lot of trainers do they don't exactly put that uh that schooling into them and i kind of appreciate it because they want them ready to go so and g's law also has a sibling that one on the turf and the blinkers come on so little change little change there to maybe get a little more focused you mentioned the gate works so we may see a whole different horse here out of the at coming out of the gate this time it just that the experience from start one to start do two can be like night and day and uh, we keep mentioning vincente del cid and how good he's been i think he's going to be one of the finalists for the eclipse award for apprentice and based on the numbers that he's put in he's he's got to be like right like right there towards the top uh he's been right. so good oh i mean he's a good kid uh doesn't speak much in english uh but he's great. You know, he's very listens to, you know, whatever the trainer has instruction wise, and he seems to follow it to a T. So that's the one good thing about uh, young kids like that. You know, they know how to learn. They know what they need to learn. And uh, he's really done a good job. And, you know, Carl, he picks out these jocks and uh, he has, he sticks with them. Yeah. He's very yeah. loyal to them. He get, he lets them kind of, Hey, you're going to make a mistake here or there, but we're going to give you the chance to ride all of our good horses for a while. And I mean, Vincente is really, I mean, between back and forth, between Evangeline and here, I mean, he's really put in, you know, a lot of good time and has done uh, very well going back and forth. And like, like I said earlier, he was a top jock at Evangeline. That's no easy task when you've got Tim Thornton, um, Tracy Hebert, you know, uh, some names down there that everybody uh, knows. So we'll see what he ends up doing with this race. And yeah, as, as we had said, when we talked about this before, st like starting the pick four um, analysis, I mean, three, four, five, eight, nine, like, oh, I, those are all horses that, you know, people are probably going to want to be using in combinations here and still maybe not even feel all that confident having like four or five. So a really tough sequence, fingers crossed that we can uh, not have too much bad weather the next couple of days and we can keep that one 
on the turf. Let's move to the sixth race, Roxanne. We have Louisiana bred maidens here, three-year-olds and up. So this is a maiden special weight race for the Louisiana breds. Who are some of the uh, the horses that are on your radar in this one? Well, you know, I keep talking about Gateworks. And the one question mark I have, and I love Andrew Cassio. He's like one of the best guys. Um, you know, horsemen, just all around good Hey, Roxanne always makes it a point to say hi, but now, now Saint intrigues me. First time starter. He's actually shown some really legitimate works in the morning. Um, you know, they've taken their time getting into the races. And so this horse definitely intrigues me uh, just with his morning presence alone. So I, I think he's obviously very, very live from what he's shown us in the mornings. The, the horse right next door, um, I think he's a kind of interesting too, little Wody. I dug into the, this pedigree a little bit. And uh, again, what's cool is that when we have these past performances on DRF, when you're looking at the formulator ones, you can just take one click to like the dam and then dive into the pedigree. So when you look at Amanda Michelle, who was the mother of little Wody, she was pretty nice. She won her career debut at fairgrounds by eight lengths. And she was a three-time winner she actually was in, uh, she actually finished second in the Louisiana Cup Philly and Mare Sprint right here at Louisiana back in 2013. So she was actually pretty nice and she had the ability to win early. And when you look at the uh, the only other foal that she's produced, it's a multiple winner named Here We Come to Get You. So this is not a bad pedigree for a, a born now that we can dive into Roxanne. And um, I like big sample size and small sample size. And when you look at Denise Schmidt, over the last five years, this is a barn that you can go, hey, days between starts, and you can click first-time starters. And now we see how this barn has done with their first-time starters over the last five years, which is the database that DRF has. Mm-hmm. Well, only three for 25, which it's not bad, 12%. But look at those three. They've been three out of the last six. So whatever it is, they've definitely improved a whole heck of a lot in the last couple of years with their first time starters. Like the last six of them they sent out have all performed pretty well. Three of them have won. So I think she's like anything we all learn sometimes, right? We figure things out. We make some adjustments. I don't handicap the same way I did 10 years ago. I look at things a little differently. I try to add to it. And when I see that, I think that maybe he's worth throwing in. So I'll probably include uh, little Wody on the ticket too. And Denise Schmidt, she's had a really, really nice meet. And one thing people don't know about Denise is actually she's out there ponying every single race. Oh, that's great. She's out there on the paint pony, her, her partner in crime, we call him dead eye. And honestly, I don't even know what dead eyes real name is. <laughs> Calls him dead eye, but he's the one that a lot of people see saddling the horses, but they're a great team. Um, you know, Erica Murray, one of the jocks that's been in our jocks room here uh, early in the meet, she actually gallops for them every morning, breezes a lot of their stock. And um, she's done really good getting horses ready with Denise and whatnot. Um, and so I, Denise is just a great all-around horseman. She goes down to fairgrounds after we end here and just is, a, she's a sweet lady. So it wouldn't be, a, wouldn't be, a, you know, uncommon for her to, you know, pop up on with those stats you just mentioned. So we'll see what ends up going on there. And they'll probably all have to worry about the horse. I think to the outside pitch mm-hmm. and run of the horses with experience kind of feels like he has a couple pretty good races. King of broken hearts is really nice. 
who beat him. Uh, look at the speed figures that King of Broken Hearts has earned in his last couple. He earned a 91 buyer when he won, and then he lost the other day to a class dropper, a big class dropper, and he still came back and earned an, a really nice like 82 buyer in doing so. So that just kind of shows you how strong the races that pitch and run are coming out of Osceola was on uh, was running here on Louisiana Cup Day. Yeah. Um so he's he's probably the horse they'll have to beat. He will. And I mean, once again, we got Carlos Lazada in the saddle. Yep. Um, so it's hard to overlook this horse. And I mean, that's the one thing about these races though is with these first time starters that are starting them short which uh, I do appreciate, and we'll probably see a lot of them gunning for the lead. And this horse, the 11 pitch and runs, has shown he's a, you know, a stalker ability. He just hasn't found that extra, you know, a little oomph down the stretch to get up in front. And he kind of had that, he had a good start and he was inside, but mm -hmm. what ends up happening when, when you're in, a, when you're having like a bad luck for racing, you have the horse that's always sitting right behind the leaders and that can't get through at the top of the lane. And that's sort of where, um, where pitch and run was last time out. It was like, if it opens up, he's going to have a great shot, but it didn't really open until it was too late. And then by the time he got a little room, he was a little bit flat, but um, yeah, he's, you're right. He should be able to sit nicely. And with that outside draw, Carlos can probably have him sit in like third or fourth and maybe just kind of keep him in the clear. And if he's good enough, he should have every chance in here. For sure. But, but again, like another field of 11 in the pick four. I like mean, huge, huge. This is where, you know, on, on a day that we actually, we had to cancel due to poor weather. And so we brought them back and whatnot. And they, um, Matt Crawford, our racing secretary, was just thought it was funny. He's like, some of these races, we only had maybe eight or nine in. And now they're, you know. They're way better. <laughs> better with you know, additions there. And so that's the one thing about, you know, us having to cancel and then Evangeline, you know, being over, we've been able to fill races a little bit easier and more so than what they were initially. And Matt has done a fantastic job of stacking the the difficult races towards the end of the card, like the better betting races for the pick four and deeper in because every car, every race track and every car are going to have some short fields. It's inevitable. Sometimes the races that you draw, they just don't come up all that, that deep, or there's one horse that kind of is a standout. And he tries to keep those races earlier in the card. So they're not in the pick fours and pick fives quite as much. And it leads us to a sequence like this, where man, maybe some people will look to the 11 in race six, but that's an 11. That's not like in a field of five where you're singling a favorite. So, I mean, Matt's done a really tremendous job knowing what we have horse population wide on the, on the backside. He knows, you know, Evangeline, we've had a lot of trainers, you know, show a lot of interest in coming up here. And uh, he's, he's been on the, on the phone consistently as well, as well as his awesome racing office staff, hustling horses, getting horses where they need to be in the right races. And we have, you know, just a tremendous crew uh, that back, our racing office and whatnot. So Matt's done a fabulous job with that. Well, let's finish up with race number seven. It's like you and I talk a lot. I was like, can you give me like 15 minutes or so? And we're already at like 30, like going up, but I never, I never like to cut things short because I always like to have fun and be comfortable and get, get all the good information out. So thank Thanks. you for hanging out with me. So uh, yeah, let's finish up Roxanne. And we finish up with a turf race where no joke, when I was making my lists of horses that I, I thought to use, I have seven of them written down of it's, this field. 
it's not, yeah, you can go in and make a case for legitimately 80% of the field. It's so tough. So from a a gambling standpoint, some of the horses that'll probably take some money, you have a class dropper, Silver and Lie, who comes in and has been, been racing at Colonial. You see races at Churchill and Fairgrounds also. So they've just been facing tougher company. So probably be a good spot for him on the class drop. And then after him, you have some other horses who have been running at levels just like this that have been very consistent. And that would make sense. I mean, the three color me, the three color fast, the five Senator Khan, they come out of uh, the same race last time out. Then you have Reluctant Warrior, Inca Warrior, and Sidster. You kind of look at them all sort of like the same. There's a lot of these horses that are really evenly matched. And this is, I mean, this race is like crazy. I mean, you you said it right. It's very evenly matched and we'll have to see. There's only one horse, you know, adding blinkers and that's a six. So we'll see if that ends up changing his, uh, his style. But he's had them before, so it doesn't really change the game. Trainer tried something new first off the claim and didn't really suit him, I guess. So back the blinkers go. Yeah, so this will probably be one of the, the spread out races of the pick four for me. The one, one horse that I for sure will have is color fast who mm-hmm. I thought um, his race, which is kind of cool. We can pull up his little replay too, uh, while we talk about color fast and we can show you what happened. So in this race, he was also the three, the last time he ran. Mm-hmm. And if you watch the race, he kind of has a, like a slowish start here and a, he doesn't really hit the hole. So he's towards the back and then he kind of moves up on the inside, but he's just in some traffic always. You you can even tell right here, there's horses in front of him and then he goes down to the rail. And as he tries to go down to the rail, he's just not going to have a whole lot of room as horses cross over. And it wasn't the the smoothest of trips. Whereas Senator Khan was able to sit a little bit better of a trip. See, now the three kind of gets squeezed back. Uh, the two is in front of him and now all of a sudden he loses some positioning and he's behind a little bit. I love when, uh, when Lozada is on a horse after he may have had like a, a little bit of trouble. Now look at the three here. He's live. He's got a ton of run. He's right behind the leaders. He just got nowhere to go. And he has to tap on the brakes again and he has to back up and wait. It's sort of like, um, like any really good athlete, Roxanne, I think, if they come off of a race where they maybe got in some trouble or they come off of a, an at bat where they think that maybe they should have gotten a hit. I, I feel like the next time they do a really good job of like not getting in trouble or making sure that if they're going to lose, it's not because of that. So I think Carlos will probably have this horse a little more aggressive and um, he's pretty fun. But I, I said, after him, who, who are you like for sure wanting to use in this race? Well, I honestly am on the same page with you as far as color fast goes. He's actually the one to have picked on top. Nice. Um, and that being said, his trainer, Earl Myers, great guy, uh, has very limited stock. I think maybe has three to four horses in his barn, if that many. His wife, Tammy, works in the the silks. She's our silks lady at uh, Louisiana Down. So they're, they're great, fun people. But, you know, everybody's going to be looking, as we all know, silver and lie. You know, there's a reason why that horse is coming here, obviously. What that reason is, not 100% positive. We'll have to wait and see. But the five horse, Senator Khan Alfonso Balderas, this horse uh, came out last time. You know, I think he could be the one, depending on fractions and stuff. And, I mean, he, he was sitting off of it, came 
they're about mm, three quarters into the race and took the lead and whatnot. And so, and finished well, love the fact that they've got Maria Baca back. She has been so good too. And she like, she has such a great sense of I'm on a speed horse. I'm going to go to the lead or I'm going to sit second for a little bit. And then like what she did on Senator Khan, okay, they're not going very fast. Now I'm going to move to the lead and I'm going to move early. She has a great clock in her head. So Maria is actually Tim Thornton's sister. A lot of people don't know that, but they're very racing oriented. Um, Maria's husband, Benny Baca, actually has ridden a number of quarter horses um, and has done really good this year, winning a couple of 870 uh, races uh, himself. And so they're definitely a racing family. I'm sure they go home and watch film every night <laughs> as well with the kids. I mean, and competitive, right? Like they're, yeah, they're like critiquing each other's rides and stuff like that. Like giving like brother and sister, giving each other a hard time, I bet. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, she's got two little precious boys, Sailor and Bentley, and they are just, they're so in love with their mom. And whenever she wins, they always weigh out with her and whatnot. And so, just a great family. And Maria is, I mean, she really listens. She takes everything, you know, the horsemen say to her and she, she kind of does a Maria thing to it. That's the one thing I do appreciate about it. You know, a trainer might say, Hey Maria, this horse, you know, he, he breaks from the gate a step slow and she'll listen to that, but she knows, you know, where she needs to position herself. And she might not always follow that to a T with the horse. I mean, she pops one out of the gate one time. The trainer looked at me. He's like, I did not expect that. (laughs) (laughs) But when you you catch a flyer like that, right, she's she's experienced enough to, to like, you can trust her to make an audible if she has to. If she senses that, you know what, right now the the rail is the place to be or the lead is the place to be or maybe I want to take back. You trust her experience. And that's what's great. Like, the trainers know that, Hey, we'll give you some advice on how this particular horse is. But if she knows that, hey, I might have to do this to win a race, she'll do it. For sure. And that's the one thing I do appreciate about Maria. And I'm sure people in this race are also going to take a look once again at Carl Broberg's horse, Inca Inca Warrior. That horse, I mean, just seems like he's very inconsistent. The horse he ran 6-2 last out, we all know very well, is super Mr. Phil Cleek. Yeah. So I agree. I'm... Inca Warrior could win. I'm not quite as high on him as a couple of the others in here. I like a little bit better and some of their recent form better. <laughs> and uh, this, yeah, this pick four is going to be so cool. Uh, I will give additional information and I'll have the pick four ticket all kind of mapped out for everybody on Saturday when they want to come and hang out on the broadcast and watch along. So Roxanne, this can be uh, the audition tape that we show Kevin and say, Hey, Kevin, look, we're going to do this next year. Each day is like a racing preview. We can go through the races a little bit and get everybody set up online. So uh, oh, he's all about that world. He's all, yeah. <laughs> we'll put the pressure on, uh, on boss there. I, uh, I had a blast talking with him too. He was so great. And he's just so like, when you talk to people who are the executives at, or like the heads of big companies and big industries, a lot of sometimes they're stuffy people or they're people that you can't really talk to, or he's so the opposite of that. Like he's such a cool, real down to earth person that you can have an honest conversation with. I just, it was so refreshing. I will tell you, um, the way I got my job was I literally sent him a message on Twitter. He sent me <laughs> address and I sent him a resume and the rest is history. So he's one of those that, you know, he he's willing to to take that gamble, that risk. 
you know, he's learning a lot about horse racing. And the thing about it, though, is he's so just passionate about everything he does. And uh, I don't think he gets enough uh, respect in that regard. But he wants everything to, you know, be good. He wants, you know, he's taken on a lot uh, this year with the new ownership and whatnot of the racetrack. And he's done a tremendous job. He has his ears open, his eyes listening to everybody. And um, just trying to make sure everything's like going well. Everyone just has positive things to say about him and the energy and the excitement moving forward. This is someone who really, uh, like you said, whatever he's been involved in, he's been successful with. Mm-hmm. Like all of the stuff that he puts his hands in. So he he knows uh, what he's doing in, in all places. And he's just a really smart guy. So I look forward to working with him and with you much more in the, uh, in the coming days, weeks, months, and years, I can't thank you enough again. Like you helped me out so much. You are one of the really the main people that I interact with over at Louisiana all the time. So you've been so helpful and, uh, thank you so much for giving some more of your time today to handicap the races with us. Well, I appreciate you, Gino. You've done a great job promoting Louisiana downs and getting our name back out and out and about with the people. So, You've done a tremendous job yourself, so pat yourself on the back. We appreciate you greatly. Well, we're going to get you on to talk more handicapping. Maybe we have you back one more time before the end of the meet. And then next year, we're going to start in the works. We're going to we're gonna work on something where we have it more consistent. Maybe it's every day, a couple times a week, whatever it is. I think we could do something fun on YouTube and, uh, and really start promoting Louisiana even more with some maybe recaps of big days and previews of others. So, Roxanne, oh. tell everyone where we can follow you on social media because you do a great job of posting <laughs> scratches changes alerts any good information for louisiana and then some other uh fun stuff that's going on other fun tidbits other silly stuff here and there um twitter ambassador roxy r-o-x-y uh that's my my handle if you will um you can follow me there um you know we do a really big job on uh our facebook page talking about um you know, whatever's going on. So you can look at our Louisiana Downs cool. Casino and Racetrack where we post uh, weekly videos with some of the people at the races. So we got lots of opportunities. Um, follow along and uh, hopefully get all the uh, info you need. Thank you so much. It was a blast talking Saturday racing with you. Make sure everyone to go follow Roxanne and to come check out the racing. We still have, gosh, I think we only have like 16 days left, right? Four weeks of four days of racing. Never thought we'd make it. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So we have uh, coming up Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday for the next four weeks, all throughout September. And we have lots of great wagering opportunities. If you were following along with us, huge fields in this pick four on Saturday. So a really fun sequence. Thank you so much, Roxanne. I'm going to talk soon with you and uh, have a great rest of your day. You too. Bye, Gino. Folks, thank you so much for hanging out with us. And uh, let's play some Louisiana Downs racing this weekend. Thanks so much to Roxanne for talking Louisiana with us for Saturday. So just a quick recap. In the fourth race, I had the nine on top there. That's Tis My Plan of the one, Toosie, then the four Beyond the Hype. Underneath them, the eight horse who always comes a close in Backgate Bell, but I don't know if she's going to get enough speed in there. Then the really fun two-year-old turf race in race number five. I put the nine on top, Henny's turn. Then we've got... Uh, the three Prince Cosmo in the second spot, the five Clint Boy Eastwood underneath, and then others that I could make cases for, the eight Runaway Candy, and the four G's Law. Even the two had a dam that was a multiple winner on the turf. Wide open, but nine, three are a tier above for me. 
if you had to shorten up, I would probably be okay shortening up with those two. And then if you wanted to go a little deeper, nine, three, five, eight, four, that's kind of the order I put them in, just depending on how I have to cut out some of my uh, exotics. Then in the sixth race, Maiden Specials, Louisiana Breds. Again, I put the nine horse on top, little Wody. The 11 is the horse to beat as we talk. And uh, Roxanne mentioned the eight, now, now Saint, who looks to be uh, showing some speed in the mornings. The five, Lucas Zip It, was one that we didn't talk a whole lot about, but he wouldn't be a big surprise off of his debut. It was in the slop. It was not bad. And the horse he, he lost to, Peanut and Ike, was just second beaten a neck against Allowance Company recently. And Lucas Zip It is pretty quick. So, 9, 11, 5, 8. In, you know, even the 7's a little sneaky there for Brinkman, who just didn't have a good start last year. It's been off a whole year. That's what's great about this pick four sequence. In the seventh race, Color Fast is the one who we both had picked on top. The four, Silver and Lie, major player there. The five, Senator Khan, was a last out winner. Could absolutely go right back. The nine, Sidster. The ten, Gobbler. And then the seven and the eight all fit. But my top tier was three, four, five. A fun Saturday pick four at Louisiana. Big fields, turf and dirt racing. 15% low takeout in the wagers. So get your... 50 cent pick fours all handicapped for Saturday. Let's continue on the Saturday racing train. Emily Gullickson joins its Pacific Classic Day at Del Mar. So we talk about race 7, 9, 10, and 11. Four graded stakes races towards the end of the card. The Pacific Classic goes as race 10. Uh, we're going to talk about race number 7, which is the Del Mar Mile. We're also going to talk about the Del Mar Handicap. We're going to talk about the Pacific Classic and the Del Mar Derby. Four graded stakes races. Emily Gullickson joins to dive in. I love the slow time click from the clock below. It's like it's some, it's really ominous as we get set for this uh, Del Mar Saturday preview. Emily Gullickson, one of our favorite people to talk racing with, joins us again from Optic CQ. We're going to talk about the Pacific Classic at Del Mar, but that race is kind of a small field. So we got to talk about a couple others also. There are some other fun undercard stakes races. So if you want to follow along with us, get out those past performances or uh get out your uh your optics PPs and we'll turn to Del Mar for Saturday, September the 3rd. But before we do, we have to welcome in our good friend Emily Gollickson. Emily, how's your summer been going? It's been going well. Super busy, but uh you know, I'm not complaining. I like it that way. 7 days so- a week between Indiana, Woodbine, Del Mar, Keeps the action up. I was going to say, so this is usually one of the busier times for you, right? Because with Indy and with Woodbine, those are tracks that you focus on. And then you're pretty much always doing Southern California. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's, it's full time. It's eight, as, eight, eight days a week. Pretty as much busy right as, uh, as possible right now. So thank you so much for carving out some time. Really appreciate it. And uh, let everybody know, like always, if they need help, right? Optics is the perfect solution for, I think, for any level of handicapper like for me sometimes i'm using it to like i'll do all my handicapping and then i like to see if the things that i looked at match the plot or match some of the analysis or some of your thoughts and i think for uh, for other people it might be hey you know what i didn't have enough time to handicap or maybe i don't know i like i'm gonna play this pick four but i can't figure out this race i need a little help it really is such a nice tool for however you want to interpret it yeah, I mean, it's, I think that there's a lot of people that use it as that like supplementary. We were kind of talking about this on Twitter, or I think it was like a couple of weeks ago, but 
I mean, for me, I do all my handicapping off optics. So I understand like the, the supplemental aspect because as handicappers, we're, we're so much creatures of habit, right? We're used to yep. grabbing the form, starting at the top, working our way through the field, you know, one by one, each running line. And like to, to kind of get away from that is, is foreign, right? Or people just aren't used to it. They don't, they don't think about it. So yeah, I mean, optics, when you say like grab your past performances, to me, grabbing your past performances is, is opening optics. up, you know, opening up optics, right? Going to the selector, picking the card, uh, you know, and going from there. And then like my process, a lot of people ask us, you know, what's your process? And I think the plot is like, a good place to start because you know when you're going through like you know standard past performances which i use for years so i feel very like comfortable talking about this you you know you're, you're just kind of starting from one right you don't really have a feel on like is this a race that's going to set up for a horse that's forwardly placed or you know where where, where are we kind of going and looking at the plot you're like oh okay i kind of see there's some contention or maybe well the pace looks like really chaotic you know Oh, this there's a lot of pace on it. Maybe this is going to set up for a closer or for a stalker, or you know, there's there's a ton of hype on on flight line, and and that's really strange. He's a small s- circle in quadrant four, you know, like something of like mm-hmm. your preconceived notions. You kind of were, or they'll they'll be put in check right away. And so I, you know, I kind of like that, right? And then I go into the grid, which is kind of that more kind of standard kind of horse by horse. But at least I'm kind of going in with an idea of you know which kind of run style or how those horses. Um, react like with each other right how do they how do they kind of integrate like within today's race shape and it's yeah it's it's just something that visually we all are different we all pick up information and retain information differently for some of us it's like listening to a lecture or doing the stuff yourself for others it's just like a visual thing and just getting a look at the plot sometimes visually makes it like a little easier in your head just to kind of see what's going on. Like you said, if you dive into each horse one by one, it's going to take a lot of time. And some some people like to do that. I do. Others do. You like to look at each thing yourself and then compare. But if you don't have that time or if you are just a little confused or maybe you you want to learn things or look at things a little differently, it's it's you're going to notice things immediately differently when you look at optics than if you just pull up the past performances. Your mind's going to go to like different places right away. Right. So I, I, we're going to start it. We're going to start in like race seven. It's like the Del Mar mile. So, you know, I, I, I had the plot looked up and I'm looking at it and I did handicap all these races for, for Brisnet earlier, but you know, looking at this plot and there's a couple of these turf races, I, I feel like this, so I'm glad we can kind of like talk it out and go through. But when I, I I'm looking at this plot, there is not really a single horse that I'm like, okay, this horse is a, is a strong, you know, X, this like a, a toss type horse, or uh, you know, wow, this this horse is is really the horse to beat in this race, right? Mm-hmm. Which you know, then once we start getting, once you start getting into tickets, right, that's something that you consider because you're not necessarily trying to pick, you know, who do I like best, who do I like second best. You're trying to win, right? Yep. So you look at a race that is a little bit more contentious. Okay, maybe these maybe these two runners, two three runners, are the most likely, but there is kind of a chaotic aspect to this and knowing that, you know, these two horses, they are the most likely they're the most obvious to everybody. That's the way people are going to be playing it. I'm looking at this tool. It's kind of telling me that there's, you know, that there's some chaos. Maybe I'm going to play my ticket in that direction as well, mm-hmm. or at least a secondary ticket in, in, in that direction as well. Yeah. So it, I, don't, I don't, 
Yeah, I don't know how like you saw this race, but I, I thought it was like there was there was a little bit more under the hood, you know? <laughs> yeah, and, and I think what could maybe throw sort of a wrench into it is the possibility of a pretty quick tempo. Um, you know, I think with a horse like Air Force Red down on the inside who's been sprinting recently and, and he has the rail draw, he'll probably be, be forwardly placed. And Goliad doesn't really seem like he wants to sit all that much. He just – he kind of has to go. I feel like with at least those two in here, it'll probably be pretty honest up front. Do you do you have it sort of similarly there with the pace at least early on? Well, yeah. I mean, it, I, could, I could see that scenario, but I, I also kind of looking at the pots, the way I say it, and we don't, we don't really know, you know, what the eight's going to do, right? Because sure. we really haven't had that horse, like, you know, exposed as far as like a running style. But mm-hmm. to me, it looks like Goliad's going to clear, right? It's like much, even though the, the one is coming out of those sprints, it doesn't look on optics that is not nearly as fast as the six, nor do I think Air Force Red is a horse that, you know, wants to like hook up and get into a duel, right? To run sure. a race. So, you know, Goliath clears and does kind of the same thing that they tried to do last time when they just ran that field, like completely off their feet, right? Just kind of spaced out that field. So if you picture it's kind of the same thing, right? Like Goliath just boom, he's like gone, he's clear. Then you have Air Force Red, who's kind of now taking up a lone trip, right? So if mm-hmm. you have, you know, right, you have Goliath way out in front, and then you've got Air Force Red. He's kind of like lone and free. There's a scenario where he gets a trip. Is it he good just enough falls to be into it, enough? right? He backs yeah, out he... from the rail and can sort of just angle to the two path and be the horse that just if, when Goliath stops, he's right there and gets the jump yeah, on. Yeah, or he could. I mean, he could even save ground. He doesn't even yep. need to angle yeah, anywhere. Right. He just he just lets that horse go and just you know is is just kind of chasing behind him and and sits in a trip where if Goliath comes back to the field, which I think he will. I thought that was a pretty taxing effort last out. And he's going to have to step up in class and. Uh, and all those factors there's a scenario where where air force red falls into a trip and and he's not a horse that's necessarily the best horse this has been a brutal meet for leonard powell who's an excellent trainer he's really good really good and and, but his horses this meet you know they're 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 struggling and and, and this is common for him you know he does kind of he really cycles horses he'll give horses a, a rest and kind of let them kind of come into that form cycle which is one of those things just from following the circuit so having Air Force Red making a second start of that form cycle looked like he needed the race just kind of off the trip where he did have some some trouble, was a little bit wide, could certainly could certainly move forward. And again, if that trip is on his side, uh, you know, maybe he falls into it. I know. I, I The more you're talking now, because you don't worry about it. If you're playing it out in your head, you don't worry about getting like trafficy and stuff down on the inside if it's all strung out. And right. after and and there aren't other horses that are probably as quick as Air Force Red in that next tier, it's probably Goliad, then Air Force Red, and then like Tarantino. the next tier, right? Tar- yeah. yeah, then like Tarantino in the next tier. So yeah, he really does seem like he could get a jump. Um, let's talk about some of the other contenders in here. So we have some of the like the deeper closers, and I guess some of the horses who have been in these types of races more recently. You know, you have Hong Kong Harry and probably Kathkin Peak, who will be, you know, logical contenders in here. I'd imagine that. Triple E bouncing back from the dirt I mean he's always going to take a little bit of money With some of uh, his back class um, Let's talk about that sort of group With with Hong Kong Harry and Kathkin Peak They ran against each other last time out in the Eddie Reed Positives or negatives on those? Yeah I mean these are the two horses that I was talking about Earlier that are probably your, your most likely Winners right? Yeah. They have the class They have the speed, they have the form coming into this race um, You know Both horses have races at the distance You know all those, all those things like 
that makes sense. And, and coming out of that common race, I mean, you'd probably, if you're, you know, a trip player, you're probably looking at Captain Peak a little bit more because yeah. that wasn't a, that wasn't a great trip from him from the start, the traffic, the yeah. ride, making a move. Uh, and then Hong Kong Harry didn't have the best start either. And he's kind of one of those horses that kind of puts himself in the in the right place. And and both those horses finished a blanket for place. So so they're hard to split. And again, I think they're they're the most likely type horses that in this race, I have no knocks on either, except for the fact that. They're probably They're shorter on prices. Tickets. They're yeah. on every yeah. ticket. Yeah. They, they were like in unison that whole race because they were drawn right next to each other. And what happened, the horses to the outside of both of them came in and it pinballed the both of them because the horses like from the outside and they bumped each other around and then they finished right next to each other after Kathkin Peak, like you said, had a little bit more to a little more work to do uh, just to sort of get to third. But yeah, I agree. I, I would lean more Kathkin Peak there. And I love how we played the pace out with, you know, Goliad. Now, the more, you know, you talk about this. So for you, Goliad wouldn't be a play. It would be a toss. You would want to be looking for the horses tracking right behind Goliad. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, if there, if there's a scenario, am I going to be like crazy, super surprised if like Goliad wild is this? I mean, maybe I would be a little bit to be honest, but that certainly should be, should be the strategy. And we've seen that happen yep. before and it had happened last year. It's just more in terms of a form cycle that it just kind of seemed like he, he really kind of freaked there. He spaced out the field. He ran a speed figure that's um, five to six points higher than anything he's ever run. He's been like, pretty that common was the in the race, past. Right. Yeah. And, and it was just, you know, it was just, kind of a just taxing effort and you know he's had 35 days since which is a decent amount of time to recover it's not crazy but it's a it's a tougher spot so I, I you know I think he will back up um and there are horses that that kind of can at least if he doesn't try to go fast we'll we'll keep him honest right mm-hmm. um I know you mis- mentioned Tripoli earlier and um he's a horse that I just you know I had I had a difficult time with because I I actually thought that the San Diego was like the right spot for him. Me too. Right? I, I played him that day. Yeah. Yeah. I Because he was like second off. He had some traffic. They've used that like turf to dirt move in the past. Mm-hmm. And it looked like just from, you know, pu- putting all the pieces out on the table, they weren't going to run Tripoli in the Pacific Classic because they're not going to run against Flightline. Right. So yep. it was like, that was his, that was his race. Like mm-hmm. he's second off. We're going to peak for that race. And then he just kind of paired up speed figures and he hasn't really run faster on the turf than he's run on the dirt, maybe kind of similar, which doesn't really give him any edge, right? He's really got to be in that like peak time and place. And I have a hard time saying that this is the day. He wouldn't be any surprise to me because he has those back numbers. He has that class. He's coming in this race in form. He could certainly win. He could run back to those two efforts and maybe those efforts are good enough to win this race. To be honest, um, I just it's kind of a horse. I felt like I've, I've had figured out from time to time. And this time around, I'm just kind of like, I don't know. Uh, I mean, where else are they going to run? I guess this makes sense. But I'm just I'm just not as high on him. Um, and actually, I, I kind of prefer a horse who is outside astronaut. I was they just going to ask. Share- That's the wild card kind of to me, right? Well, I mean, yeah, because he is coming he is coming off the layoff, but um, he does share a common running line with, with Tripoli. Those two finished together at the wire wire last May. Uh, you know, I'm watching him work and he looks he looks his works aren't exciting, but he's one of those horses that that's who he is. And he does look like kind of this, you know, turf horse. Um, and I mean, as far as the distance, I think, you know, a lot of people are going to be like, oh, he's you know, he's running these longer distance races. 
Uh, this is going to be a prep for that. But, you know, he was uh, he was cross or not cross entered, but cross nominated to run in the Del Mar handicap. So if they really wanted to run him long, they could have gone there. Right. If yeah. it's just if it's just a prep and you're thinking this is a horse that wants to go the distance, then then why not? You know, then why not run in that spot? But they picked a spot. And I, I actually don't mind his mile races and his race is way shorter. And he has some tactical speed. He has some finishing ability. He has some class to him. Uh yeah, why why not? You know, there's he's gonna the, be a price, you know. And the, the which it should be. Should be honest with Goliath in here, like at least creating an honest enough pace. Sometimes horses get outrun, other times it's at least a pace that they don't get in other slow turf races. And it's it's not a bad spot for a horse coming off a layoff either, because like we said, he's gonna have to run for about a quarter of a mile, right? Like he's gonna drop back and just sort of lope along, and then they're gonna press the button on him late, and that's when he's gonna start to rally. He's not gonna have to be carving it out throughout and then maybe worry about getting a little tired late. If he can just stay into enough contention to where he's not completely outrun, I- I'm gonna be using him in some spots. I completely agree with you. I prefer him to to Tripoli and some of the others in here. I think he might offer really nice value. And for all um uh, transparency. Emily and I are recording this early on Thursday morning before the morning lines are out. So, I mean, we have an idea of the prices that horses right. are going to be, but we don't know exactly. By the time most of you are listening to this, you will have the morning lines out, so you'll you'll know the prices. But yeah, he he's intriguing to me. I've I've I wouldn't talk anybody off of throwing astronaut. Yeah, and and, and I, I I would say if there there is any one disagreement, I don't think he's as deep of a closer. I don't. That would be don't, great. That would be great because you know on on surface. On surface distance, I mean, he has the same kind of tactical speed as, you know, Cac and Peak. And again, it's all kind of shifted because of, of Goliad. But going back to his other races, I mean, he likes to be kind of three, you know, three, four legs off, mm-hmm. off the front runner. So, uh, yeah, yeah, he can he can certainly kind of get in there. Easy toss in the Breeders' Cup. Just put a line through that race. That was way too tough for him. And then all of a sudden, the form looks a little bit better. You know, the, the trip wasn't the smoothest at the end of the year last year. And before that, all those races are are pretty darn decent. So, yeah, when we talked it out, I agree with you. This is what, what you were saying with sort of the, the plot and what Optics had for this race is there are a couple contenders that maybe are on a tier above, but no standouts, really. No, no, like... Absolutely have to be in this direction And that's that's what makes a race a fun betting race Yeah um, Is there anybody Anybody else we should no, touch think, on Yeah I okay. think we got Yeah I think we got most of this field here okay. Yeah um, awesome Let's jump to race number 9 We're going to hit on the uh, the next 3 graded stakes races That remain races 9, 10, and 11 So the ninth race Is the Del Mar Derby They'll be going a, a mile and an eighth on the turf These are 3 year olds So from the betting support standpoint, I think a couple that will be very fancied, Bolitnikov, who was a winner of the Oceanside last time out, Dandy Warhol, who was a pretty impressive winner in a first-level allowance race who came from way, way out of it. I'm sure they'll be on a lot of tickets. War at Sea has gotten really sharp. He's won three in a row. He had a little bit of an issue and missed missed a, just a tad bit of time, but... They'll yeah, be... he had a he had a he came out of one of the works with a with a, a slight hoof bruise and that, that yeah. forced him to miss the La Jolla. Yeah, and it wasn't but much. But if you training, look at the yeah, yeah the training has been consistent through mm-hmm. through August. Yeah, I think just like the one work might have been missed. But uh, what are some of your early thoughts or uh, your first thoughts on this Del Mar Derby? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think this one's probably one of the, the more straightforward. I mean, Balnikov kind of seems like he's the class in the field. He has a very good race in the American turf. I can toss the cinema because he came back on short rest. It wasn't the right part of his form cycle. They just kind of rushed him into that race. Um, he was dominant in the ocean side. Um, so he's just kind of, you know, he checks the boxes, right? He's got the right mm -hmm. class speed. He's got form over this course. Um, I, I'm, I'm less high on Dandy Warhol, uh, to be honest. I, that horse does prove it to me. If people, if people like him, I, I, I get why. Um, you know, uh, and, and then Matt Kinnon too. I mean, he comes out of the ocean side where that was his first start off. So you could kind of make that excuse for him, but I mean, he was pretty much one paced. He was working really well going into that race. He's working really well since that race. So if you are chalking that up to, well, maybe he needed a race, um, you know, this could be the time for him, but he doesn't have that excuse next out. Yeah. And, um, you know, war at sea is another one that I just, you know, I, I, He's on to improve. He's got another another one that has a, a favorable running style. He can be on or near the lead. He's got some class. He doesn't necessarily like to let horses pass him. Um, so it's it's kind of a combination of, of those three for me. Now, the only horse that is sort of intriguing to me from a pure like pace standpoint, is there a way that slow down Andy can steal this race on the front end? I, is uh, he fast enough to get away? Maybe um, that—that's the only horse I can kind of get creative with. Because another, other than that, I think I'm with you on like a lot of the horses that you mentioned. They're the major, the major top players. But what do you see as like the pace unfolding in this race? Well, the the eight has the eight has early speed as well. Yeah, and it's just it's just as quick to the first call as the two. And then we don't know how the two will transfer, you know, to the, to turf. the turf, right? Because he's Obviously. kind of unknown. And but then like Warrant C is like right off that pair. Um, Sky uh, Spy Catcher kind of right off, right off that. Cabo Spirit, another one that has, you know, has a little bit of tactical speed, could be stalking that group. So I don't, I don't think he'll be lone. Um, he does have those fast speed figures. I, I'm not crazy. I don't think he's really a nine furlong horse. I mean, he's yeah, been able I don't to either. Kind of He's going to be able to get away with it at Sunland, Los Alamitos, like almost, you know, so, uh, you know, and just in terms of class, another one I was like kind of watching his works because it's like you can make the case that he is fast enough. It does have some stakes tries, you know, maybe that that does stack up. But I just I like I, I couldn't quite get there. And, and again, I mean, from the standpoint, like maybe they are going to try to steal it. Maybe they are going to try to like at least create some pace for, for Matt Kinnon. And if they do steal it, I think, you know, they'd be fine with that too. But, you know, slow down Andy is not necessarily a horse that has one, you know, where he's lone. He has been no, involved no. in duels and stuff like that, but. But it was uh, sort of what you were yeah. getting at. That was what I was, I was handicapping him in this race for like the, Hey, Let's have him get loose, and at the very least, it'll help give an honest pace for McKinnon, who we just want to be able to maybe. Because I've been, I mean, he he absolutely can win, and you're right. Like it was an excuse last time out. I guess I've just been a little disappointed in him not like taking big steps forward in some of his races yeah. after yeah. last year. Like I just wanted at this point, I would have wanted to see a little bit more progression from him. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I'm 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 not even really saying that he did have an excuse last out. But it's just kind of like maybe that's the one maybe that's absolutely. the one thing yeah. where he was just a little bit one pace. But yeah, your point. I mean, he did kind of like run the same the same type of speed figures last year. There really wasn't that progression. He didn't progress in his return race. So so this is it. Like this is this is time. He's gotta step up. It has to be today. Um and if it isn't, you know, I think, you know, they've they've gotta figure out what to do next.
Yeah, I think the more and more we talk it out, I, I'm I'm warming up uh, even more to War at Sea, who just seems like a little versatility too. Um, shouldn't have an issue with the distance, like you said. Is just really put it all together and has been in in nice form. And Ellis had a, a nice start to the year. He just hasn't been running as many horses as before, but. Last year and about a year and a half ago Like two years ago The barn was really struggling and going through like a bad lull mm-hmm. And now it's kind of the other way It seems like their horses are just in good spots And running a lot better So yeah, I'm talking myself into him maybe being Based on price Probably the, the direction I lean in But Voliknikov will, will probably be tough If he comes up with anything that was similar to his last Yes, yeah, I think I think the race does go through him Yeah Okay, let's uh Let's move from the Del Mar Derby to the Pacific Classic. So the big race of the meet, mile and a quarter, and it's all about Flightline, who is four for four. He's undefeated. Um, Flightline has always had big gaps in between his races, though. He debuted back in April of 2021, showed back up a few months later in September. Then he won the Malibu in December, and then he was off for six months. He showed back up and won the Met Mile this year, and... He's been impressive in all. I mean, he's never really been tested in any of those races. Um, I I mean, I look on paper and I always feel like with horses like him, the way that they get beat is if you can put a little pressure on them or make them work really hard. Sometimes it doesn't even matter because they can outrun the rest. They can sort of string the field out and still war of attrition, get the job done. But I, can anybody push him in here to make it hard on him? Like, is, is this – talk to us about flight line, Emily. Yeah, I mean, there's you're looking at a horse like from an individual standpoint. Like his class, his class and speed figures like stand out over this field. The yep. really the big unknown, you know, and he's working, he's working great. Uh, is is the distance because he's never done it before, right? And, Which, and this is you know, a mile a big, to a mile and a quarter. This is a yeah, big jump, right? It's, he hasn't even one gone turn to two, one turn to two turns. I mean, there's, it is a big jump. They got, but they got to do it at some point, right? Um, and so, I mean, it is, it's an aggressive spot, you know, they, they don't look for some, you know, anything softer. They've been pointing here and they're going for it. And, you know, from, from a, you never know how a horse is going to do it until they do it. But if you're looking at this horse from his races, from his workouts, he's not necessarily a horse that's like shortening stride late or, you know, giving, giving the, and he's just, just might be fine. You know, like it's, it's not as concerning to me. As anything else, as anything else, right? I, he's clearly the horse to beat in this race. I can't, I can't go like, I can't go against him. Am I going to be betting him? Like, absolutely not. But especially going through the rest of this field, because you know, let's say, let's say you're playing this ticket, like you're trying to beat Flightline. You better have extra hope, country grammar, royal ship, express chase, little boy on your ticket, right? Yeah, all but because imagine, imagine you beat Flightline and then you get beat by, you know, by, well, that's royal that's ship. like, you know, I mean, you you would be like, forget it. So yeah, I mean, it's to me, it's Flightline really just, you know, he stands on this field. He's been super impressive. He can be a little bit slow out of the gate, but he's just, you know, he's so talented. He's so brilliant. Like he's able to overcome. Um, uh, you know. I hope he puts on a show on Saturday, to be honest. I mean, you know, looking at looking at this race, if you are going to play it or you're trying to get cute, I think a lot of the tendency is to look at a horse that's like, you know, well, who's the second best, right? And I, I think a lot of people are going to go to country grammar, like from that direction. Another mm-hmm. horse that like it made sense in the San Diego, I thought he was a really bad favorite that day because it was clearly like, you know, we're going to go to the classic, right? He's a horse that's run better at longer, um, and he was fine, you know, all things considered that being a prep, but 
Um, the way he's kind of trained out of it has just been kind of average. And, you know, I saw a quote from Bob. He's like, well, that's the way he trains. And I'm like, well, I don't know. I, I've watched this horse work in the past. Yeah. It's not quite the same. I mean, I get why you're saying that, whatever. But, um, you know, a horse like when when they're this kind of patterned, right? When it's like the goal, the goal is the next, right? So they get the conditioning that they want. You want to see them come out of that kind of working forwardly, right? So you're like, yeah, they're sitting on a peak effort. I think he's sitting on the same effort. Right. So mm -hmm. if he runs, if you figure if he runs back to the San Diego handicap, is he going to win this race? I don't know. I don't think so. You know, it's uh, at least it's no edge than uh, any of these other horses. You know, the other ones that we that we mentioned, um, you know, Royal Ship, that was that was kind of his day. Right. Set up. For I mean, he went right by Country Grammar. Like you said, Country Grammar was needed the race, but he went right. They were sitting next to each other. He was on the outside and he blew right past him. And Country Grammar didn't have much response. But, you know, you could give him the. The, the mulligan and say he needed the race But you're right I just are we betting Royal ship back off of that monster performance Last time out yeah I'm not it's, it's another one that's like maybe he regresses Off that he's never been a horse that you know The 10 furlongs is what he wants To do he's better he's better at Shorter he is one that does shorten stride Late and the distance does get to him You can go back and watch any of his 10 furlong Races and compare it to that San Diego Handicap at eight and a half last Out completely different I mean express train it's kind of the same way. I mean, he's not 10 furlongs is not ideal for him either, but he has enough foundation that when he is in the right time and place, he, we, he, we've seen, he can get it, but he's got to come off the layoff. His works are fine. You know, I, I, I don't think that they're that excited about him for this particular race. Um, but you know, again, he kind of fits kind of best of the rest. Um, and then as far as like Stiletto Boy, I mean, to me, he's kind of the horse, if you are going to play Exactus, he's probably the horse you want to mess with in second because they've ridden this horse for second. He's run well second off the layoff. He has some tactical speed. So if there is a scenario where, you know, we don't want to run with Flightline because why would you want to run with Flightline? Nor do I think that any horse in here is fast enough to. Um, and certainly Stiletto Boy, I don't think is going to duel into him. But they could let him go. They could sit off him and ride the rest of the horses for place, right? Right, just and not not trying to win, but you, all you have to do is beat everybody else, right? right. Absolutely. Um, and so could kind of fall into that trap, but they've, and they've done that in the past. And he should be he should be a bigger price with you know some of these horses that are more likely win candidates, where he's maybe more likely second or third, like a grind up into you know the underneath spots. That's that's the main problem with the race from like an individual handicapping standpoint. Is just I don't find. I'm always looking immediately to beat horses like this. So are you when we talk a lot of the time. We're like, okay, what can we do to beat a horse like this? The The problem is I just don't find the viable alternative in this race with the other runners. Like I just, I don't, I don't, I'm not warmed up enough to any of the other horses to say, oh, cool. I'm, I'll, I'll go bet that horse at that price. I'm not going to bet flight line at his price. It's just a race that I probably won't be involved a whole lot in. And that's hard to say to people who are like, well, I want to play a pick four or pick five. Tell me what to do. You know, um, it would, it would just be, the approach would be just like you said, it would either be, Hey, I'm going to try to make a big score and I'll just chuck this horse out and play everybody else because I have strong opinions in a couple other races, or I'm going to play flight line. I'll single him and I'll try to find, you know, a one price of a horse that's like over inflated underneath and play some exactas and stuff like that. Right. Yeah, it's just you'll find more appealing gambling races on this eleven race card on Saturday than the uh, than the Pacific Classic is. Like uh, 
like the 11th race as we turn Ooh, to the 11th race. My God. Okay. The, the Del Mar <laughs> handicap. So this one is, I, I thought pretty wide open. Um, oh, it's I, I, the, the same way. I mean, honestly, it's there's, there's not, there's not a single horse in this race that first of all, I don't know who the favorite is. I can't tell you who the horse to beat in this race is. And there's not a single horse in here that I would confidently toss. Right? I agree. I agree. They're all, they are very evenly matched and all have equal amounts of like knocks and then some positives or some ways that you can, you can talk yourself into them having a shot in here. Um, one of the horses who I, I kind of am, am, Going to be, I will be using in a lot of exotics. I feel like he'll probably be one of the top tier contenders as master of foxhounds. Um, I think the trip that he will get in this race will be a little bit better for him, just a softer trip where I don't think he's a horse who needs to be on the lead, but just the fractions going longer here <clears throat> should be softer. He was in a race last time out where he drew the rail. And then he was really aggressive just to kind of hold that inside position. And he ended up getting caught up in a in a battle. And it it obviously softened him up late. So he's one that I'm intrigued by. He got run down, obviously, by Masterpiece, who's right next door to him. But uh, he'll be on some of my tickets. Like, how do you see this pace unfolding, I guess, if that's a starting point? Um, the, yeah, I mean, the, the, pa- the pace is kind of chaotic as well. I mean, we have it as a, as a red plot fit. You have two horses that are that are EP horses. So EP horses are not necessarily like need the lead types, right? When you have like two E's, you know, okay, there's going to be a duel, but that's the six and the 10. Um, and, and to your point, I don't think the 10 is necessarily an E type, right? So, um, and as far as far as Master Fox Towns, I, I gave him a big look to him. And you mentioned the trip, he's second off. Now he's another horse that as far as the distance, this is not his ideal distance, yep, you're but, right. but the caveat to that is if anybody is going to get this horse to go this distance in this scenario, it's Phil D'Amato at this time and place. And this might've been the spot that they're pointing him. They've only had this horse for three races. Um, you know, he's kind of that second off and they've done good work with these distance horses. So it's not the ideal distance. He's a horse that I, I certainly made a, made a similar case for. It just kind of seems like there is positive intent there, um, but it's not a horse like, if he's, you know, anything, if he's like five, to, I haven't quite gone through this yet, but it seems like just on the top of my head, if he's like five to one or less, like I have no problem going elsewhere. Sure. And I mean, as far, you know, as far as masterpiece, I mean, you mentioned, you mentioned that very hot pace and that, that really helped set him up, right? He was covered up. He made that move and got the right trip. Could, could maybe find, find the same trip in here. Um, and then, you know, tis, tis a magician being maybe that lone E um, another horse I've just have really been a fan of, I mean, a fan of in the sense that he takes a lot of money. So he creates a lot of opportunities, but as far as being like, you know, a horse that I like, I think he's rather common, but he's making a second start the layoff. He gives the impression that he's a turf horse. So, you know, so can certainly get the distance. That's for sure. Yeah. Maybe um, there's like a ceiling know. there and he has like a little upside that we may not have seen. Um, and it, yeah, I mean, there might, he might not even have to have upside. It just, you know, turns out to where he's got the stamina, he's got the conditioning, he gets out in front. That's it. You know, they, um, there's the wire, you know, <laughs> we'll, the, we'll let's see. talk to two inside horses. I think, sure. I, I mean, I can make cases for, for both of them to, you yeah. know, get into your exotics, right? We can toss them the dirt race for Dicey Mochara. They took a shot in the Cougar, didn't like it. 
Prior to that the form was very nice And even Gold Phoenix who He had a little bit of traffic trouble last time out And and then that race was sneaky With a pretty good gallop out Um, But distances for these two I'm not sure if it would necessarily be their favorite But Dicey Mochara has a pretty good race At a mile and a half Where it looked like he was going to win that day Yeah I mean he's he's another horse that's like You know one of the ones that I would be like Upgrading on the use of a spread Right because Mm -hmm. as we talked about earlier Powell being cold, maybe his horse is needing a race. That second off, are you know, without a doubt, he's a turf horse. So if he's kind of in the right time and place, and they're pointing to this spot all along, and he's able to save ground and get the right trip, um, you know, I, I don't really know why Van Dyke's not riding. He's only listed on one mount the entire card, which is the sixth race. Which I, I don't know if you have an answer to why that no, is, but I don't. yeah, it's it's kind of strange to me. But but anyways, I mean, obviously he's in good hands with. Velasquez, but it could just be, you know, where they're pointing to in the past. He's run well at Del Mar. So, yeah, I mean, certainly Dicey Machara for sure. And then as far as Gold Phoenix, you know, he had that trip last out. And as you mentioned, the good gallop out, but he's just one of those horses that he's tough. He's just tough to ride. I mean, even his races with Pratt going back to, to earlier this year, I mean, Pratt had a hard time kind of handling this horse. So, I think he's probably frustrating for the connections as well a little bit because there's there's ability there, but can kind of be his own his own worst enemy. But both yep. those horses are uses to me. Yeah, I I think this is sort of my approach looking at this this race too. I I played Tango 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 last time. I he looked like he was gonna win. He was sitting a great trip. They were going fast early, but he's moving right into contention, and then he just sort of like did- out. Yeah, he just lugged out and like didn't corner well. But I was like getting a nice little thrill, like, oh wow, he's getting the jump on the closers. Um, I mean, that was um his first start in a couple months, his first start out here. And then right next door to him, you have Red King, who is a horse who's certainly capable of competing in races like this, but he doesn't win all that often. Either of those horses that you would throw into exotics. Well, I'll I'll say this about Tango Tango Tango. I think he is I think he's softer, I think he's lighter, but if you're looking at optics plot, this horse is on your ticket. Because he he plots he plots he trip, in, a cha- right? in a chaotic in a chaotic race shape he plots pretty well he's a good square in quadrant one, um, and he's going to be a big price so so that alone just puts him on tickets I can't I can't get to the point I tried because of that plot I went through everything and I'm like oh you know Barnes cold and everything like that but just you know to make like a like a top tier pick but um yeah I mean he's he's kind of a he's he's a use and I mean obviously that wasn't that was not what you wanted to see from him. It seemed like it was class and physicality, but the fact that they come back in 34 days into a graded stakes, I mean, yeah. I mean, they got it sorted out. Um, definitely one, definitely one I'd use. I'm lighter on Red King, but you know, he could be the type of horse that that does kind of beat you if he's left off, just because he doesn't win a lot. He's probably not going to get a lot of use. Probably one of the horse that looks the worst on the plot. Um, he's like a quad three, four square. So it looks like he has no pace advantage whatsoever in this race. Um, kind of rather common, probably another one that maybe last time, but, um, yeah, I mean, like I said, I have, a, I have a hard time tossing a lot of horses in here. Maybe the eight is the, is the one toss and then you hate tossing one. One, but, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, cause like Greg Dar and Haywood's beach, you know, well, yeah, I'm they're not, not far out. I mean, they're 
they're they wouldn't be incredibly surprising. I, I'm I'm probably not quite as high on them, but like Haywood's Beach has a little bit of positional speed. You know, a horse like Tessero who had some trouble last time out. They're just there's not a whole lot of separation between the top tiers contenders and and the horses right below them. So in a distance turf race where it's all about trips, I mean that that could be the the difference right there. Two or three horses get maybe suboptimal trips, and then one of these horses, like a Tango, 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 trips out. I mean, that's that's winning and losing these races. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's and that's what it's going to come down to. It's going to be you know you can't you can't. I have a hard time looking at this field and being like, this is the best horse in this race going eleven furlongs on the turf. You know, Com- completely agree. It's, it's like it's crazy. You know, crazy to to say that. So. Yeah, it's really going to come down to which horse is having the best day and gets the right trip, and and you know that's that's the winner. This is the closeout race on the Saturday Pacific Classic card over at Del Mar. It's, uh, it was a really strong start to the meet at Del Mar, like we talked about before we uh, we started recording. And there's a little lull in the middle, but a pretty good Saturday, all things considered. For I mean, a a, a big race that. Isn't going to draw a lot of people when you uh, draw a lot of people horses. I don't think the people are running in the race against Flightline, but it won't draw a lot of uh, horses when you have a, a monster like Flightline on paper. It does scare some off. But the other races that we talked about, they all came up pretty competitive, contentious, pretty like pretty strong and deep from betting standpoint. So I'm I'm pretty pleased overall with the with the big card on Saturday. Yeah, yeah, it's good, and the, the undercard races as well. I think there's there's some competitive spots in there and some some good uh, main special weight races as well. And if we need any additional help ever with the races that we're playing, you want to head to at Emily Optics EQ and you can find out everything you need. Tell us more about where we go to get optic stuff and anything else that you have and you want to plug. Yeah, so at Optics EQ, we always do like the the week weekend special um, and for silver, which gives you plot and notes on. Um, You'll get the optics focus reports for the big races, um, Del Mar and Saratoga, um, that we think are, are kind of worth including, um, which we kind of give like a short comment on each horse, whether, you know, through pace class, like how we rate them and do a focus line. So it's a, it's, it's a, it's a good tool. It's kind of better, but much better than picks and it transfers more in terms of play, um, and allowing you to assess, you know, the board and make decisions based on value. Um, and then as far as picks. Um, over on Brisnet, I cover Southern California on daily selections. So that's all up for Del Mar this weekend. And then if you're playing during the week, that's up on for Indiana, uh, Indiana Grand, uh, Horseshoe Indianapolis. I will always, Indiana Grand will always be stuck with me, but Horseshoe Indianapolis. And then on the Twin Spires app, um, the expert pick videos are there for Indian for Horseshoe Indianapolis as well. And then hashtag bet Woodbine TV and on the Woodbine site for um, the plays on, on on the Woodbine race days. Emily, thank you so much. I know you're very busy and uh, it's always such a blast talking racing with you. I wish you the best of luck this weekend. And if we don't reconnect before, I always want, I'll always uh, annoy you come Breeders' Cup time to see if you can help me out with a, a race oh, yeah. or two. Yeah, a absolutely. race or two then. So <laughs> uh, awesome stuff. And we'll be following along with uh, all of your great work and all of your great content. And good luck this weekend. And I do want to give a little shout out to uh, a common friend that we had, uh, Alan Dinkinson, who passed away. I honestly first um, heard about you and from him. 
he actually was the one who told me all about you and said, this is someone who is really sharp and is a really good handicapper. And I think if you ever are doing stuff and you need someone to bring on, uh, she would really help you. So I always appreciate that he was actually someone who kind of, I don't think he actually it physically introduced me to you, but he was the one that told me about you. And then I reached out to you. And so uh, he was uh, dealing with, uh, with the sickness and he passed away just yesterday before you and I recorded. But I know someone that you and I knew well, and uh, we had a lot of interactions with. So very sad day. Yeah, yeah, it was. And, and, you know, Alan's a good guy. He did, a, he did a lot for me, like for the example that you that you gave, you know, um, has always been like, very supportive of me. And um, I was really fortunate that I, I got to see him, you know, out of Bet Bash earlier this year, um, you know, and, and have a good kind of conversation with him. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's sort of what you want to be right leaves a good mark on people and, um, you know, has has kind of a, a great legacy. And, um, meant a lot to many, many different communities. So that's, that's really cool. Yeah. I I'll always remember I'm a, everybody that follows me knows that I'm a huge wrestling fan and, uh, he had me come and announce his shows. I got to be the ring announcer at his shows. The first time I ever got to step inside of a wrestling ring for a kid that watched going up their whole life, like never getting to step inside the ropes and then getting to do so. It was just a blast. So I just wanted to share that and, uh, and, uh, rest in peace, Alan. And thanks so much for connecting me and Emily. And, uh, thanks so much for all that you did for all those people out there. So Emily, it's never easy to uh, move from something serious like that, but uh, we wanted to give a little uh, a little love to our friend, and I thank you so much for coming on, and I wish you the best of luck this weekend. Thank you. You too, and good luck to everybody out there. Folks, don't go anywhere. We still have a lot more racing to discuss on That's What G Said. Thank you to Emily for helping out. So uh, just a, a quick reminder on some of those races in the seventh race. Yeah, I like where she was going with Air Force Red. I prefer Kathkin Peak of like the major, major players and Astronaut will be some of my exotics too. So I'll probably use the combinations of those three. I mean, obviously the uh, the major, major player who we discussed uh, also to the outside. So I think, but I, I just prefer Kathkin Peak. I mean, uh, the, the other major player, Hong Kong Harry, who wouldn't be a shock. I, I think I like Hong Kong, uh, I like Kathkin Peak just better off of that last trip. In the ninth race, slow down Andy with uh, some speed chance for me. War at Sea also in the mix. I like Daddy Warhol a little more than uh, than she did. And then obviously the uh, that's the one to the outside where Bolitnikov will also be pretty tough. And then in the Pacific Classic, I'm probably not going to be able to play too much in there because I just can't see how I can find a way that Flightline gets beat. That makes sense. In the 11th race, a pretty fun one there with Master of Foxhounds, a playable price at 6-1. to one. Dicey Mochara, Tis a Magician, and Gold Phoenix are all horses that I will be using in a lot of my exotics. So, that's Del Mar for Saturday. Lots of racing on this episode of That's What G Said Podcast. And uh, we're going to finish up and move to wrestling in just a moment. But before we do, we want to talk about Cindy Carava, full-service realtor Cindy Carava, one of the longtime sponsors of That's What She Said podcast. Her website, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com, and she can help you in many, many ways. Cindy Carava is a full-service realtor, buying, selling, leasing. Check out all of her listings, uh, reviews on Yelp and Zillow, CindyCarava.com. Up next, 
We dive into the world of wrestling. It is a huge, huge weekend. WWE Clash at the Castle coming up. There's great buzz right now in the world of WWE. We have AEW All Out and Worlds Collide for NXT. Massive pay-per-view shows this weekend that look great on paper. Chad Cooper joins to dive into all of them. Here it is, folks. Fight of the night. And trying to claim that belt once and for all. It's this week's wrestling recap. All right, calm down. And here he is, your hometown hero, your reigning champ, the one and only Chad Cooper. We are coming up with one of the most action-packed wrestling weekends that I can honestly ever remember. Coop, can you remember like a a 48-hour, not even 48, like a 36-hour period? Like we're going to have this weekend where we have three pay-per-views for WWE, NXT, and then for AEW all back-to-back? No, not all three, you know. Not, you have, not on the same weekend. No, you have to go back to WrestleMania when you have this much wrestling, but it's usually dominated by one brand, the E. But no, this is uh, we're loaded to the gill this weekend. We really are. So we have so much to dissect. We'll go through each of the cards for the big shows, and we'll set you all up and uh, and preview those. And let's start on the WWE side with Clash at the Castle. I thought the last couple of weeks, man, the build to a lot of these matches have really been good, and the ratings have been showing people are excited about WWE again. There's just a whole different feel. There's a whole different vibe to it. And we have to start with the main event match. And you and I are recording on Thursday. So we haven't seen the Friday go-home show for SmackDown yet. But they already recorded it. It's already recorded. Because a lot of the, the crew is already probably on their way to Clash at the Castle traveling. Now, I didn't read spoilers or anything for the episode. But where we sit right now. They have done a fantastic job over the last couple of weeks making me think that Drew McIntyre has a chance to win this title. I'm so I'm totally sold that Drew McIntyre walks out of here with at least one of these titles. I don't know what happens. Um you know, it it's undisputed, so I guess he leaves with both, but that vi- you know, that it, video package last week on SmackDown was fantastic. incredible. And, and look, that's what That's what separates WWE, not from just AEW, but from everyone else, not just the ability to... I think even, Chad, to not interrupt, but I think even other major league organizations, the video packages that they do is... Absolutely. You can stack them up with movie trailers, with, I mean, as good as anything in entertainment out there. Uh, 100%. UFC, NFL, you name it, uh... You know, they just seem to go all out for for this. And they've done look, it, it's not just Triple H, but they've they've done a very good job over the years with building pay-per-views. This one feels really, really interesting. Like we are gonna have the changing of the guard a little bit. You know, the, the word has it that Roman Reigns uh is not going to be on both shows going forward. He 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 wants a little time off uh before that WrestleMania run. You looked at the opening odds. Roman Reigns is what a minus one forty, one minus one fifty. Uh, When's the last time he's been that short in a match? No, he hasn't. Not that right? I recall. Me neither. So, 
all indications tell me that Drew McIntyre is is going to walk out of here with with these world titles. And I mean, they've done a pretty good. If he doesn't, they've done a really good job at convincing me that he will. Me too. And Drew is he has this stature where. They made him like he got made a, about a year ago. Like his run when they when he won the rumble and then he his big victories over you know Brock and he's a made man. But he like the last six months to a year he wasn't like hot, no. right? He's he was a guy that you can always put at the top of the card, but it wasn't like there was anything particularly interesting about Drew or the feuds that he was in or what he was doing. But gosh, in just the two specific things that I um. That I think of right now in the last couple of weeks are the promo with KO and then this video package, and and yeah. those two things helped just remind me about Drew, and and now all of a sudden you think about his journey and wow the guy was supposed to have he won the Royal Rumble and then the pandemic hit, yeah, and then yeah. the moment he yeah. was supposed to win at WrestleMania, he doesn't win in front of any fans. He I wins know. with no one yeah. around, like they. They may never, and in wrestling, that's why I always say, we always both say, go right now when someone's hot. Because who knows if there would ever have been another time for Drew, right? To to really feel like he was the guy. But now, kind of by just sheer dumb luck, you've got this Clash at the Castle show to where if there was ever going to be a moment to try to anoint Drew again, it would be this one, right? Yeah, and then if you look on the Roman Reigns side of it, if he does go over, what's who's next for Roman right. Reigns? You know, if you look at both shows, I mean, you, you've kind of got a KO Sammy U- Uso Brothers program that is, Which is going fun. to be spectacular. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know? yeah. And then, you you know, you look on, uh, you know, the Raw side of things. You've got Rollins, uh, maybe. Um, there's there's Riddle. You, you've got Austin Theory, but that's, you know, he's not going to have it. It'd it be just, in a storyline with Roman It feels Reigns. like Drew would freshen things up quite a bit as far as the, the matches and the contenders are concerned, right? Yeah, and a lot of new opportunities. And, yep. you know, we talked about it last week. You know, the Bloodline storyline has been phenomenal, but it probably has reached its peak here. And I, I you know, if Roman does retain, I wouldn't surprise me, but where do we go from here? It would have to be something, and I don't think Triple H is, I don't think he's shown that he's going to fall back on a safety net here and say, well, you know, we can always bring this, you know, bring this guy into the fold. We, you know, we, there's always a Sheamus. There's always, you know, when is Big E coming back? When is Cody Rhodes coming back? So I think now would be a time as good as ever to get these belts off Roman Reigns and, and then give him some time off. And I mean, look, let him go through the Royal Rumble. Let him be the guy that that draws number one and, and goes through all 30. There, there's a lot of things that happens here. But I tell you what, if Roman does retain, they could have fooled me because it, all indications tell me that Drew McIntyre's your new champion. Man, I, I got a good feel for Drew right now. And then Drew could be, he could be a really nice counter to what's been happening recently, right? Because I don't mind... That Roman isn't around all the time. Like, I don't think your ne- your main champion has to always be there wrestling on TV. Like, we've talked about how sometimes we didn't like what was going on with Moxley, right? right? right. It didn't feel like he was the champ, but it does get to a point when they're not on either show sometimes, and it's like ah, now either show doesn't really have that main champion for a while. So 
it's been fine with Roman. Like I haven't had any problem. But if you want to go in a different direction and have the guy Drew that can be your workhorse champ for the next three or four months, you know, maybe right till the Royal Rumble and take you there. And then if you don't want Drew to be the guy at WrestleMania, well, that's fine. And at the Rumble, you take the belt off of him. And you know you you put it on whoever you want, and then you have whoever win the rumble, and there's your your mania match. Like you have a lot of options. So this could kind of be like with Triple H taking over right now. This could kind of be like a reset. You know, you you it, give it, it you give it to Drew. Point. You make a good point, and a lot of people you know have also said, well, Drew was a Vince guy. Um, you know, I, I I don't look at it that way anymore. I I don't I don't think those that who were Vince's people. Uh, and maybe I'm wrong, are, are going to be treated any less or any more. I mean, Drew's a star. He has been. He's been at, uh, the product of bad booking, but it hasn't been really his fault. It's just kind of the direction the company went into with him. The same with Big E. Big E was a product uh, of that as well. He won the title, and it was just there really wasn't anybody there, and they were stuck in a weird period of time. But uh, he, they've, they've done a fantastic job building him back up. He's always been a star. You know, he, he can main event Raw or SmackDown or a house show anytime he wanted to. But see how quickly they were able to turn it back on. Because, look, you know, Drew, uh, what we were four or five weeks ago, Karrion Cross comes in and attacks him. Um, so, look, there, there's a built-in feud right there. I don't think Roman's going to chase the title. Roman's going to lose it and be like Brock Lesnar. He's going to be gone for a little while. I I, I expect that. Uh, Karrion Cross would be somebody that that you could you could slip right in and go go to a, an instant storyline that is that is very hot and it's brand new. We've never seen it. So I just kudos to WWE for for not having a whole lot of time to build this storyline up. Uh, I, I just think, you know, you know, look, Drew looks good with those titles on it. I think this is somebody that, uh, and, and as you said, uh, they kept the receipts on a lot of things. And, and, and I think I think you can reward him big here uh, in front of a, a lot of friends and family overseas at the Castle uh, pay-per-view Saturday afternoon. I, I'm pumped for this now. I really am. Uh, big, big match. It is. It feels like it. You talked about how now we haven't had anything listed as an actual match. Do you think we get a... Uh, a Usos Sammy KO Or do you think that's sort of like They're telling that story and maybe it's I don't I don't necessarily know if I want them to rush that Yeah I, I don't want to rush it I don't want to see it this Me neither, Me neither. You know, I want it to play uh, out more because that's An issue that I'm having with AEW right now Is that their Their, mat, their card is going to look fine on paper But I want Wrestling is every week There's no reason that, that stories have to be Rushed going into a pay-per-view Like you book this shit you know what I mean? Like you can set it up however you want. There's no reason why you have to rush things and then jam them a week before. Now, I always like like storytelling in my wrestling. WWE, AEW, Impact, Independence, Ric Flair's last match, like the yeah. the territories. You know what I mean? I'm I've always been a build up to big matches, big shows. And so if there's not enough build. I'd rather not even have some matches on big shows. I'd rather wait till you built them up a little bit better. Yeah, and, and what we saw on SmackDown with that last Friday, and I'm with you. I, ha- I have not looked at the spoilers. I'm not a spoiler guy. I, I won't look at them. Um, don't rush that. Let let it be natural because if you automatically put KO and Sammy together, and they might that that's it, it, you know that that may happen. 
this Friday, uh, Friday night on SmackDown, we may get that match. But I, I, I just don't think it would do it justice. I think that's a good big TV build. And that tag team title match can can headline a Friday night SmackDown and let the titles change hands on, on TV. It doesn't have to be a pay-per-view. No. So uh, on this pay-per-view, other big matches that we have, they I thought they, they did... Well, it's funny because well, we're going to talk about NXT too. We saw Shayna Baszler pop up on NXT. She's going to be facing Liv Morgan here. What is sort of a little weird about this is that Ronda is kind of sort of in the mix here too. And so I don't really know what they're going to do. And I, I got to say, I haven't really loved that. I haven't really loved what they've done with Liv after winning the title since the, the Ronda thing, because they didn't really seem like they had a plan. She acted like she was going to be kind of heelish, and then she hasn't really gone into that. So she's, is it the same thing? The same babyface thing, Chad? Like yeah. we saw with Big E, like we saw with Bianca at the beginning for a little while, where they you win the title, your chase is over. What do we do with you now? It, it, you're no long. You're no longer the underdog. <laughs> you know, everybody loves the underdog story, even even the the smart mark fans. Um, it's uh, I I don't expect her to lose here. Uh, she she's a pretty decent favorite. Uh, looking at the odds, I don't expect her to lose here. Uh, interesting that Shayna Baszler is the chosen one uh, to be put into this, and we saw saw Shayna on NXT this week to to push Mandy Rose. I, it, it's hard to get into this match because there's really nothing there. Uh, th- there's really no substance there. I think they're waiting for Charlotte Flair to come back, and I think they're waiting for after this pay per view. I think Charlotte comes in at the heel, and we see Charlotte live, and I think that's when Live will be hot again. Now, look, Live was in Houston over the weekend. This big autograph signing. Um, she's as popular as ever, but as storyline on TV in ring goes, it just kind of feels like this is, eh, well, we'll give you this person to work because you're the champion. Hey, look, I'm not, I'm not complaining to the point where she's not on the card because we've seen that before. Champions just not even have matches on a pay-per-view. So, yes, at least she does have a match. But it's really, you know, that's the one thing WWE has done really, really well is tell good storylines and have them meaningful even if the match really wasn't as good as as good as it is on paper, I don't. I'm not expecting a lot out of this, but I Me am neither. expecting Liv to go over clean, and, and I do think Charlotte Flair will return after this pay per view, and that's the way we're going to go. If not, again, who do you go to here? Um, you know, it, I think it's Charlotte or nothing after this pay per view for Liv. So one of the matches that doesn't have a whole ton of build yet, but they do have Friday. I'm sure that we would will get with something, and I I say. I actually like what they did last week with Sheamus and Gunther, where they they just sort of stood in the ring, like eyeing each other, and the guys around them were going at it. And um, this thing should just be a really fun brawl for two guys who are probably going to get really big receptions at this show. They're going to be both baby faces here, I think. Yeah, and this this uh, again, I I I don't see Gunther losing the title, but the match going to be uh, if you like stiff chops to the chest. Uh, Sheamus is not gonna be, he's gonna be red, right? He is, yeah, that white skin is, uh, <laughs> you know, he makes me look tan, and I'm as about as white as you can get, pasty white as you can get. 
Uh, this There's a good picture good. out there floating around of Elon Musk <laughs> yeah. looking like Seamus. I don't know if you've yes. seen it or not. He's yeah, on like some yacht and he looks like he's just cast for the friendly ghost. I was like, is that Seamus <laughs> over there? On there? I, I, this, again, look, if uh, if you're not a fan of either one of these two workers, which I, I, I don't know anyone who doesn't like at least one, if not both of them, this is the type of match you want to see. You, you, you don't want clean cut, you know, good technical stuff you want a good stiff match and these yep. two guys are going to give it and you're right both of them are going to be real over on saturday real yeah, over. This, this should be fun and what i like is it'll be like this will be a different style this is like what wrestling shows are have kind of always been meant to be you have different styles of matches right kind of like a variety show a li- like something for everyone and this will be the really hard-hitting match for uh the women i think the six women tag is going to be awesome I bet they have some really cool spots And I bet we're going to get some really fun tag stuff They've been building this match for a while With Bianca, Alexa, and Asuka Versus Bailey, Dakota Kai, and Io And so I, I really expect this to be A fun, fun match And, you know, there's not that many matches on the show So these they should give them 10 or 15 minutes to go at it And I, it'll be, I think, a blast with these six women They can all go Yeah, and I think that I, I, I'm a, I like the heels here I, I think, I think so yeah, I, I think they're a pretty big, solid favorite as well. I I, I kind of questioned the booking a little bit last Monday night on Raw uh, with with uh, EO and Dakota. Um, I, I, I'm not I, I'm not upset that they didn't win the titles. Um, they do they do lose something though coming into this match, right? It does, like it doesn't it feel. And I yes, didn't like the, the totally agree. Out got involved and caused them to lose. I thought that was. I thought that was a little wonky. I didn't like it. I have no problem with Raquel and Aaliyah being champions. I really don't. I, I have no problem with them. I didn't like the way the faces lose coming into this, or the heels going into this. And you have the three baby faces come out and get involved in that. Um, eh, I, again, I, it loses a little steam, but at the end of the day, are we really going to remember what happened on Monday? I just, it kind of makes the face, it kind of makes the heels look a little. Sympathetic, little, uh, yeah. And, like, and especially if they go over on Saturday, which I think they will. But the match is going to be fantastic. Just you know, Bailey is great. Io is great. Dakota, look, she didn't know if she was going to be wrestling ever again when when she got released. She thought her wrestling career was over. She was going to find other things to do. Uh, she looks refreshed, and of course, all, you know, all three ladies on on the the babyface side of things can go too. So. They'll protect Bianca. She won't get the pin. Poor Alexa or uh, or Oscar or will will be the one that that takes the pin. But I expect this match uh, to be really good. It could steal the show because all three of these ladies can go in that ring. The Edge Ray Mysterio versus the Judgment Day match. So this one's kind of a little bit weird because you have Edge and Ray Mysterio teaming. Dominic's going to be with them. Um, we know Beth Phoenix has kind of been around also and Then on the other side you have Finn and Priest Rhea is going to be in their corner But it is just a tag team match Edge and Ray versus Finn and Priest We have been talking for No joke ha- Like a year and a half about a Dominic Turn on <laughs> Ray I, I mean it Again on paper It feels like this isn't a bad Moment for it to happen because Just the way the math works here Dominic jealous that Ray's wrestling with Edge And they team up You know you could see why 
Do you think that happens here? What do you think? Uh, what do you expect out of this match? Man, I don't know. I, I just again, they there's there's some weird kind of hints that have been dropped between Ray and Dominic. You know, I, I just. As you said, we've been turning these guys, we've been splitting them up for how long now? I know. It, it just seems like <laughs> I, we're never going to get there, and I don't know if we will. Um, I, I just think that by the time, if we do get there, I, I don't know if it's going to s- seem like a surprise or not, because I think everyone has expected it. So, I honestly, I, I really don't know. I really don't know about this match. The Mysterios, as good as they are, you know, They've been able to remain important without being in a, a tag team title picture. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'd like to see Dominic go heel, though. We can't pull Ray. It's, it, we, we can't turn him heel. I don't know if it happens here. I don't know if it ever happens. I just want it to happen so we can say, ah, finally it happened. So I, I, I really don't know what to expect out of this match. And uh, the, I think the match I'm the most excited for now, especially with the last few weeks and what they've done, and the stuff was just really cool and and natural. They had him fighting in the parking lot before the show. They were it was on social media. People were like, "Look at Riddle and Seth Rollins fighting in the parking lot." Um, Riddle's come out of the crowd a couple times, and then this week when they're having a back and forth, Seth just blasts his family and like goes like really gets personal. And yeah. Riddle's like, where are you? I am coming after you right now. I mean, it was good. It was really, really good. I'm pumped for this thing. Yeah, now you see why they they pulled the match uh, from the last pay-per-view. Uh, they they definitely wanted to give it a, a, a correct build. I, it, it's been as uh, an important of a, of a story uh, in WWE on both brands uh, for the last couple of weeks. And... The promo here this past Monday, uh, where they thought they were they were off air and they really got really personal. It's just, it just shows you how good you know Seth Rollins really is in in everything he does. And again, it's somebody that does not have to be in that big big title picture to be important. And this this match has really felt personal. You know, when you think of Riddle, you think of kind of a goofy guy on the scooter, you know, talking about hitting the vape all the time. Hey, bro. I think he's done a pretty good job of of showing other sides of this, you know, kind of goofy, goofy California surfer type dude character and that he could really be serious. And again, this is a match that that could main event uh, a pay-per-view, a Absolutely. Raw. And, and I think they're, th- this is probably going to be the best match of the night. In In one year, either one of these guys could be the world champ facing it, defending it against the other. Like in, within a year, at any point, you know, I just this is fun, and I'm really, really looking forward to it. So those are the six matches that are listed on the card. I'm not sure if they're going to add anything else, but there are a few other things I want to mention on the WWE side that happened throughout the week that um, that may not happen on the pay per view. Now things are going well for Ricochet. It feels good for him. he feels like one of the people that they're just making look stronger. And how it, it everybody can't instantly. Go win the WWE championship Right it just it right. can't work that way You have too many people they can't all at the same time Win a bunch of matches and be booked But you can do it slow With some you can start to build And with someone like Ricochet He picks up another win over Happy Corbin And it sort of feels like that is kind of Now in the rear view for him And he can move forward and then we see Ricochet Show up on Tuesday night 
And oh my gosh, he felt like the biggest star in the world in that ring. And that was one of the most comfortable I've ever seen him on a microphone. And I don't know if it was just because it was in NXT and it was like, hey, I'm going back to high school now, you know, but <laughs> he he just like he's what did uh what did um uh, tr- uh, they said Trick and uh, and Carmelo said, "Oh, hey, he's picking up a microphone. Does he know how to use that thing?" <laughs> they took, they said, like they they took a shot at him, and he sort of smiled. But man, I I thought this was a really good week from him again. Yeah, uh, look, I, yeah, and I I think Carmelo also said uh, he said something about it. His you know Ricochet has no hair. Yeah, uh, I was like, wait, wait, where did that even come from? But okay. Dude, uh, phenomenal. I'm glad you brought him up um, because he's easily overlooked. But again, just what happens in a span of a span of a day or two shows you the worth and the talent of some of these people that are forgotten about. Look and look, they they put on all these great matches, you know, house shows. We don't get to see a lot of them on TV, but just the simple fact that this guy came over to NXT and one day no one had any clue this was going to happen and challenge Carmelo to a match. Um, I, I, you, you have to ask yourself, could this be the match of the weekend of all three big events? The I WWE know. Castle, AEW pay-per-view on Sunday night. Could this be the one match that people set the bar and say, okay, I, good luck following that one. I think that's this type of match. Well, cause, and if you're a fan of, of AEW and maybe, if you're a fan who was like an old tape trader and maybe for you match quality is more important than storyline. That's fine. Everybody has differences. This might be the match of like you said, this might be the best quality match you will see all weekend long and in just a couple moments they sold me on a little story between these two guys. So, I mean, th- I thought it was a good good week for Ricochet. Um and then we talked about Sammy and KO, dude. <laughs> Sammy on SmackDown, just like the the nuances and the the comedy ish stuff that he's able to do with Roman, and when he's and like how he's Jimmy's mad at him, but the Jay's not, and he's sort of like dancing around all of that, and but Roman's kind of like Sammy. It seems like I just everything they're doing is like so entertaining to me. And shout out to Sammy, and as we move to Raw. To KO because it looks like we're gonna get maybe a, a Sammy KO babyface run together yep. going after the Usos for the tag team titles. You think we, we're gonna see that soon? We have to. Don't tease us and and not go through with it's it. It's gotta happen. And like I said, I don't know what happens Friday night on SmackDown. We could see these two team up and challenge the Usos. That would be a pretty quick turn. I want this story. To go on another week or two You know we always talk about Hey the time you know Let's jump on things now Some of those things uh, We don't need to because they're so damn good And this is one of them KO you know just coming out there Sammy had the chance to to put Take KO out with the chair And he kind of didn't and he waited I just think this is great storytelling As good as everything is in ring It's even better outside the ring with a microphone I want this to go on for a couple of weeks Before we finally get the The 2022 version of the Mega Powers man joining force It feels really really good I want to see those Because I think the fan I think the WWE Universe has also wanted Sammy to turn back face Don't you? Yeah especially 
the good work. It's like one of those things where we want to reward him for the good work he's done as a heel over the last couple of years. So we want to cheer for him now. Yeah. You know? Oh, and yeah. That's, when you're such a good heel for such a while and you're entertaining and you're also funny, like Sammy is, like he's he's just funny. Like he's, it's, uh, I'm so pumped for this. And like Sammy and KO, I, I do want to give a shout out. Um, one, and it's super sad. I've mentioned that I've done um, ring announcing and announced at shows before, and I announced Sammy and Kevin Owens in person uh, multiple times at shows that had like a hundred people there. And the the um, the guy who actually booked the shows was a guy named Alan Dinkinson, and he just passed away. He was dealing with, yeah, he was dealing with cancer. He was a very very well known professional gambler and a huge wrestling fan for the la- his whole life. He's been to. Like almost every single PWG show that they've had, he would sit front row. He would fly from anywhere he was to go, and so he would always tell me about guys before they were on my radar. You know, he would tell me, "Hey, there's this guy that's like Daniel Bryan, and hey, there's this guy, there's this Riddle, or hey, Cesaro, you know, Claudio Castagnoli. These these people that were on the indies that I hadn't really seen a whole lot or didn't know a whole lot about, and then boom, six months later they show up in WWE. You know." And it for me it was really cool because I have been a wrestling fan like you, you know, my whole life. I love wrestling. We talk about it here every week for a couple hours, but I'd never stepped foot in a wrestling ring. And I got to step foot in a wrestling ring uh, because I got to announce at his shows. So uh shout out to Dink because he was uh someone who helped me kind of live one of my dreams to get to get the step between the ropes and and call uh you know announce announce some wrestling, which was a lot of fun and Rest in peace, Dink. Thanks, uh, thanks for the opportunity, and thanks for helping me meet some people like Kevin Owens and and Sami Zayn. And it's, Chad. It's like uh, it's always sad and hard to move from talking about someone like that back into our uh, our our wrestling stuff. But the the thing, the story that this kind of reminds me a little bit of the Cami, the Cami, the Sammy Ko story is <laughs> is is like the uh, the Young Bucks, the Elite, and the Hangman Page stuff. You know because. These guys have this history that dates a while and that goes to multiple companies, but on the WWE side right now, they're letting this story play out a lot better versus on the AEW side. We're probably going to have a match with these guys on the pay-per-view and we didn't even have one. We're not even going to have one show to sell us on it. Yeah, that's unfortunate. And, 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 and back to Dink, uh, just gone too soon. You know, there, there's, you know, for as much, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of negative press that goes on in the professional wrestling world, and, and some of it is deserved. They bring it on to themselves. But we, you never get to hear about the good stories enough. You know, when, when you watch television news, you, you hear a lot about the snippets of crime, what happened bad, this place got flooded, you know, so-and-so. This. You never see a lot of the good stories. And, and from everything what I've heard and read over the last, you know, day or two, he, he's been a... I, nothing but uh, good for uh, professional wrestling and just one that's gone too soon. But, you know, yeah, you know, you go from, a, you know, WWE has a big show and AEW has a big show. We know they've had all these problems and are they going to have a map? You got to just think that I, I don't know what goes on in the minds of some of these promoters. Um, and if Tony Khan is making all the decisions and it's him and he's just getting input from whatever, 
you know, and then you look on, I know I'm all over the place, but you look on the other side of it, there's Triple H, he's got people, on, on, you know, underneath him that give him suggestions, and I'm sure workers, you know, do the same, hey, I have, you know, this idea and that idea, but you go into this weekend and you've got to look, which, you know, th- this, again, this is one of the biggest pay-per-views for AEW, uh, this and uh, what, this one is actually called what, this is Double or Nothing? or is this, this is All Out, All Out. This is all out. Uh, yeah, because yeah, Double or Nothing is around. Was, was the one, the, 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 yeah, the earlier one. Yeah. And early. I just, I, I don't understand why. I'm I'm interested in what happens with the Young Bucks and Kenny and Hangman Page. Why don't they tell that story for a little bit more? I mean, yeah. Yeah. or why did, and, and I, and for a couple of these, I'm not sure. Is it because Kenny wasn't ready, right? Is Is that the problem with CM Punk? Did they not have the ability to start telling this story three weeks ago because CM Punk couldn't go? You know, it, if that's the case, then I can understand why. But right now, you and I are recording on Thursday. And just like what we said about the Sammy and KO thing, I I don't want that match to be made after a tape-delayed SmackDown and they didn't build it up and tell the story of like, Sammy may want to join KO, but then he can kind of like what Daniel Garcia is dealing with, right? Like that's sure. what, what what Sammy should have, like that story a little bit. Should I go here with my buddy or with the bloodline or what do I do? I don't like the fact that right now we don't even know if it's going to be Hangman Page against Omega and the Young Bucks yet. We still don't even know that until after Friday Rampage. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's, so it's two it's different. Both- it, it's it, yeah, it is. It's it's two different worlds. Go back to Wednesday night dynamite, <clears throat> the main event. Omega's back. He's in ring. It was it, it was look. That's what you get with the Bucks, Omega, and, and Osprey. You just you get a lot of spots, and a lot of wrestling fans like that in in their matches. A lot don't. Um, did Kenny Omega coming back last night? do it for you did, did you feel like okay a superstar is back did he look the part i thought the match kind of went a little long i don't know i think they kind of i think i would have i would have saved omega a little bit um i, I know I, what you're I, saying it's there's it something feels, like, i don't something didn't feel right with me on omega last night yeah this, and it's i don't have a problem with i don't have a problem with the matches they're building towards. I just have a problem with why it always seems rushed before a pay-per-view. Why can't we time this out so that way things peak going into a pay-per-view and it's not just like, oh, yesterday we announced 10 matches on a 14-match card. 14 matches on the card. Three, out. three on the pre-show. And, and, three I, and on the pre-show. And we're going to get into AEW in a minute. There are probably four matches on that card that I think are built well, like should be. So I don't understand when you only have like four pay-per-views, I guess different, they had the Forbidden Door and the Ring of Honor one, and that, and maybe that that's the issue, right? Yes. I don't understand how you can't have better builds. I, I can understand having too long of builds that people are like, <laughs> oh, I'm sick of this. But I don't get how you can just throw a bunch of these matches together on a pay-per-view that you want people to pay for when... The quality is going to be great. That That's the thing. AEW, your wrestling quality is really good. WWE's wrestling quality is really good. But am I paying for a bunch of stuff now on a pay-per-view that's all that different from what I get on weekly TV? 
No, because if you look at some of these matches, they are basically dynamite rampage matches. I mean, at least I know when I'm watching a WWE show that Roman Reigns is going to show up and wrestle on these pay-per-views, and he doesn't do that on TV, right? There are going to be a couple of these titles defended that aren't defended on TV. The, the matches on sh- on big shows, I always want to feel like a conclusion of a storyline or a big come-together moment. I don't like it when it feels like they're starting off that way. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we've gone... Back and forth, uh, one or two more WWE things to mention before we completely uh, move to NXT. So we've got the maximum male models in Hit Row, kind of going back and forth a little <laughs> bit here. I, there's something funny just about the like the, the the clash of the styles with these two that makes me laugh a little bit, you know. Um, and I think I think WWE announced that match for SmackDown Friday yes. night. I th- yeah, I think the tag match there. And then uh, we had um, Xavier. Xavier Woods is back. He looks like he's healthy. Uh, Xavier Woods was able to stand up, and uh, him and Kofi helped beat on the uh, the Viking Raiders there. So we'll probably see some um, uh, some Xavier in the new day moving forward. Those were uh, just a few other things to mention from SmackDown that ended up with that Sammy Drew match that Drew ends up winning, and then uh, Drew actually is able to sit. Um, Drew gets beat down, and Roman kind of stands over him. With the, the uh, chair and a couple belts So they beat Drew down pretty good here um, And I'm Yeah, that, that main event match Looks looks really good A couple things to mention from Raw, Coop uh, We don't really have anything going for AJ And Dolph, but We're seeing them a lot, it feels like They're kind of getting heated up maybe for something I don't know if it's a tag run, but If you don't have anything for them These are guys that are at least really good wrestlers And that, you know I don't mind seeing every week, but I would definitely like to see a little more purpose for AJ moving forward. Yeah, it, I have no issue. Poor Dolph, he's not going to get a singles run probably ever again. He just seems like he's in tag team after tag team. I have no problem with with Dolph and AJ. Uh, number one, I'm a Dolph Mark. I've let that be known. Years yeah, ago. me too. I So, yeah, I, I would like some purpose there. I thought that match was a little weird. Um, I... I I got into it. I just didn't think it really served much as a purpose. I, I agree. I, I, I just something was odd about that match on, on Raw. And we had a, a fun interaction with. Uh, we knew that Gable was going to have to be the one oh, to interrupt <laughs> Kurt, right? It, it was uh, it was textbook, and they did the shoosh shoosh and and shush, uh, please. at least he says please after a couple of them shoosh shoosh please, please. and then the. Uh, <laughs> The spot with the the street profits drinking the red solo cups, and then Kurt gets the milk out. So oh, yeah. they had fun with them, and man, the crowd was hot. They were hot at Raw, and um, we had a uh, Lashley. So Lashley's not on the card either, huh? No, he's that, not. That's the one thing that I do think. Again, it's I, I don't mind having a six match card where they're all built well, and then. You know, we can continue to have stuff on TV. That's fine. I'd actually rather do it this way than throw five other matches on the show that don't have any build, like we we kind of see AEW do. I prefer a smaller card like this where everything seems to feel a little bit more important. And then, yeah, maybe we have something for Bobby moving forward. But yeah, Bobby, Miz, Champa, all guys that we've seen recently. Theory, um, and then uh, I thought Gargano was the last thing I wanted to mention about Raw. I thought he. I kind of like the setting of having him do the uh, the promo in a different space like that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And it just, make, just makes him feel uh, as a 
bigger. This is where I think AEW has not done a good job in just resting on the, hey, everyone knows this guy or this girl is coming from WWE. So they're automatically going to be uh, hot in this type of setting. No, you don't have to bring someone in and automatically feed them to the fishes. You know, let them... I just think this makes Gargano feel more important. And I think him in theory can do something really, really special here in a couple of weeks. I, I like I like where this is going because there's a built-in storyline there. And I like him kind of being in the arena, sitting there talking. And then lo and behold, here comes this cheese ball, Austin Theory, who I hear they're, they're, they're bringing back the name Austin Theory. I think, yep. I think he's going to be not be known by just I Theory. I think Tommaso and Matt are going to get their names back too. Tommaso Ciampa I, and Matt Riddle is what I've been yeah, hearing. I think yeah. they are. So I, I just think this again, this is, you don't have to copy. This is not copying people, but when you bring people in, even though they're known from another entity, build them up again. This is, yep. look, he's on the main roster for the first time, or this guy, this girl is going into AEW for the first time. Those just don't put them in the ring and let them beat down somebody. I like the way they build some of this stuff, and I'm in no hurry. I don't want to see Theory and, and Gargano this Saturday at Clash of the Castle. It would mean absolutely nothing to me. Let's build it up so when they do work, it'll be really special. And some people don't don't mind the, uh, like, having to, to do prerequisites, right? Like, I watch all the Marvel movies and MCU movies and stuff. Like, I know that if I watch this next movie, I, I probably had to watch the one before. The problem is you you kind of know... Like, you know which movies you need to watch. AEW will do it. They will make you feel like if you have not seen every single thing that's happened in the history of pro wrestling, that you're, you, may be, you may be missing out on something. Like, you may not know, and they don't do a good enough job to tell you. We'll get to it in a, in a minute. Ace Steel cuts this fantastic promo. This amazing, like, really good promo. Yeah. I don't know who the hell the guy is. No you one does. Like, this is a trainer. Wait, he had a trainer? Why didn't, you, trainer? why didn't you tell me this for a week or two? Let me see this guy. Like in it, like more visibly, let him let me have an interaction with him and punk for a week or two, and then let this guy come out and cut this promo. How many people in the audience were like, who? And then he sort of gets to it, but if you know right away when the guy gets in the ring, you're like, Oh, that's punk's that's punk's trainer. And and then it Okay, now they're going for like a Mickey thing in Rocky. Okay, now I can feel it. But tell me, I don't think very many people in the wrestling world, I don't think every wrestling fan knows Ace Steel. I, I can raise my hand right now. I did not. I knew that, I knew the name of a per, like he was Punk's trainer and stuff. But you and I talk about wrestling for hours a week. I read all the news in the dirt sheets. I am not a person that does not keep up with wrestling. If I have a problem following along with some of it, I think people flipping the channels are going to ask way too many questions. That's my only concern with AEW. Very, very little of the time is it quality. Most of the time, it's the build to the matches. And like, give me a video package. Give me 30 seconds to tell, have like, show me something that CM Punk said about A Steel in an interview five years ago somewhere. I, I've never heard of the guy. Right? Ever. Ever. Like, and if he was your trainer for MMA UFC, uh, I wouldn't be bragging about it because that career went down, went down the two. Hey, look, I, they were in Chicago. I know what they're doing. They're, they're trying to build up this match and make it respectable. So let's let's go to AEW right now, okay. and then we'll come. Okay. We'll finish with NXT because we're okay. already talking enough about AEW. So we might as okay. well stay in this. Uh, so stay we're, here. We're, we're 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 talking about the main event. Uh, Punk 
versus uh, Moxley. Moxley. Moxley is t- turns to this tweener type person last week after he he rolls over CM Punk. It was a glorified squash. Then cut another promo at the end of the show that buried Punk. He did it again last night. Um, and I know it's in Chicago, and he got booed. I, I just, I'm hoping for not only AEW, but for CM Punk that this match is much better than the one 10 days, seven, eight, nine, 10 days ago, whatever it was. Because so, if, it, if it's not any better, you don't recover from that. And I don't know, I, I, I don't know if Punk will. I don't know if this title will. I don't know if AEW will because they're on the cusp of right now. Look, and I know they popped a big rating last Wednesday, but still, when Dave Meltzer is pummeling you because Raw did over two million, and he said, "quote unquote," that that AEW is basically in the mud now. That's saying something. They're 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 at a point where they're going to have to start doing things different, and I don't think they are. I think this is what we're going to do. I just don't know what good this does with Punk, Moxley, and this world title picture. Because you know this main event is not going to be five-star. Even if, even if Punk is healthy, this is not going to be five. It's going to be bloody because Mox has already told you that. And it's, and it's going to be a wacky type match. They've already told you that. Is, and the, the, with, with wrestling, for me, it comes down to money. What's in the money? What's in the draw, right? What's What's in that? And... Did they try to pop a rating the other day and completely screw over this storyline? And if you don't have MJF waiting in the wings right now, and you just had Punk, like if Punk loses again, he's done. I mean, like you might as well put him on uh, rampage, right? Put him, put him. <laughs> no, you're right. He's on. He's rampage Friday and and dark. Yeah. But, but yes. I'm not. I mean, I'm not saying that. But if if he loses again, just clean. Then what? What's the point of the story? Because they said they told us that he came back too soon. Like everything about this doesn't make sense to me because of the timing. If we were telling this exact same story one month ago, and then we said, okay, now CM Punk has one month to get healthy for the pay-per-view. Okay, but why he's he's that much healthier than he was 10 days ago? That's what I'm saying. That's why I don't think the match is gonna be that much better. And, and like I, we, we, look, it, 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 in order to save this, you can't put the title back on Punk. That ain't gonna save this match. Because Moxley, then what? What was all of this for? I, well, I, I I think their only option is MJF returns in the main event. Yeah, because this is your main event. It's it's gonna be a bloody nasty match, and and, it, and you bring MJF back who to attack Moxley? If CM Punk goes over, does he attack CM Punk? I would. But then I would immediately give the title to MJF. I saw signs in the crowd for the first time. For MJF. Punk. I haven't seen that before. Punk comes out and he's acting on Dynamite, you know, like he's sad. And, you know, I came back too soon. And he says, and then, I don't know if this was part of it or not, but it it looked like he almost got rattled by a guy in the audience. And he just shit talks this guy. Yeah. When, When he's supposed to be like the main baby face. And it was. It was one of those lines where it's definitely not a line that was that like that's that's you know you're CM Punk they let you say what you want on the mic that's a line that they give him you know the the leeway to say what he wants but like afterwards he even said yeah maybe I shouldn't have said that like he even felt it was really weird I I will say that I didn't like a lot of the start part of this I thought 
it was corny, but the whole raw raw rally up stuff. Okay, sure, that's fine. Like, I, I get that. But how did this all happen in a week? Like, this all went down in in a week, a week and a half. I don't understand why they did this right now. The only explanation can be CM Punk just got cleared. He could not even have stepped into ring a month ago. Because if that's because otherwise, why do you do this leading into a pay per view? A few days away I've seen some people are like Oh this is cool I like this story It's a little bit different Hey you know what If you like it that's fine They seem like they made a choice I just don't have any clue Why that's the choice that they made Leading into your big show Where there's all this uncertainty About the pay-per-view Leading up to the end of Dynamite Right I'm not more excited right now To see this match Than two weeks ago When these two guys Were having to be pulled apart you were you were set right there. You had these two guys ready to go at each other. Now you're gonna tell this like CM Punk wasn't ready, but then he came back and he wins the title. And now, like, why do I want to root for CM Punk right now? I want Moxley to kick his ass again. Yes, I do too. I do too. Like, I don't. I know it's Chicago, so he's gonna be the babyface there. But I, I mean, the, you, the, the, who, do, who? Okay, who should go over in this match? Who should, based on what you've done right now, to me? I'm looking at this like it's a movie or a TV show, and you're telling me that somebody came back too early, they were hurt, and then ten days later they're gonna have a match against the same person who just beat the crap out of them. <laughs> like I'm thinking they're gonna get the crap beat out of them, and if they don't, it's a bad story that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Because why is CM Punk gonna be magically fixed and have all this confidence now? Does I don't. Does- MJF appearing has he has to be in call does does that take away the bad booking and the bad match the last because you know the match is not gonna be very good. Here's what I will say: it doesn't take it away, but afterwards people will care less about it, right? Yeah. Once MJF, it's like a band-aid for a gunshot wound almost, but it's a band-aid, you know, it's like you, you covered some of it up. I'm not going to ever like the process of where it is, but if it all was to get to this point where MJF is coming back, the crowd will be into it and it'll be it'll be fine. If there's no MJF involved and this just ends with CM Punk getting a clean win, gosh. That's horrible. I don't, that, that's jump you talk about a shark that's been jumped. <laughs> yeah, because then what well, then what do you do to yeah. your guy Moxley that you just made look like a star? Now he can't defeat CM Punk, who's not even 100% again after and all the crap that he just talked. Back, does he come back to to a broken down CM Punk, or does he come back to challenge Mox for the title? It, you know? I mean, Punk was the story always, right? It would make. Right. I, so Punk would have to win for this to feel important, or no? He could come in and cause Punk the match. And then you go. What, does this do for, what does this do for Moxley? I don't, okay. Say Moxley wins the match. By whatever means Either he goes over clean or MJF Comes in We just talked about what's left if Roman Reigns Wins on on This uh, this weekend coming up uh, Clash of the Castle What's next for him uh, What's Who steps up for this title If Moxley wins it now who, who on this roster we've got trio stuff You know can't be Hangman Page I mean What what do we do? Miro? No, he's still cutting these goofy, goofy little vignettes uh, over um, the Black House Society or whatever they're called now. I, I don't know who's next for that belt, and that's not a good sign to me. If I can't name a couple of people who would be next, it ain't Wardlow. Don't give me no Wardlow. Don't give me no damn William Morrissey. 
So who's it going to be? So give me two people who you feel right now, if Moxley wins uh, on Sunday night, who is the, who's the new challenge? Is they going to do a battle roll for it? Well, they have the casino thing right here, right? Right. That, that's so one, the, one right. of these guys is going to win a, a future championship match. So do you have someone like Claudio win the mat? And then you can put him in that match and just have him lose. Yes. And have him beat, right? Is that like a safe thing to do? It or, has to be. There's nothing we, there. I mean, because you Wheeler Yuta is the one guy that they've been building up for a while to where you could maybe see him winning this match. I could also see Andrade winning because like he's someone that you can just put in for like a main event of a dynamite and have a title match that he's yeah, gonna I, lose and have a one-off, right? He's kind of been threatening to leave too. He's kind of you know, so you gotta make some people happy. Keep him I, happy. I, there's no built-in challenger outside of that casino ladder match. No, and there's I, I don't I don't like at all what they've done. And you may, some people out there listening, you might, you might think it's different. It's unique. I wouldn't have minded it if the timing was better. Right. The timing leading into your big show when you only have a few of these a year, every match on your, your few pay-per-views should be something that has been built for a month. So that way you have all this TV time invested and you've had all this time to free advertise your pay-per-view. And let me find out at the pay-per-view that Punk is still hurt. I wouldn't dare would have put him in no match. Why? I, I questioned that when they announced I completely it. agree, too. Why? I would have. We didn't know he wasn't not ready. Why put that on free TV? You're not. Just why? I would have loved if they had him get squashed on the pay-per-view as the main yes. event. Yes. And then you tell the story to the next pay-per-view or the Arthur Ashe show when you have Punk go for the rematch. That then, that's how you do it. He gets his ass kicked, and then you show the rehab. You don't just have him get his ass kicked, come right back and win again. He better either get his ass kicked again, or it's got to be MJF. Like Otherwise, it doesn't make sense what they've recently done, um, for me at least. I So that, that's our main event of a 14-match card. The first three matches on the card are on the pre-show. Eddie Kingston, who's recently been suspended, um, he's back. He'll be facing Ishii. Pac versus Kip Sabian for the All-Atlantic Championship. So Pac... Kip Sabian been hurt for a year? A year. Wow. And we've seen Pac defending this title all over the place, but never on Dynamite. Never on Dynamite. And and he actually won a four-way that sort of felt like it was going to be a big deal because he beat Aleister Black and Miro in there. And so then we have Hook and Angelo Parker. Hook had a moment a few weeks ago with Ricky Starks where it's like, oh, okay, that was a, a good moment for both of them. And then we don't see Hook again. <laughs> and and speaking of Ricky Starks, who has been fantastic, he wasn't on Dynamite Wednesday night. And and that match is like one of the one few of the four that you're I know you were talking yep. about. Absolutely. They're four. And that's one of them that I'm like. Okay, I like the build to this. And and we didn't even so here's my question. Wouldn't it have made more sense to have um like a Hobbs Starks segment than to have W. Morrissey on this this week's version of Dynamite? And maybe not just next words week right after the pay per view. You took the words right out of my mouth. I I saw that uh, why is that yeah. part of your TV? Like him or not, whatever. I've never been like I don't think he's like big money. I think he's fine as like a guy in a group, you know, a big, a big dude in a group, part of a tag team, big muscle, 
he I, I will say he's improved. He's gotten better um in impact recently than than he was before. So if you if you like him and you want to bring him in, that's fine. Why do you do it right before a pay-per-view that he's not on when <laughs> for WWE different let's look at them, right? Carry we talked about a lot of people that aren't on their pay-per-view, but WWE isn't like Squeezed for time on TV Every week They have Raw and Smackdown And NXT to tell their stories AEW Really only has Dynamite Because most people don't watch their other stuff Like it's an A program So they have two hours every week When a two minute segment Is a big deal That's a lot of your TV time And I don't understand why you had Morrissey go out there and you didn't Build a little bit better to The Starks match Even though I will give them the benefit Of the doubt on that and say They've done a good job with that one and I'm glad That they're giving those two guys A pay-per-view match because that's Something that you feel like sometimes they would Have just put on a dynamite or a rampage But I'm glad that they get a shot at the pay-per-view To go 10 or 15 minutes Right I agree and it needs to go that Yes absolutely so that's One of the ones that I'm the most I'm very excited For now We've got the final for the AEW World Trios Championship. Why didn't again? And I, I keep saying these. I'm asking these questions, but I might be able to answer them. Kenny Omega is not healthy. They couldn't have done this thing really any earlier because they needed Kenny Omega to be the guy to join the Bucks and for that to be the story to face Hangman Page with the Dark Order. But we're not even going to see that play out at all because the Dark Order has a match on Friday. If they beat the best friends, then they're in the championship at the pay-per-view. Right. If we just had one more week, they would have been able to come out on Dynamite and have a little segment against each other. And it would have been a really good segment because these guys could talk about their past and Hangman pick in the Dark Order. And th- now it's like you you kind of rush this whole thing and I'm not getting the feels for it that I would like to. I want to see these guys cut. I want to see the Young Bucks cut some of those some of those emo promos like they did a few weeks ago on Hangman Page. Like, I want to see some of that, and I'm not I'm not gonna get to see any of that. Why not? <laughs> I don't and and again, it's are they unlucky because Kenny and Punk just were able to get cleared and they maybe weren't even a hundred percent, and so we had to do the best that we can. But damn, it just feels like these stories that are big stories aren't being told as good as they can be. Um our next match So Wardlow and FTR Versus Jay Lethal and Motor City Machine Guns Talk about someone in the last month Who has fallen off a cliff Wardlow Oof. Entire shows were built around this guy For a while He's doing nothing He's not intriguing at all He felt like everything about him Was probably important because of MJF They haven't given him much And he doesn't even have a singles match here well, he was so he, Gino. He was so hot. You and I were both saying that this guy's a future AEW World Champion. We thought they were going to throw him into triple threats with like Punk and MJF. You know, we we were saying that's where they were going to go, and it's weird. The moment he came out and said, "Oh yeah, there's a battle royal later for the World Championship, but I don't want that. I'm going to go for the TBS title." <laughs> that was it. I was like, "What the hell? Why would anybody say that? That just doesn't make sense." Like at all. And it's all been down for him. If these two match, if this match was just broken up and these were both singles matches, they would be better. If you just had Wardlow versus Jay Lethal, 
and the Motor City Machine Guns versus FTR. But you have this weird six man, which was completely changed because initially it was supposed to be Jay Lethal and Sanjay Dutt and then the big man. But they must have found out that the big man can't go. <laughs> or, yeah, or he, he. So now, why, why do you have FTR? I, let's be honest. In the last two months, at points, Wardlow was, and then at other points, FTR were two of the most, I don't know, three or five most over acts on the show by far. And now they're cold and they don't have anything individually going on. I, I would have put them, they're, they're, they're the Ring of Honor and IGWP tag team champions. And AAA. They have like three AAA. sets of belts. Why not just put them in a title match, you know? Titles versus you know one team wins it all against Swerve and our glory. Completely agree. I have no Why problem you just with being in that match, but I, I just again it, again I, the no build. I like the acclaimed. We Me like too. the acclaimed. Why didn't we see the acclaimed win a number one contenders match or win like win a match over someone that we didn't quite think, and then all of a sudden they win a number one contenders match, and now that they're in. Why did we have the baby faces go and say, oh, yeah, we're going to challenge you? I hate that. Right. It doesn't make – it's not great build for either of, of those matches. I, it, like, when we get there and the bell rings, will the match be good? Sure. Sure. But I want more reason to get excited about it. I'll give them a complete mulligan for the women. Thunder Rosa, is she hurt? I don't, I don't know. know. I mean – is know. she hurt? There have been some rumors that are saying that she's kind of maybe lost her smile. I don't ever like speculating, especially with injuries, because I don't think that's cool. If someone feels like they're hurt and they can't go out there, I would never want someone to go out there and put their body on the line. So I'll give them a complete mulligan. But on the flip side, the last couple months, they've done a piss poor job with Thunder Rosa building that title and making it seem important. And so now. You know, the whole women's division feels like it's lower. One more counter, though. I thought the match on Dynamite was very good. Sure. I thought, and it thought it looked good. It, it made Sheeta look good. And you're like, oh, yeah, I remember she can go in the ring. But one good match doesn't do it for me. So who wins the title? I, it's got to be Tony, right? And you probably have, like, Because Britt Sheeta. took the pin, right? Yeah, Britt took the pin on, uh, on Dynamite, which, you, you know, you don't see often. Interesting. But I mean, I like <laughs> Brit is the safest for them because you know what you've got with Brit. You put it right back on her, you know she'll be fine. She's already done this; she can carry it around. And and she's sort of like putting the the interim title back on Moxley. You have <laughs> like this company person that you know can carry it, and you'll be fine with. I guess it feels like. I mean, the only person who was supposed to be in this match was Tony Storm. Right. It so has I, to be her. It it just has to, and she has to be on TV on Dynamite. Often and she has to work in singles matches often, but you can't put her against Penelope Ford. You can't put her against some of these ladies who just aren't very good at the ring. They've got enough people, enough ladies on this roster who are. Look, it's not as stacked as WWE or NXT. You're not saying that, but don't have her automatically against Nyla Rose or. You know, just stop going back to that stuff. Give her the title and let her run with it and book her well. And I know what they're wanting to do. They're wanting Jade versus Tony. That's that's what everyone's talking about. I, I just don't even know if that's smart. I, I don't know, but it, it's Tony or bust for me. Yeah. 
I agree. Um, we talked about the casino ladder match before, so it's Claudio, Wheeler Yuta, Penta, Ray Phoenix, Rush, El Idolo, Dante Martin, and then the Joker. Lord. Any idea who uh, the Joker may be? be? More, it better not be Morrissey. I know if we, it is Morrissey and we just saw him, that would just be bizarre. Why? It's why? Gonna be, it'll be somebody from Impact or New Japan, probably. It's, it's funny, this gimmick that they've had people doing recently where they've been coming out and saying that they aren't getting TV time and then they don't get TV time. Remember Ethan Page did it a few yeah. weeks ago? Where's yeah. he been? Where's, where's <laughs> well, he yeah. been? Um, yeah, I mean, I'd say if it were me, I'd say Claudio, Wheeler, or Idolo. Just because that feels like someone that you can put in a title match and they can lose and still just give you a good match and, yes. and be kind of credible. 100% agree. Yes. So the Brian Danielson versus Jericho match, I'm okay. I'm, I'm okay with this build. These guys have been going at it for a while. The thing that's weird, though, and like we said, is it's a lot about Daniel Garcia and he doesn't have a match or he's not in a match. I wish this was a triple threat. So he would really have to figure out what he was going to do. But right. He's been acting pretty well for a guy who is known as a wrestler. Like watching some of his facial expressions and how he's been trying to portray some of his inner turmoil here. I think he's been doing a pretty good job with it. So I, on a show where I have a lot of complaints about the way we are getting to the show, I don't have very many for the build of this match. Just that I wish I would, I for sure, I wish he was booked on the card versus he's going to be in the corner and get involved in some way. Yeah, and look, this is a match that can follow uh, a banger. Uh, you know, I, I don't expect this one to open the show, but it could. Who knows? But this could follow anything, and they can hold their own just for the simple fact that the two guys in here almost have 100 years of wrestling experience to their name. But I'm with you. I think the story lies with Garcia here, and he's got to be outside and gets involved somehow. You know, I, how long do you want this match to go? What did Jericho say he's the Lionheart versus the American Dragon? Um, I, I think the match will be fine. Uh, I, I so, wouldn't mind if, if Garcia gets involved in it, though. So I have a question for you. I mean, think about those, um, you know, on, like they have them on the, the National Geographic and sometimes Lion Dragon. Who wins? Who's winning this fight? Oh, we got a lion there. We got a dragon. We throw them both in the octagon. I mean, I, I mean, I'm a Chris Jericho. I'm a Chris Jericho mark. Yeah. So I, I, yeah. I, I just, I, I hope Jericho, but he's the type of guy, again, that can lose. He, he doesn't have to go over and nothing's wrong there, especially if Garcia chooses uh, Daniel Bryan. But, but do, do we still have William Ringel and Moxley? Is that faction and, and Wheeler, are they still together? They haven't been as much of a thing, right? right. We haven't seen. I mean, I've been. I, we haven't seen like a breakup of them, but we definitely haven't seen as much of a thing where uh, where they've all been. Yeah, where where they've all been out there as much together. So um, yeah, we're having a. There's like a media scrum right now that uh that. So you're seeing. I'm reading some quotes as we're recording this from like Tony Khan and stuff. And there's one of them that somebody said. He said something like, "Yeah, I can't use everyone. There's only so much TV time." Also, let's sign Big Cass and use three New Japan wrestlers <laughs> on our main event, <laughs> which was great. Um, you can't teach that. Yeah. So a <laughs> couple other matches to get to on the uh, AEW All Out show. This one's on Sunday. So Saturday, you'll have WWE Clash at the Castle. And then Sunday morning. Is that correct? Is NXT Sunday morning or Saturday? Yeah. And then NXT is Sunday morning. And then AEW is uh, Sunday evening. Right. So. 
Swerve in our glory versus the acclaimed. Yeah, we already talked about this one. Like when the bell rings, I'm sure the match will be fine. There was no build to it. Why not? Let me let me see the acclaim just pick up a couple wins over the last few weeks. I agree. I I I just don't know what it serves. The purpose is I don't think they've done a good job with Keith Lee and Swerve. I mean, look, look who's hotter. Is hit hit row hotter returning to WWE without their number one guy in the group? Or is Keith Lee and Swerve as your AEW tag team champions? And I'm not trying to pick on anybody. I'm just No, it's a fact. It. Is and the problem is too is that this is a this is a company that has like really good tag teams and a lot of really good tag action. But the problem is is right now, you can't honestly look and say that you think these two teams are the two best tag teams when you have the Young Bucks and FTR on this show. And so you're in a situation where I know the best always don't have the titles over and over and they're in different spots, but you have two other tag teams on this show that are better tag teams and like more proven tag teams and have been together for years. And these guys are the ones that hold the belts for your company. Right. I like that's, that's another small issue. Um, okay. Positive Starks powerhouse Hobbs. We talked about that one. That Good one's a uh, pretty positive in, in what they've built. Another positive, Jungle Boy Christian. This feels good like a play. pay-per-view match. Yeah, a good a good build this Wednesday night with Jungle Boy. I I think he's doing. He looks strong. He sounded he good. That was one of he his does. better his better times because he's had a couple where he's looked good, and then a couple where it's like the words that he's saying don't sound natural. No, but this was one of his best appearances recently. I thought he came off really good. So these two guys, this could be like a. A match of the sh- a match of the night kind of sneaky one because Christian can still go and Jungle Boy can go and if these guys get time and and you know get an opportunity this could be a really big win for Jungle Boy if he's able to pick up a victory over over Christian here. Yeah, and he needs to go over. I, I absolutely. This is one of these guys who who you built your company around. One of the pillars. He did, and he got a tag team title run, but it wasn't very good. They weren't on TV hardly at all. Um, there were some injury issues, and I think this they have done a pretty good job building Christian and Jungle Boy, and Jungle Boy absolutely has to go over Christian here, no doubt about it. But it should be a good match. And, you know, those pillars that we talked about, that was the one thing I, I can remember having the exact conversation with you like a year ago, year and a half ago, and saying the main difference between WWE and AEW is that AEW has these guys that are really young that already sort of feel like they're – they're, you know, heading in a really nice trajectory to being big stars. WWE doesn't have very many of them. And now it's completely flipped. Those four pillars, Darby, MJF, Jungle Boy, Sammy Guevara. Who of them feel like they're a really big deal right now? MJF's not there, period. Darby has been Darby unfortunately has done nothing since the CM Punk thing. He's been in he's been in tag stuff and he's had some good matches and he had a fun again. That no, I mean, really, it's supposed to be special, but when you have so many of them, they're not special anymore. And yeah, he did a couple of good things with Brody, but all four of those guys right now are not important as they were a year, a year and a half ago. And those were the, that was what made them different than WWE and made them unique is that you really looked and was like, wow, these like sub 25 year old guys that are really talented and already are, you know, crisscrossing with some of the main eventers. And they haven't gotten the steady pushes anymore. This is a big, big spot for Jungle Boy to get a win and to kind of establish himself as a, a singles player in the division. 
And uh, Jade Cargill versus Athena I mean I just It felt like we were going to do this for a while now So at least this match Kind of has a build But they do a lot of it on Rampage We don't even see almost any of this On Dynamite anymore No and it's unfortunate Athena again I'm just telling you What my feeling is on this And what many others have, Have said and there's a reason why WWE will trademark some of these names that they give you. This is the reason why. There's just something that it goes missing when you leave the E and you go somewhere else and you just have to change your persona completely. They're not always bad. Moxley, you know, look at Matt Cardona went went to his birth name. You can pull it off. But when you get to a sea of a lot of talent, do you... Do you put Athena with who she was in WWE? No, it's just hard and, to do, and I think that loses a lot of luster, Gina. And the and problem, it's not their fault. It's not it, their fault. For for her, a major weakness has always been on the mic. She's never really been great with the character. She was always kind of trying to figure it out. She's really good in the ring, and she had a nice connection with the NXT fans. But I will say that I am the type of person I like. I'm very like stubborn and opinionated and I'm and I think that like the work that I do is very good but I like to be coached. Sure. I do. Like I like when I'm on when I'm when I'm working and doing a show for someone I tell the producers that I'm working with and the directors you tell me what you want and I'll do it. You you give me the feedback and I will do what you want for me. Because sometimes when you just go on your own and you rattle and you ramble that you need that direction. You need a Vince McMahon or a Triple H or someone telling you, yeah, you know what, that promo is a little bit off. Like, we got to cut this down or change it in this direction. Is it always good? No. Sometimes we could hear the stuff that that the wrestlers in WWE were saying. It's like, Rhea Ripley wouldn't say that. Come on, that that sounds awful. But, it, it, you know, it's not always just the freedom is better. There are some people that need it. A, a guy like a CM Punk or a Moxley, I mean, they're fine. You can throw the microphone out there with them and, and Adam Cole, and they're going to be fine in any company. You you give them a bullet point of what you want to say, and they're good. But sure. someone like Athena has never been that type of a person, so she probably needs a little bit more help getting her character over, cutting promos, and I don't know if she's getting it. <laughs> I, I it, Look, Tony Khan said it what last week during a scrum. They're not here to train wrestlers. This is this is not their mo, so I don't know how much. Uh, you better be you better be ready to do that though, because people aren't all finished products. No, and I think that's where it hurts them, and that's why I thought they brought in the likes of Jim Ross, The Big Show, Mark Henry, uh, Dean Malenko, uh, Madison Rain, even right now, right? Madison Rain, who is hasn't been heard of since uh, working a match last week, uh, William Regal. I, Unless they go seeking it out, I, I don't think it's a it's a thing where hey you need to do this. Even with the enhancement talent, I think they just let them go out there and be them. And I think that's what they thought was so attractive. Hey, you can come over here and be you. Well, like you said, a lot of times people need to be more than just you. You need to have that guidance there. And I think that's cost a lot of these guys and girls who come over to AEW and they haven't caught on to anything that 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 audience and. I just think it hurts. I think there's when when you leap, grass is not always greener. You may be happy, 
you know, and if that's the case, and if you're making more money, hey, look, I, I, I'm, I'm all for making more money. But at the same time, you know, there's not a lot of growth potential when you go somewhere else and uh, you're not taught or led through anything. So I, I just think it's it's hurt a lot of these AEW crossovers. Yeah, there's one more match on the card. Um, another match where on paper, if I'm walking in to see this at a house show, I bet this match will be fun. I bet you there'll be a couple crazy spots in here. Malachi Black, Brody, Queen, Brody King, and Buddy Matthews versus Darby Allen, Sting, and Miro. House of Black. The the issue I kind of have with this is that like Malachi Black and waiting on um, post wrestling was saying this last night, and I will give him credit because they are very AEW positive. So whenever you hear their reviews, like they love everything going on, they're big New Japan fans too and stuff. So they they really like are very very positive. But he said, "I'm not smart enough to understand this poetry crap that he keeps saying." <laughs> And I thought that was funny. Like, it's it's one of those things where, well, it looks cool, and it sort of sounds cool, but it reminds me of Bray Wyatt after about a year. Like, what is he actually saying, ever? How, how is he building matches and getting me excited for their matches? I don't, I don't get it. The Miro ones, I think, are kind of funny. The God promos, like the Miro against God, that makes me laugh. I actually want to see more of Miro because that's kind of like a comedy. Thing that I think people Sort of enjoy hearing I, I just would Like I'm sure Malachi Black loves what he's doing I'm sure he's happy with the creative Process that he has But is this like one of those things that Who is this for? Is this for him? Or is this for us? Right, good point Because really? I don't know Um, and, and that's my issue with this show We have 14 matches and I think I went through Four of them that I'm really excited For the builds If they would have spent Two more weeks on Moxley Punk, I would have been that would have been one that I was excited for. If they would have spent one more week, just give me one week where I actually know that we're going to have the elite versus Hangman Page. I don't even know if we're going to have that until the day before. So, all it's not like it would have been difficult for a few more of these matches to just get a little more time and build in the prior weeks. That's my biggest issue, not with the quality, not with the talent, you know, it's just with, it's, it's the bells and the whistles, it's all the production stuff, which is the things that people crap on WWE for through the years, but that thing moves like a well-oiled machine over there, it does, promotion, video packages, this, that, everything's set up, boom, 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 and then you're there, and yeah, sometimes it gets boring because you know exactly the formula, what's going to happen, but I'd rather know than not know. And there's too many times where I feel like I'm watching AEW and I want to be more excited for it than I am. As you go into the main event of AEW this weekend of their pay-per-view, do you think CM Punk's run with AEW up to this point, including the last what we've seen, do you think it's been a success? Do you think it works? See, I would say no. They would probably say yes because they did sell they they sold a lot of tickets. From CM they Punk, so did. I will they give did. them a ton of credit because last year, man, they they were outselling WWE in New York in some spots with with their ticket sales. They were they were a hotter ticket because it was newer. Punk was back. Brian Danielson's there. We we haven't seen Punk in years. It's this new company going all over. They don't feel n- nearly as hot 
and as buzzworthy right now. So my question is, how much? I mean, I don't know the specifics of the investment, but was it worth it for a guy who wrestled and was a part of your show for what seven, six, seven months, and then he got hurt? He was out for a little while. If he comes back and he's not able to be like consistently on your show again, week in, week out, is is the juice worth the squeeze? I, and I think they, for the first time, I think, and maybe not for the first time, maybe it's happened a couple of other times with the way some of the booking has been, but with a major player and a major name, I think for the first, first time, it, some AEW fans had a little sour taste in their mouth after Wednesday night, the last two Wednesday nights with what happened with Punk. The, the match with Moxley, and I think even Wednesday night being in Chicago, it just it wasn't right. It doesn't feel right. And heading into this pay-per-view, your main event, if MJF doesn't show up, I, I just think CM Punk has not had a successful run. And there's there's been moments. Absolutely. We and again, the the best part about this is if you are someone <laughs> like if you're someone who hasn't listened to our show uh, week in week out, or maybe you just caught on and you've just started listening recently. When CM Punk came in, we, right off the bat, didn't really love some of the stuff that he was doing. And then we were the opposite. We said, man, everything Punk is doing is fantastic right now. The title needs to be on him. The stuff with MJF was great. Uh, Even the stuff leading into the Hangman page was pretty good. He had stuff with Kingston that was good before that. There were like three feuds in a row. The problem is, though, now, you look at CM Punk is like, like, look at the guys that he's beat <laughs> and where they are now. Darby, MJF, Kingston, Hangman Page. <laughs> it's like he beats them and then they just fall Disappear. off a cliff. Yeah, they're just gone. <laughs> but I, it, they may have, Tony Khan may have the, the receipts to show you that, hey, I paid CM Punk this much money and we've already made back this much money, right? So it may have been a financially... Positive move I I think if you If you put truth serum in Tony Khan And you asked him a year ago After bringing in Brian Danielson CM Punk Adam Cole You know even people like Tony Storm Andrade El Elo Malachi After having all of them on your roster Are we going to be consistently Over a million viewers I think he would have said yeah absolutely Th- That's my biggest worry is how come this really stacked roster can't quite get the following week in, week out? It's because it's too inconsistent. The same that's, people don't show up week in, week out. That's that's the key. It's It's been very, very inconsistent. Just It has. There's been a couple of things they've been consistent with over a short period of time. But over the last year, it has not been very consistent at all. At all. Know, not even and, with the, the title picture. And they know that... Their floor of in-ring quality is probably better than any of the other companies, or like they probably have a little bit better overall quality from top to bottom in-ring than what you'll see in WWE. But that's sort of more of what they want. And so, if if that's for you as a wrestling fan, if the most important thing is, I really don't care about the build-up. I just want to sit back and watch good wrestling and really athletic stuff. Then you you really really enjoy it and not have a problem with it. But for me. When I want to see that, I watch sports. <laughs> like, I watch... Look, Let me stop you right there. Do you, do you think every Wednesday night 
is two hours of inter- are you entertained every Wednesday night in Dynamite? I misspoke Tuesday no. as we head to no, NXT. I'm not. Are, I'm not. Me neither. To I think it feels and, and I lived through it. And I was a fan. I think it feels very WCW-ish to me. Yeah, I do. I I, I think there are um, some some glaring weaknesses that they don't seem like they want to fix, and that's fine if they if they can just understand that. Hey, look, we are going to have a really hardcore fan base. I mean, they have a hard, more hardcore fan base right now of like seven hundred thousand than a lot of people would want. For something like that, right? They, they'll probably always have about that many people watching their stuff that are like into their stuff, but it's about growth. When you're a company, like even right now, for example, NXT last year, they were the same exact rating they got. They were like 23rd or 24th in the ratings. And this year they were like ninth. And that's because if you just stay the same, that's kind of growing. AEW isn't even really doing that Unfortunately they are Kind of losing viewers so And I think he he, he made a, uh, I saw you know Something earlier where he talked about You know people are starting to ask him Some questions now That are really meaningful instead of just throwing Softballs and I think He said one of his big focuses now Is going to be building Rampage Since everyone is returning healthy They've got a full roster now He's going to spend more time Developing and, and getting a rampage following. Look, that show hasn't been very successful. Even even when it's live, the, the number bump hasn't been very big. So, I, I mean, it, it's if that is something he wants, I understand. I, I just it's an extension of Dynamite, and those people aren't watching that on Friday nights. They're just not. They're just Let's not. Get- they're not leaving SmackDown and, and turning it over to AEW. No. But and and I do feel bad because I like sometimes I've, I I look too. back I and do. it's like I'm not. I don't hate watching AEW. It's the opposite. No, I, I enjoy watching m- a lot of the things on there, and I like the talent that they have. A lot of these wrestlers are people I've watched for years, either in WWE or in Impact or on the indies, and I'm excited to see them getting a chance. I'm excited there's more wrestling on national TV, but a lot of the things that I want from my wrestling is it's something that they seem like they don't really care in giving to me. And as a fan, I kind of get turned off in some of those points where it's like, okay, so I have to go do all this work myself. I have to go look up Ace Steel. I have to go look up all these guys from New Japan, from Ring of Honor, from all these different companies that I don't know. You can't just give me a little a little bit of a video package to tell me. And then that makes me want to go look them up more. I Maybe they, they hear these things. Maybe they don't. Maybe they don't care. You know, that's for because for them at the end of the day, Having good matches and having good quality wrestling shows seems to be the most important thing for Tony Khan. I agree, and and that's great. Like you know that you're always going to have a a good quality show from top to bottom. But for me, it, it's like a lot of B's and C pluses. I don't ever feel like an A, like how like a well built WrestleMania or SummerSlam is. I don't ever get that feeling coming out of one of their pay per views. The only time I maybe did was last year when they had all the Punk. Daniel Bryan, Cole stuff at the same time, and it was like, yes. oh shit, this might be a big deal now. Yeah, because we wanted Cole to be the champion from day one. We yeah. thought he was the guy they were going to give the rocket to, and then these pieces started coming in. Okay, okay, they would hit a million, but the show seemed to to flow a little bit better because it was built around those, and then it just kind of like meandered and squandered into other directions, you know. But 
hey, like I said, I, I thought NXT would would hurt because Triple H, Shawn Michaels would maybe be less involved. And you got to give those guys credit. NXT has been pretty darn good. And then heading into their pay-per-view this this weekend and to bring all those main roster stars on here. This was the best build. This was as good of a build to any NXT show as I ever. could have ever remember in one episode of TV. Yes. In one freaking episode of just bringing all these old champions back to have them talk. I mean, so who did we had throughout the night? We saw uh, Finn. We saw Rhea. We saw Dewdrop and Nikki come back. We Shane. saw Shayna Baszler have a really cool interaction with Mandy. We saw Gunther. We saw Pete Dune, Pete Dunn, Pete Dune, <laughs> now Butch. Um, all of them. Uh, Alba Fire. Yep. Um, all of them come back to give a bit of advice to the the current champions, and they say how important. It was that they were either the NXT champ or the NXT UK champ. And what a big deal this is going to be to unify these titles. And now, damn, all of these matches I'm excited for. Every one yeah. of them. Every single good, one of them. That was a good way to do it. Uh, bravo. Because look, because a lot of times when you have like when worlds collide pay-per-view, I remember WCW would do something like that where they would, you know, their title holders would work other title holders from you know, or somebody from the international waters, so to speak. So this one was kind of interesting how they were putting it together because basically, you know, NXT UK had been done away with, even though now there's reports coming back with it rebranding next year <clears throat> into just NXT. Europe, but, Europe, but, I think, yeah, right? I think I yeah, heard something about a Europe yeah. too. So for the most part, NXT UK is gone. They yes. released a yep. lot of, them they may resign them so we got to go with what we know which is there's no more nxt uk so they're bringing their champions over after they've released most of the talent to unify titles and so you automatically go uh okay I, you know it'll be some good matches it'll be a lot of first time me seeing some of these uk you know superstars but now that the way they presented it on tuesday night even if you if you weren't going to watch it because you don't care about nxt uk I promise you, you will watch it now because yeah. it wasn't something I was looking for. Me neither. To. I'm going to be honest with you. No, I didn't, I thought, I didn't, okay, I didn't watch it a lot. Good matches. I'll yeah. put it on. But now I'm like, okay, this could be the show of the weekend. It's really that good. This is a good show on paper. So now my only question about having a show like this, it's kind of like the Forbidden Door show that AEW had where the, I guess the, the the cool difference is that these are all WWE signed people, though, in the company. So I'm looking at this and thinking they have to they can't have just all the regular NXT champions win. Right. No. Like there's no. going to have to be at least one or two of the NXT UK champions that win this thing just to make it feel right. Well, the one, you know, you have the NXT UK tag team champions or Brooks and Mama Rio. Mama Rio, you're right. That, was, have, that, yeah, was, that was weird to begin with. You know, they go over and win it and then come back. <laughs> and so that's a four-way where it's going to be the Creed Brothers versus Brooks and Jensen uh, versus Brooks and Briggs versus Gallus, which is Mark Coffey and Wolfgang versus right. Pretty Deadly. So, I mean, that should be a banger of a tag a match. match. And yeah. 
hey, if you drink, take a shot every time they say banger now on the <laughs> WWE shows. Yeah. That's yeah. like, and it's got to be a, it's got to be a running joke backstage. Oh, 100%. Because when Sheamus was out there, banger after banger after banger. And then Carmella was doing the same thing. And they're all just going banger, banger. It's so, a rib on someone. That's for it sure. Is. It's for sure a rib. Um, so the, man, Nikki and Dewdrop come out. And it's like a pop for Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah, they sound like not. huge stars here. So there's to be, I, I really like that. There were a couple of these instances where, okay, there's nothing in the in the UK like a women's tag, so we got to figure out something. Well, let's bring up someone from the from the main roster. Let's bring someone from the main roster back down, and they bring Dewdrop and Nikki, and this is exactly what they did with Ricochet. Same exact yep. thing. They bring the former North American champ back. We've talked we talked about the build for the Ricochet Carmelo. I thought that was very smart to make sure that you have all of your champions on this show. I, I mean, look, I, as I told you, I, I wasn't very excited about this NXT event. And NXT has been, 2.0 has been, even through the early stages of the rebranding, it was tough to watch, but I stuck through it. And it's been, you know, two of my favorite hours of the week to watch professional wrestling. But something about this pay-per-view, when it gets international, like I said, when I've seen when worlds collide and other promotions would do other shows where they bring in, you know, workers from across the globe, I, I just never really excited me about ever, even back to the old WWF days, WCW. I just never got excited into, into that. I really wasn't too excited about this one coming up, but after seeing these main roster stars come back and promote and the promos they were cutting, I, it sells it to you. That that that's the thing. Promos can sell a bad, look, can sell a bad match in a heartbeat if somebody could talk. I just think it was it was cleverly done. It was so it was. you really, you got really they gave the rub to all of them. Absolutely, all of them. It was it was the exact thing that we like about when John Cena comes back and was interacting with the Street Profits and with Theory and with those guys. It's what you like when you have. Flair come back and he gives the rub to Miz and some of the other that's what you want to use Your talent like this To help get each other over So I mean that, great Great use of of Nikki and, and Dewdrop and then You know like we said Ricochet Carmelo if I'm making a list Of the matches of the weekend That I think has the chance to be The best quality that's the one That I would put on top oh yeah for sure for I, sure. I, I just think it's going to be fantastic And in Ricochet you just He's got this little extra confidence right now He's got a little bounce in his step You know I I love what's going on with him The uh, The women's championship Mandy Rose versus Miko Satomura Versus Blair Davenport It's going to be a triple threat match to unify Both of these titles um, What do you think happens in this one? Uh I, I, This is uh, we're, we're getting you talk about intriguing matchups here. I, I'm not sure what we do here. I, I'm always afraid Mandy Rose is just a step away from going back to the main roster because she's done so well here. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know much about Blair. Uh, I would hope Mandy retains uh, with, with three in here. Look, we all know that Mandy's not five-star. Uh, we, you don't need to be. Um, I just don't know. I, I, I'm with you. There's going to be some titles that change here. Um, 
I don't think Ricochet wins. I think Carmelo retains, but I think that's the, the match of the night easy. Um, but in this match, I, I'm kind of worried that this could change hands here. I, I think we could see some, a couple of people maybe get called back up or no longer be champions after this. I just hope Mandy's not one of them because she's done so damn well on Tuesday nights. And the uh, the men's championship match, Braun Breaker versus Tyler Bate to unify. Yeah. Man, and the the thing is about Tyler Bate is Triple H likes this guy. Yeah, he does. And he might be like he's better known than than JD McDonough was, right? Like he's more known to our audience because people have seen Tyler Bate wrestle at NXT shows a couple years ago. They've seen him involved in NXT before, even though it was a few years ago. I don't think he wins, but it wouldn't completely surprise me. No, I, w- I would think either Braun loses or Mandy loses. I, I think be- I agree. One of the two I- of them is losing. Yes. Yes. It, yeah. So that that's how I'm looking at it. I think Braun probably is a safer bet to win, yes. but yes, I agree. But you know what? Like I could see them putting it on that Mik- on Miko, and then having like Natty come in and have a match with her. Yes. Because Natty's already mentioned that, and then they could have the. Get to uh, Roxanne or one of the other girls in NXT eventually if they want to get there. But I, uh, yeah, I, I'm really excited for this show, man. And Breaker and Bait and Bait could be awesome too because he should be a really fun matchup for Braun because Bait is strong as crap, but he can like fly around too. He's really just a fun wrestler. I'm, I'm excited for this show, Coop. I really am. And that this is what I mean. Does this ne- is this show necessarily going to be top to bottom the best wrestling? It might be, but it may it might not be as good as the AEW show. But I'm a little bit more invested in this show right now just because of small builds to a couple of these things. Yeah, I agree. And there there's an opportunity for uh, changing of the guard a little bit in in several of these matches. Look, goes back to WWE. We drew. Uh, this is about as good. If you like it, if you think Roman Reigns is going to lose, this is probably your best chance to bet against him. Um, AEW, there's some things that need to happen over there in NXT. I, I think there's a couple of these champions uh, that are probably going to drop the title. And we just mentioned Mandy Rose is one of them. Brock, uh, Braun Breaker could be another one. Um, do they get called back? I don't know. There's just so much positive things going on in wrestling. You head into a good holiday weekend where you have pro wrestling, college football, NFLs, what, seven days away from the Thursday night kickoff. There's a lot to be excited about. And I think in I, in most, you know, we're 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 down on AEW a lot because we want to see it better. And we know they can be better because the roster's there. No, no one's ever shortchanged Keith Lee, John Moxley. You know, the roster is there just we. I, we just don't think that New Japan style works over here for American television. And as things start changing, <clears throat> excuse me, there, there's, you know, there's been rumors that Warner Brothers uh, may do this, may do that. There may be less wrestling on some of these channels. I don't know. But uh, I think AEW is could be backed in a corner type feeling here for them this weekend. And I think if you want to show that you are a major player, you bring the best out. And I, I think they have an opportunity again to show why they're they they can be they can be up there with with WWE, but it, it's 
They're going to have to make some changes, and I'm just very concerned about that main event. Not concerned about WWE, not concerned about NXT right now, but uh, a lot of pro wrestling, man. It's a good time to be a pro wrestling fan. Man, this is going to be a fun, fun weekend, Coop. I look forward to uh, dissecting everything with you next week, talking all about it. Hey, I, I didn't could ask you again before. Did you look at any football this week? Do you have a play this week that you like? If you don't, Man, I love. Here's the problem. I I like. I I haven't met a, a a friend once told me years and years ago when I started betting horse racing at the young age of eighteen. I, I, the guy said he's never bet uh, and never seen a football game or horse race that he didn't like to bet. That's my problem. <laughs> you know, I will you, bet it. You get them all. I'll bet them all. There's a couple I looked at um, this weekend. I think Texas State, they've been bad for a while. They're only getting one point on the road at Nevada. Might as well just, you know, just bet them straight up. You're getting plus 120, plus 130. I think Army, Coastal Carolina will go under. I think it's 54, 54 and a half. And, hey, look, the big game Sunday night, ABC, you know, Florida State, LSU, um, Mike, the, the fan base has been all over Florida State. They've played a game. I think it helps them. They're getting three and a half points. Uh, I know this is the new regime at LSU, but uh, as my friend Arnie Spaniard once said, I don't want the points. Gino, I don't need the points, Gino, but guess what? You'll take I'm going to take the points. You'll take them. Official play here, Florida State plus three and a half. If you can cool. get the Love it. Koopa Loop dishing out a few on college football week one. We had week zero last week and a few teams, as Coop mentioned with Florida State, already have that game under their belt. And if you're a college football fan and you want to hear a little bit more on Fridays at six o'clock p.m. Eastern time, I'm going to do a preview show. Coop, I'll have to bring you on there one of these weeks with me if you want. We're going to do five. We're going to pick five games for each weekend. Talk about the big five games, and then we're each going to give a best bet out. So for any college football fans that want a little extra help, um, we'll be having that. It'll be on uh, at BTV Bets on Fridays, and I'll definitely get Chad in there one of these weeks to join me. Coop, my friend, thank you so much. We had a busy, busy show today. We had a lot to talk about. Thank you for all your time, and good luck taking in all the wrestling this weekend. Yes, have a lot to talk about, and uh, let's cash those bets, man. Let's let's do it. Good luck with your plays, and enjoy those big shows, and we'll talk more wrestling with at the Chad Cooper next week right here on That's What G Said. Whew, what a packed week coming up in wrestling. This was a fun show. We talked NBA, Donovan Mitchell, Trade. We let you know about Bet Fred now and the BTV relationship. Fantasy football with Eric. So you get some basketball, you get some football, you get horse racing for Friday and for Saturday. Friday, Saratoga, Friday, Del Mar, Saturday, Saratoga, Saturday, Kentucky, Louisiana Downs with Roxanne, Del Mar with Emily, and then wrestling with Chad Cooper. Thank you to all of our guests, to the sponsors, and thanks to all of you for listening. Come give a follow on social media, on Twitter. It's me, Gino B. I'll always post any content, videos, any additional live. Live streams or anything that we have up there and it's always free content good luck this weekend everyone we'll be back always in just a few days with another episode of that's what she said